Greetings and good afternoon, everyone. This is Cheryl, and I'm so pleased to be here as we start at 4.44 in Eastern Time. And uh, welcome you to Taran Rama's Saturday afternoon program through True Planetary and Galactic History and Herstory and True History and Herstory of Nassara. So thank you for joining us in this divine service work as we set the tone for uh, today's program. So I ask you to go into your heart center, and going into your heart center, we call forth for the full emergence and integration with our soul, with our higher self, with our monad, with our mighty I am presence. And all of our multidimensional being through to our God presence and goddess presence. So see, sense, and feel all of your magnificence merging with you. Integrating the maximum that you can receive at this time, ever expanding to your divine perfection. See yourself in your mighty pillar of light. The energy coming in is both the pink of divine love and the gold of eternal peace and infinite abundance. See the pink and the gold filling your pillar of light as you feel yourself fully connected to source and fully connected to the sacred heart of Mother Gaia. Expand your pillar of light the maximum that you can imagine. As we call forth every man, woman, and child to join us in their own pillar of light as their I am presence through the following prayer. Please repeat after me. I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with every man, woman, and child. I am one with all my family members and loved ones. I am one with all that is. And see, sense, and feel yourself connecting heart to heart, high heart to high heart, cosmic heart to cosmic heart, with every man, woman, and child, no matter who they are, no matter where they exist on the planet. We see everyone connected at the I am level as we all connect to the cosmic heart of all that is. As we proceed, we invite in for one and all. All of our soul extensions, planetary and galactic. All of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage, our ancestral lineage, all the generations past and forward. Our spiritual lineage, our soul families and soul pots. And I welcome at this time, for one and all, all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame, our ascension council and mission council. 
we welcome all the kingdoms, the plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the diva kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fairy kingdom, all of the kingdoms of nature, the whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, and all magical kingdoms. And we welcome all of the realms of the angels, from the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and seraphim, and all angelic healers and healing teams. We welcome the Ascended Masters, all of the Brotherhood of Light, and the Sisterhood of the Rays and Rose, the Order of Melchizedek, the Radiant Ones, all of the Aligned Masters, all Divine Mother Emissaries, and Divine Father Emissaries, all of the Planetary and Cosmic Hierarchy of Light, all Ascended Master Healers and Healing Teams. We welcome as well all of our friends in the Galactic Federation of Light. We welcome Lord and Lady Arcturus, the Arcturians, the Arcturian healing teams and healing technologies. Lord and Lady Sirius, the Syrian Archangelic League of the Light and their healing teams. Lord and Lady Pleiades, the Pleiadian Emissaries of Light and their healing teams. Lord and Lady Chiron and the Chiron healers. Lord and Lady Andromeda and the Andromedan healing teams. Lord and Lady Venus and the Venusian healing team. We have those beautiful golden Venusian healing teams to go to all those in areas of conflict, all those that are suffering throughout the world for any reason. And to deal with their trauma, to deal, to bring them peace, to bring them comfort. And we call forth all of the Cosmic Galactic Universal Healers, asking them all to be of service. And we welcome the assistance of the entire company of heaven, asking Mother, Father, God to overlight all that we do and magnify, magnify, magnify at 999 billion times, 999 billion times in alignment with divine will and divine law for one and all. Again, the maximum that we can receive individually and collectively to bring ourselves and this planet to perfection. We call forth all of the rays, all of the flames, all of the universal laws, all of the ascension ways. With every energy and frequency, every prayer and invocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation. We ask that it be received individually and collectively through every cell, chakra, meridian, layer of our orc field, multidimensionally, on a conscious, subconscious, superconscious level, and through every aspect of life easily and effortlessly to digest and, and assimilate, ground and anchor, integrate and embody all that we receive with the greatest of ease and grace and joy and peace and bliss and ecstasy, serenity and tranquility, balance and equilibrium, without resistance on any level, without discomfort on any level, without fear on any level, and love and light and laughter. Breathe and receive. We call in everyone and everything in our circle of support from the very first name that created it to every man, woman, and child. 
to every animal and pet, every family member and loved one, every friend, every neighbor, every community member, to each and every situation that we've ever placed in the circle of support, to each and every group and organization, business and corporation, institution, each and every nation, each military, each government. And as we blaze the violent flame and we see all the rays, all the flames, all the universal laws and essential waves just flooding everyone and everything, all of us and everyone on the, on the planet and Gaia herself in these energies. As we call forth for peace on earth, as we call forth for divine government, asking for the divine governance in each and every nation through the legislative aspect of each government, through each and every body that creates laws, each and every legislature and each and every uh, parliament here in the U.S., the U.S. Senate, the House of Representatives, and everyone working for them, and each state legislature, each city legislature, so all legislative bodies on national, state, and local levels in each nation, including all school boards and library boards and so on. As we call forth for each governing body to be led, especially by the violet ray, and the sapphire blue ray of divine government, divine order. And we call in Lady Liberty and we call in the goddess of justice to overlight each legislative body to ensure that only the highest and best takes place in every law that is being considered or enacted. That they all represent divine governance, divine government, divine justice, and divine law. And heaven on earth in every way. We ask for the same (coughs) excuse me, for the executive offices of each and every nation, every president, every prime minister, every head of state, every vice president, every um, aspect of the executive branch, each and every cabinet post in each nation, the cabinet members, um, all who work for the executive offices, especially the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of of the Justice Department in each and every nation. As again, we blaze the violet flame and the sapphire blue, asking for Lady Liberty and Lady Justice to overlight all decisions made by every leader of every nation, that they always have the highest and best in mind for all of their people. 
and that every decision is based on divine justice and divine law, divine governance, divine government, and heaven on earth. We ask the same for the judicial aspect of each government, the highest court of the land in each and every nation, the Supreme Court, and all of its decisions for this year here in the U.S., and the highest court of the land in each and every nation, in each and every uh, international court, as well as each and every judge and jury, each and every grand jury, each defendant, each prosecutor, each court case, each court decision, asking for only the highest and the best decisions to take place that reflect divine justice and divine law, as we call forth the goddess of justice and the goddess of liberty to ensure the highest and best decisions take place in each court decision that, again, reflect divine justice, divine law, divine governance, divine government, and heaven on earth. We call forth for all of the climate changes and the weather patterns to come into balance and perfection and that everything on earth come into balance and harmony. Every area of conflict, of violence, may love and compassion fill those areas as we call in once again all the rays, flames, universal laws, and ascension waves. And we ask that every man, woman, and child through their I am presence truly understand who they are as a divine being and what they came here to do and what their puzzle piece is for creating heaven on earth. And that everything fall into place based on the divine plan for each and every nation and each and every person. As we take this time to hold the perfection of heaven on earth, holding Gaia in her pristine beauty, holding everyone in love and abundance and peace and harmony and joy and perfect health. So we invite in all of the energy that people are paying attention to different things at this time, including and especially this lunar eclipse full moon here today. As we ask for the energies and the blessings of this to permeate our work. And we call it all in into the collective cup of consciousness for the transformation of the planet. And we ask Gaia to receive all that we receive through her chakras and meridians and layers of her work field multidimensionally and through every molecule of soil, molecule of air, molecule of water, molecule of fire, through her ley lines and song lines, through the grid system, the love grids, the light grids, the unity grids, all the multidimensional grid systems. 
and Strawberry Portal and Vortex and Monument and Sacred Side and Place of Power, every Stargate, every City of Light. As we continue up the spiral of evolution along with Mother Gaia, and she takes her rightful place as Freedom Star. So again, visualizing the beautiful rose pink and gold frequencies in and around us, in and around the planet, and everyone upon this planet. We call forth for the highest purification that we can receive individually and collectively of the violet flame and all the flames. As we ask for the again the highest clearing and cleansing and purification and sanctification of every cell and fiber of life within ourselves and within all life. Through the law of invocation, we say. Bless me now with sacred flame. Transmute all fear, discord and pain. Forgive all death, both old and new. Blaze the fire through all I do. Beloved presence within, free my life, strife, and sin. May mercy fill this heart of mine to bless all life forms with its shine. Charge the mighty holy fires through all my lower self-desires. Cleanse my mind and temple space so I may live in joy and grace. Angels come and set me free. Clear my vision. Help me see. Alchemize the powerful shift. Veils of matter dissolve and lift. Drench the earth in fine light. Empower all people with its might. The global shadow now consumes with this brilliant cosmic plume. Liberation come at last. Transmuting fire and go the path. Purify all karmic vows. Transform limitation now. Compassion flood through every soul. Bonding us as one great hope. Hearts are healing. Loves renew. Blessing all with peace imbued. As I go about my day, charge these words that I now say. I am a torch of sacred flame, ending separation state. So be it, and so be it. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Take a nice deep breath. And as we say these, we say these for one and all, ourselves and every man, woman, and child. 
is one heart consciousness. And we affirm, I am a pillar of peace. I call upon the light of peace to bless my life with grace and ease. Shine this light within my mind so inner stillness I can find. Spirit of the Cosmic, Om, fill me with your sacred tone. In blissful music so profound, dissolve me now into your sound. Purify my life and field. Let my being be fully healed. May my stillness now increase. As my heart is filled with peace, I am blazing light divine, a pillar of peace within my spine. That's the golden light. Spread that golden light. I transform the souls I see with the love that flows through me. Constant calm is now my way. Expanding every single day. Like a rock of strength. Holding firm at any length. Angels come and share your mind. Increase the peace upon the earth. Show us how to heal all our conflicts now for real. Peace is blessing every soul, calming, grounding, taking hold, shining through our divine core. May it last forevermore. Please join me in saying, let peace prevail. Let peace prevail. Let peace prevail. And so it is. I received uh, a text from my friend Linda uh, that comes from a Facebook post by Peter Sterling, posted today. October 28th, 2023, a prayer for peace. Now, Linda works for uh, Pentecostal Robos, <clears throat> and I thought we would use this prayer for peace. <clears throat> so we've got, we've called on everyone to work with us. And so we gather in humble unity. Beloved Mother, Father, Son, seeking your divine guidance and blessings for our world. In a world marred by conflict and suffering, we pray for peace, harmony, and universal love to prevail. May the negative forces 
that drive wars and divisions be overcome by the power of compassion and understanding. Grant us the strength to stand together, hand in hand. Transcending boundaries and differences. May humanity's collective heart be filled with empathy and kindness so that the suffering in all corners of the world may cease. Let your light shine upon those in pain, offering solace and healing. We pray for the leaders of all nations to be instruments of peace. For the wisdom to choose diplomacy over aggression. And for the courage to build bridges where there are walls. May they work tirelessly for the well-being of all promoting the common good and nurturing a world where love knows no bounds. Guide us, O Lord, to be peacemakers in our own lives. So sow seeds of understanding, tolerance, and forgiveness. Let us be beacons of hope and love, inspiring change one heart at a time. In your boundless grace, help us find the path to universal love, where we see our shared humanity in every person we meet. Let this prayer for world peace be a catalyst for transformation so that together we may usher in an era of harmony and unity. Amen. And so it is. Take a nice deep breath as we anchor this in and anchor all of our work individually and collectively for a while. And we affirm the golden light of peace, eternal peace, and infinite abundance fill us and surrounds us. I am invoking the golden light of God's abundance and eternal peace on behalf of myself and everyone, especially every light worker who is involved with establishing the patterns of perfection for the new earth in the physical plane. 
I know through every fiber of my being that my mother, father, God, and the company of heaven are supporting us and offering financial sustenance as a gift of love. I know this is transpiring with the highest good of all concerned right here and right now. Breathe and receive as we say moment by moment and day by day. Everything I need to fulfill my divine is available to me through God's infinite abundance and eternal peace. The universal laws ask and you shall receive and knock and the door will be opened. Our manifest in my life now and forever. I revel in the buoyancy and elation of my newfound freedom and God's infinite abundance. The company of heaven rejoices with me as I reclaim my divine birthright and accept my eternal peace and the God, God of supply of all good things. We give thanks for this as we say, so be it and so it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Through all levels of my consciousness, I now decree. Feel free to say this with me as we say this for ourselves and for all humanity. I am, I am, I am the eternally sustained manifestation of God's infinite supply of money and every good thing I require to assist me in my service to the might now made manifest and sustained by Holy Grace. I am, I am, I am the eternally sustained manifestation of God's infinite supply of money and every good thing I require to assist me in my service to the light now made manifest and sustained by holy grace. I am, I am, I am the eternally sustained manifestation of God's infinite supply of money and every good thing I require 
to assist me in my service and life. Now made manifest and sustained by holy grace. In deep love and appreciation for my glorious life, I consecrate my heart and soul to be the open door for the patterns of perfection from the causal body of Mother, Father, God until the new earth is fully manifest and all life evolving here is wholly ascended and free. It is done, and so it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Take a nice deep breath. And see that golden energy of eternal peace and infinite abundance flooding through everyone and everything, every molecule of life, permeating every molecule, transforming every molecule, transforming this planet and all upon her. filling everyone with a sense of peace that goes beyond any understanding. Every person's mind, heart, every person's body permeating with peace. as we see the world transformed, as we feel peace pervading, prevailing in every heart, filling every soul and ensuring all people's needs are taken care of on every level of beingness, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual everyone transformed into their divine presence and extending only love and only light to And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We ask this to be sealed in the highest frequencies of love and light. On this sacred day, May powerful transformation take place for one and all, individually and collectively, for everyone across the planet. And may peace prevail on earth. May peace prevail on earth. May peace prevail on earth. And so it is. Thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone. 
we seal this work and we can ask it to be magnified into one order individually and collectively. We thank you for your divine service. We thank you for your willingness to be a bridge between heaven and earth and the golden age and the open door that no one can shut for all of these divine frequencies. We ask you to join us for further divine service every Sunday and Monday evening. Although tomorrow is likely going to be a shortened call. So in the circle of support, it's my husband who's having surgery on Monday. Uh, right, um, right knee replacement. And so um, we do have to be at the hospital at 5 a.m. So in any case, um, it's going to be uh, an early, early, early search of the day. There might be a short call tomorrow. But generally, we start at 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time and um, have about 25 minutes of greeting. So that would be 5.45 Pacific Time. Then we have Tarn Rama join us for a brief update. And then at 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific Time, we start our meditation in earnest. And uh, so at that at that time, we begin our our visualizations, our meditations, and our invocations, and uh, our prayer work and our our updates. Uh, we'll have some updates for this um, on our class here tomorrow. And so we hope that you'll join us at the teleconference call if you haven't been on before. And our main number is area code 480-660-2224, 480-660-2224. The access code is 946-7441-POUND, 946-7441-POUND. There are other numbers. There are local numbers that you can dial. There are international numbers. There's... Uh, an app, and you can also get out through the computer. If you need that information, I can send you the numbers and the, and the links and whatever. Uh, just contact me at uh, by email, shirocroche at com. So that's C-H-E-R-Y-L-C-R-O-C-I at com. And I'll get you that information and give you, make sure that you're linked up to the updates as well. And so I hope you'll join us and I hope you have a glorious, glorious full moon weekend. It was really beautiful last night. I did, did get to see it um, coming in out of the clouds here. And um, so may infinite transformation uh, fill your life and fill the planet. And may uh, blessings, may, may it be with, with grace and ease as well. And um, may magic and miracles fill every moment. And we'll see you on tomorrow night's call. So with that, I'm going to pass the talking stick. And blessings of infinite abundance and eternal peace. Uh, and we give, well, let's give thanks to um, Tower Rama for their service and Rainbow for, their, for her service. If we pass the talking stick to, to Rainbird first and to Torin Rama, again, feel the glory, glory, energy of 
eternal peace and infinite abundance and um, the rose pink of divine love and every frequency we could possibly need at this time. Uh, so with love and gratitude, I, I pass the talking stick to you, Rainbow. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I'll take that talking stick. And we thank you for your divine service as well. So much gratitude. Uh, so I'm here for the housekeeping as we are a listener-supported radio program. It's all of us that make it happen. And uh, each week we have expenses with the radio uh, for their services, and we also contribute to Tara and Rama's needs as well. So let's start with the radio. Um, we still need four dollars and twenty-two cents for completing the first week of October, and then for the next three weeks, it's $305 a week, or $9 a week, I can't remember which. Anyway, it comes out to, uh, yeah, $9 a week. So it comes out to $931.22 that we need to complete this month of October. Um, so here's how we do it. We go into our heart space and see what it is ours to give. And then go to bbsradio.com. And there on the homepage, you'll see the schedule for Radio Station 1 and Radio Station 2. As you look at the schedule for Radio Station 2, you'll see this program, The True History, Hersey, and Missera, and Our Galactic Origins, listed at the 3.30 hour. And as you click on the icon that is there, that'll take you directly to our account with BBS Radio, where you can make a donation using your bank card in any amount. So thank you for taking that action. Thank you for your generosity. We also have two other programs where you can access our account, and that is on Radio Station 1 at the 8 o'clock hour on Thursdays and on Fridays. The Thursday program, and these are central times, uh, is a night at the round table with the panel. And you can click on that icon there. It takes you to our account. And then on Fridays, the hard news on Friday nights with Tara and Rama at the 8 o'clock hour. And you, you can click on that icon there, and that takes you to our account. So that's how you access where to send your money. And thank you, thank you, thank you for taking that action. Paying it forward like that, may you receive many blessings in return. A thousandfold. <laughs> so, uh, lots of gratitude. And so, this week for Tarn Rama, uh, we need $300 for bills and $250 for their living expenses. They have no money and no gas at this point. So they are asking for emergency funds to be able to put gas in the car and buy a little bit of food. And so if somebody could so generously send them $50, that would be just absolutely wonderful and necessary. (laughs) So let's make that happen and go into your heart space and see if that's you. And so what else? Um, Here's how we um, access the PayPal account for Rainbow Roundtable. And you go to the web address, rainbowroundtable.net. 
information there on the home page. You'll see near, on the right-hand side a donate link. Click on that, and that takes you to our account with uh, PayPal. And then as you have the just the menu grid there, you're on another device. Click on that menu grid, and at the bottom of the menu, you'll see the donate link. And as you click on that, that'll link you to our PayPal account, the Rainbow Roundtable PayPal account. And uh, so there you go. That's how you how you access that account. And as you wish to use the friends and family option, you do you need to uh, put in this email address for gifting. And that email address is Coran K O R A N nine 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 at hotmail dot com. And that should link you to the gifting option and eliminate the commercial charges and we are all friends and family so thank you for taking that action either way is perfect we're grateful for all your contributions um and let let us know what you sent and when you sent it so rama's email for that is koran999 at comcast.net so that's three nines and it's koran with a k and uh, comcast.net, you'll get it there. And so also, we have the mailing address as you need it, like to send some money tonight. That mailing address is Rom D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 280-280. And that's in Santa Cruz. New Mexico, where the zip code is 87567. And I'll say it again, Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. So there you have it, all the information. And uh, thank you for all the ways that you show up in your lives. Thank you for taking this action and assisting Tara and Rama. Um, and... Uh, yeah, $250 for their personal need, $50 in is that part is emergency, and then $300 for bills and review. That's what they needed this week. So thank you for taking that action. Thank you for assisting with the BBS radio bill. They need to, they need their money just as much as anybody. <laughs> so we're grateful that we can honor them in that way and be timely about these payments. Uh, so, 13 thank yous and honey in the heart. Long life, no evil. And I'm passing this talking stick. And it, it definitely has that infinite abundance and eternal peace aspect to it. And all the rays and the healing rays and all the healing gemstones. And then a whole bunch of fairies and feathers. And they're still all, all playing with candy corn. And uh, <laughs> those... Those kinds of things. Apparently, it's not as bad for you if you're in another dimension. So, uh, and they do specify they like those marshmallow things with the coated sugar on the colored sugar on it. I don't think they're allergic to the same things that we are when it comes to food color. But anyway, there's dragons and unicorns coming this time, and they're all about business. That Excalibur Sword of Truth is there. And all the angels in the race. So greeting Tara and Rama. Here comes this talking stick. It's a little spooky. 
Greetings, one and all. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Happy full moon, lunar eclipse. Happy Halloween, Samhain. Well, that's in a couple more days. Yes. It's the it's the meeting of the two worlds. Yes. Where the veil is the thinnest between that and Beltane, going from spring to summer. And now we're going from autumn to winter. In a sense, Rama was saying, yeah, we're really getting into the winter weather after this. Yeah. Depends on where you live. Well, Rainbird said another day or two, right? And then the weather's going to really shift. Happy Halloween, right on time. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, but it's pretty balmy for this time of year around here. It's about to shift, is what they're saying. That's what they're saying, but. Yeah. I just, um, you know, the trick or treaters down there in Santa Fe, they were all bundled up. Scarves and boots and mittens and everything else. I was Halloween. 64 today in Santa Fe. I know, 64. That's yeah. pretty outrageous. I wouldn't think that was outrageous if we were living like in Houston, you know. Mm. <laughs> but because we're just uh, 7,000 feet up and a bit north of that, to say the least. I am glad to be here. And you want to say what well, a little bit? Oh, the judge orders Ivanka. Ivanka. um to, to testify in her father's fraud case. And she's going to have to testify against him. This is going to be a scene. We'll see what happens, won't we? Yes, place to violent fire. We are living in a very transformative time. I heard today on the astrology show Moonwise... They were talking about Venus and Pluto, and Pluto, like I've been talking about, is the king of the underworld, or Hades. We are looking, you know, walking through Mordor right now, which is not pretty. Everything that's uh, dead or undead is being brought to light. I heard today, twice... We're on BBC News and on a German station on the website, radiogarden.com. Mr. Erdogan, President Erdogan of Turkey, has come, come out and condemned Netanyahu and said, you are a war criminal. That's will, huge. That's really big. You will be held accountable for the genocide in it's Gaza. Just that Turkey's Erdogan is the pot calling the kettle black. And this, you know, the 13 families know the time's up because the Galactic Federation, Lord Michael's fleet, St. Germain's fleet, I don't even know how to go into this story, but it's like, in a sense, Battlestar Galactica, if you remember that, 13 colonies. Thousands and thousands of ships. 
And, oh, my God, millions. This is a big story, and it's happening right now in our midst. What's the story? Earth is the center of the show for the local galaxy Milky Way. Because it's ascending. Because it's ascending. Only as the 33rd planet of tens of billions of planets could be up to 100 billion planets. It's a big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal. But that's just for this local galaxy. Yeah. The fourth quadrant of it. Yes. So how many quadrillions of planets are there, you know? Gazillion, trillion, I don't know. Data would know, I'm sorry. Last night we saw the... If you look it up (laughs) on on Google... (laughs) I have to just laugh because my conscious mind goes into the realm of the quantum field. Nassim talked about it last night. And, you know, Data might know something like that. That is good AI that they created in that fictional story. But I could also say the Galactic Federation does have amino acid ships. I mean, computers, some of the ships are run completely by amino acids, like us. There's no humans on it. And, um, oh my, that's a whole nother story. (laughs) I passed the talking stick. Anyway, that uh, mayor, is it? Yeah. Maine's, uh, let me see here. Hold on just a second here. Yeah, Maine's Representative Golden, Democratic, Democrat, now backs assault weapons ban after what happened in Lewiston with the shooter. And I think we said it last night that he was found last night dead, very near to this, uh, place he used to work in Maine. He had gotten into an unlocked one of those uh, big boxes. Oh, it's, yeah. Well, I forgot what you call them, but. They used to be called. Um, um. <laughs> they just, they stored lots of stuff. Like they said, the one storage containers that can be lifted with a forklift or a crane onto a ship and taken. Yeah. Oh, I guess. Yeah. Huge metal storage containers. Yeah. I'm just gonna say that um, people have taken those and made tiny homes out of them and magical stuff. Yeah, well, that's not what was going on here. This was just... Oh, I know. I think (laughs) the one he was in was filled with metal. I mean, that's weird. This was a man that was MK Ultra Blaze, the Violet Fire. It was an unlocked box trailer. They found the body last night there. Yeah, 
And he used to work at that company which had that unlocked box trailer where he got in there. This is very, very sad stuff. Um, And, I mean, still and yet was Erdogan saying that about Netanyahu. Ooh, that's very makes it very hot in the kitchen right there in that same neighborhood. Yeah, because Erdogan is part of the UN. Yeah, he said, "I'll see you in see you in World Court." In World Court, that's what he said. Yeah, and place uh, violent fire. Oh, they also found a note in the uh, you know the killer's house. And the note was one of a person writing it that um, he was not going to be around when the note was found. So he left his note ahead of time, you know, before he went out and did what he did. And again, Gaza Strip is getting pummeled with Israeli airstrikes and shelling. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, IDF is, uh, has warned civilians to get out of the way, to move south. Last warning, are you fair game? Yeah, they're having something, some uh, words and uh, military uh, ground attack preparations between Hezbollah and... Uh, the Israeli uh, uh, I guess forces, military forces up there, that's right up there near the northern Gaza border there. Hundreds of thousands of people from Gaza are have completely lost their homes and there was, as we listened to last night on Amy, this one man lost all these family members and extended family members, and he was really hurt himself. But he was able to speak on that show. It, 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 yeah. This is a difficult thing. Yet Rama keeps encouraging us. You might say. Uh, yeah, all of Gaza is under an internet and a phone blackout. People, I heard that... No access to the internet, no access to telephone service. I heard that maybe people connected with the UN and rescue teams had satellite phones. I heard that on BBC News. Oh, that overrides that problem. And I don't know... What to say about this? Well, at the same breath, the United Nations also said that this uh, situation with the... They've already started Israeli military are on the ground in Gaza. That it... uh, The UN has warned catastrophic consequences to this action. Call in the Galactics, please, everyone. Okay. Rama's going to start. Let's start. We're going to play... This is... um A message from the Galactic Federation. Mass ascension is just around the corner. (laughs) Well, it's Aurora Ray's uh, spokesperson. 
It's called The Unbelievable is Coming. The Galactic Federation Mass Ascension is Just Around the Corner. That's the whole title. Here we go. Seven minutes and two seconds. <laughs> Moments away from Mass Ascension. longing for something greater, an extraordinary path unfurls before us. The Galactic Federation, a celestial presence in the vastness of space, has unveiled its majestic plan, an extraordinary event called Mass Ascension. Prepare yourself for a remarkable journey where spirituality and science blend in a wondrous dance. The Federation, like the maestros in a symphony, orchestrates this transcendent phenomenon. With their mystical wisdom and advanced technology, they create a cosmic tapestry ready to illuminate every aspect of our being. A threshold awaits us in the boundless cosmos, calling us to awaken our divine potential. As mass ascension approaches, the anticipation electrifies our souls. We prepare ourselves not with trepidation, but with a deep knowing that we are on the cusp of an extraordinary transformation. The celestial energies that will wash over us are a divine gift, an invitation to embrace our highest potential. A new era dawns in the wake of the mass ascension. Humanity, infused with cosmic consciousness, radiates love, compassion, and wisdom. The limitations of the past dissolve, giving rise to a collective awakening. We step into a world where harmony reigns and the boundaries of what is possible expand with every breath. The Galactic Federation's vision for mass ascension is not a mere flight of fancy, but a testament to the boundless potential that lies within each and every one of us. As we surrender to the cosmic embrace, we embrace our own magnificence, for we are stardust imbued with the essence of eternity. In the wake of mass ascension, a new dawn breaks upon the horizon of our collective existence. Like radiant beacons, we embody the transformative energies bestowed upon us, illuminating the world with our awakened consciousness. The old paradigms crumble beneath the weight of our limitless potential, giving birth to a society where love, compassion, and harmony flourish. No longer confined by the chains of fear and limitation, we soar on the wings of our expanded awareness. We navigate the intricate tapestry of existence with grace and purpose, guided by an inner compass that aligns our actions with the highest good. The barriers that once separated us dissolve, and we recognize the divinity that dwells within each soul. United by a shared vision of unity and peace, we co-create a world that reflects the harmony of the cosmos. In this celestial dance, we honor the earth as a sacred sanctuary, nurturing and protecting the precious tapestry of life that weaves its vibrant threads throughout the planet. Our hearts beat in sync with the rhythmic pulse of the universe, and our actions serve as catalysts for profound transformation. As the tendrils of our awakened consciousness reach out to the stars, we become ambassadors of cosmic harmony. We embrace our role as custodians of the galactic family, extending our love and wisdom to other civilizations that adopt the cosmos. Through interstellar alliances and shared knowledge, we weave a grand tapestry of intergalactic unity. 
The journey of mass ascension is not merely a singular event, but an ongoing process of spiritual evolution. We continue to delve deeper into the recesses of our inner cosmos, exploring the infinite depths of our being. Each moment becomes an opportunity for growth and self-discovery as we embody the essence of our divine heritage. To partake in this cosmic celebration, we must attune our minds through mindful meditation. In the stillness, we shed the burdens of everyday life, embracing the cosmic energies that envelop us. We quiet the noisy thoughts and connect with the sacred forces that guide us. As we explore our inner realms, guided by wise mentors, we uncover the mysteries of our existence. Through focused reflection, we tap into the secrets of our souls and unlock the hidden truths that lie within us. We discover the vastness of our own inner universe, expanding our understanding of life and purpose. In the depths of meditation, we unravel the essence of our being, like explorers venturing into uncharted territories. With each breath, we dive into the ocean of consciousness, discovering pearls of wisdom that illuminate our path. The inner realm becomes a canvas where the brushstrokes of self-awareness paint a portrait of profound understanding. In this sacred communion, we become attuned to the cosmic symphony that resonates throughout the universe. We perceive the interconnectedness of all things as if the threads of existence weave us into an intricate tapestry. The barriers of separation dissolve and a sense of unity pervades our consciousness. We realize that we are but droplets in the boundless ocean of existence, intimately connected to the cosmic dance of creation. In this extraordinary odyssey, we are called to unleash our cosmic potential, transcend the limitations of the mundane, and embrace the extraordinary. The universe, in all its splendor, beckons us to step boldly into the unknown, to venture beyond the frontiers of what we once believed possible. Dear ones, as we conclude this exploration of mass ascension, let us carry the flame of this transformative vision within our hearts. Let us embark on this sacred journey of self-realization, each step guided by the brilliance of our awakened consciousness. The cosmic symphony awaits, and the cosmic dance of ascension invites us to join its majestic rhythm. Together, we shall weave a tapestry of love, unity, and cosmic wonder that will resonate throughout the galaxies. The cosmic saga continues, and our destiny unfolds in the boundless cosmic embrace. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. We are the Galactic Federation. Aho. This is a message to humanity from Aurora Ray, Ambassador of the Galactic Federation. Are you ready for ascension is the question I see at the end of every one of Aurora Ray's reports. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm open. I'll just say that I think this is the first time that we're crossing all kinds of boundaries among people where people are just 
uh, in general, they're exhausted and uh, they don't want to go through another war. I don't mean that. I mean, the globe is watching what's going on in the Middle East and it's not fun. No. No. And that's really good that Erdogan called him out. And then everybody needs to call everybody out. These leaders are not on the up and up. None of them. But we the people have something to say. And Meg Benedict has something to say today. The title of her program here is An Hour and 38 Minutes. Light Body Summit Replayed. Replay. The Star Seeded Divine Human. That's the title. The Star Seeded Divine Human with Meg Benedicta. I guess we'll just without further ado, we'll start. Here we go. who is going to share an activation with us, but we're also going to talk about Zeptepi and the star-seeded divine human, the 12 root races that created our planet. It's really fascinating, and I want to welcome back Meg Benedicte. Thank you for being here, Meg. Welcome. Thank you, Loren. Always great to connect with you and everyone who's joining us today. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. Wow, so um, you are one of many in this year and actually years prior, a growing desire to visit Egypt. Can you, as we start here, let's start with uh, how you heard that call yourself, um, why you felt the importance of that, and yeah. what that was like. Seems like everyone's going to Egypt. I, 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 I'll look everywhere on Facebook. Everyone I know is going to Egypt. So it's a, a big year, I think. And can you imagine if time stood still in that place? We would be with everyone. Definitely <laughs> weaving the energies, aren't we? It's just spectacular. All right, tell us. Okay, so I'm going to go way back to about 30 years ago when I had my spiritual awakening and... I started having visitations with Archangel Metatron and beginning to learn his method in a way it was my human self was learning the method because my soul already knew how to do the method, but it was uh, working in uh, a quantum vortex, which is basically kind of like an anti-gravitational device. What it does is it unlocks us from the the linear time the the particle field uh that we are all born into and kind of uh locked into and so what it did is it allowed me to start to kind of time jump and move in and out of different uh realities different timelines different realms 
And so I would like lose hours. I some weekends, you know, it was just be gone. I'd be going to trance state and drop in and, and learn, you know, just observe and learn and, and gain more understanding. And one of the places I kept getting pulled to was Zeptepi Egypt. I had no idea what this was, never had heard of it, but, uh, I, I, I just, immerse myself into that that timeline to, to well my soul kept pulling Metatron my soul kept pulling me there so I realized okay maybe there's some significance to this I don't understand it yet but let me just see what's happening there and it was somewhat like kind of like a, a Star Wars movie opening because it was all it was a civilization of all these different star beings you know they all looked different and they had different characteristics and they um but they were all in a collaborative community together and i'm thinking this is wild what is this and so the more that i watched i saw that they were uh, organizing with the angelic guardians so this is why metatron is really you know interested in this timeline and i began to realize i was also there <clears throat> at that time but coming in more as a uh, uh, angelic spiritual being not physically you know i wasn't there uh, incarnated i was working from the other side so but what I began to observe is that they were creating this new human prototype and by, in a way, weaving together what the 12 different root races were combining. And when we talk about 12 root races, we're talking about the multiverse. This is not just, you know, Pleiades or Sirius in this little Orion belt, you guys. This is, they're coming from other universes to, and in a way, create this kind of experimental new human prototype. So I don't even know the names of all of them, but I can see that they were very advanced and they were, um, they were fueled by light consciousness. And so when they began to, kind of star, star seed this prototype it was fascinating to watch this new human it's because we're here in a very dense particle field right we're in matter you know our atoms are dense and hard uh, uh and and locked in they were not they were in a way kind of this dynamic morphing field that responded immediately to the consciousness that would run through it. And so it was shape-shifting constantly. It was fascinating to watch it. And I thought, my God, what happened from then to now where we're so dense, right? Or we aren't even, consciousness is barely even running through us at this point. And that was profound to me. That was like probably one of the reasons why I was drawn there was to see where we came from and where we are now, because what's happening on the planet is we're coming like a full circle to be able to ignite that or activate that or awaken that dormant code, uh, the Zeptepi prototype that is still in us. It's just been shut down, right? The density field just locks it in. So as I would 
pop over and drop into that timeline and begin to um, learn and observe and and see how it's going. It's hard to even know how old this is. Um, some some uh, historians are, you know, just theory at this point, 50,000, 100,000 years ago. We don't know. It's in at this point, it's almost kind of uh, a, a myth. But the fact that I would be able to literally pop into that timeline and observe it tells me it's more than just a myth. There's this is really ancient uh, earthly history. And so when so this is 30 years ago. So I'm I'm now kind of put on this this trajectory, right, pointed by Metatron and my higher self are like, okay, we have to get from there to here, right? We have to be able to bring this alive within us again. And this is part of what was my understanding of what we call the new earth, right? This is the new golden age. I would say that would be maybe the original golden age, you know, and this is where we have an opportunity to expand and access 5D quantum uh, possibilities and begin this process of awaking this within us. So I've known for three decades, I would at some point have to go to Egypt, but it never felt like the right time, right? And and, and I, every year, be going, oh, are we going? No, no, it doesn't feel right time. So last year, especially then, we're, you know, I'm just home for three years in the pandemic and nothing's happening at that point. But then last year, I started feeling like, okay, I think it's coming. I think it's, it's, and that's when, um, I, you know, how spirit guides us thinking, well, how am I going to get over there? What, how am I doing this? And I was, uh, uh, alerted to, uh, a tour that was taking place in, in April this year, led by a historian, Kathleen McGowan. I was very, excited to team up with her because she's one of the few who talks about Zeptepi. You know, most of what we call, you know, the spiritual or new age community, they are not talking about. They're not even aware of it. They're not looking at it, but she is. And so that's when I knew, okay, she's my guide. She's the one I need to go to because she will show me what I need to know and where I need to go to work with Metatron and open up these Zeptepi gateways again. And so that's how it came about, too. And I think it's interesting, too, uh, Loren, this year, because it is a seven year. So it is the year of the mystic. But it's also what I noticed while this actually this whole year I've been noticing. But especially when I was there in Egypt, especially when um, I, I led a retreat in Mount Shasta on the 777 gateway. And I'm beginning to see this year is so potent because we're kind of like we're laying in tracks, right? We're laying in foundation. We're putting everything in place. As we get ready to go to next year, which is an eight year, right? It's the year of abundance. It's the year of infinity. Like it's the year things are going to really pop. So for everybody who's listening, you know, no, this is kind of a, a foundational year around, you know, and getting things open and active and in place for what next year is going to um, bring through. So I thought it was very interesting that it was all the timing of it was this year. Yes. All right. Well, really fascinating that after 30 years, you <laughs> follow that call. And this illustrates the point that timing is everything. And so the conditions were set straight. Your guide was given to you. I mean, it all fell into place. Yeah. And so you mentioned the Zeptepi gateways. 
Wow. And that now they're open. Yeah. So I knew I was probably working the whole trip. I knew this was a really a vacation. You know, this is this is me following my own soul blueprint as a you know gatekeeper. And and I think because I was there present with the 12 tribes at the original seeding, the original civilization, I had like, think of it like kind of a key code that I could go and open the gates up again. So I knew this was new, this going in, but I didn't know how we were going to do it. So first day we arrive at the Sphinx in Cairo and go up to the, the, the Sphinx. I can, I can pull up the pictures if you like. I can show you. Let's see here. And, you know, so when we're talking, as you're doing that, when we're talking about the dormant um, Zeptepi codes, is this also related to our DNA that's coming online? Yes, because it is the uh, it is the 12 strand crystallized DNA of the 12 tribes seeded races that's been dormant. And that's what's waking up now. It can now we have a chance to really light it up um, because this has all been tucked away. You know, this has all been uh, um, in a way the two realms have been not connecting. So when I first got there, that's when they're saying, you're going to start to open up these, these kind of interdimensional gateways. So now the two realms can begin to interact, right? We can actually start to access the the Zeptepi energies that are flowing now through the gateway into our timeline, into into our earth plane. So when I first started at the Sphinx, I began to, so there's a lot of hieroglyphs in, in this granite here, as you can see in the image. And I was just guided to go and so whatever key codes I have from being there originally locked in to the hieroglyphs and all of a sudden I saw kind of like a sliding door open and on the other side was the Zeptepi uh, realm and I was like okay it's real it's here we just started opening the energy and it just blasted out I mean I'm gonna have to tell you it really was too much um it was it was like you know a tidal wave hit me it was so strong and so when we uh, work with these energies in a bit, um, we're going to take it nice and gentle, okay, because this thing just blew my circuits. It blasted me out. I had extreme vertigo and vomiting the whole time because I was uh, bridging the two realms, right? And I was just trying to hold the gates open and bridge the two realms. So now they're flowing in uh, at a much, uh, I think it was almost maybe like, you know, the, the gate was closed for so long, the pressure was building up. And so when it opened, it just went, just blew through. So we started at the Sphinx and then we went to the, uh, let me see here. He's a pyramid the next day. Okay, that's not what I want here. Giza Pyramid. Okay, there I'm at the Sphinx. Then we went to the Giza Pyramid. We went into the King's Chamber, which is deep inside into the pyramid and began opening. And that was interesting. That was more of almost like, like golden uh, plates opening underneath into the catacombs of the pyramid and opening up to the Zeptepi realm that way. Um, wow. Then from there, we went to 
Ed Fu and the uh, this is the uh, Horus Temple. And what's fascinating about Edfu is, and this is where Kathleen really helped me because she was able to uh, explain that. Let's see here. I'm trying to. I don't know why this isn't working. I'm pulling up everything. Um, oh goodness, that's not what I want. Hold on, you guys. I'm having a. Walked into the Horus Temple. This is kind of the main entry uh, when you come in. If you look at the top of the ceiling up here, these are engravings. And from ancient history, they called the 12 root races, they called them the primordials. Primordials. I can say that word right. Primordials. And you can... Let me get a closer look. So this is where we already have evidence of these creator gods that came here from the other universes. They called them the primordials, and they began to seed this new uh, divine human race. And this was at the temple of Horus and Edfu. Then from there, um, what I do want to show you was the fine. Oh, here is at uh, Philae, which is the Isian temple, and opening. I was working on opening up the gates there at because uh, the Isis lineage is so powerful in what's coming into the planetary field right now with the divine feminine. Right, this is the Isis Magdalene lineage opening up for us. Um, so this was at Philae at the Isis temple. Then we ended up at the ancient Osirian. This isn't even open to the public. This is one of the reasons, too, why I wanted to go in with a tour, because she had private viewing, and we were able to spend a couple hours here. This is this is the original we call Zeptepi Temple. And, and if you have heard about the Assyrian, you would also hear that etched into. So if you look at the central slab right in the center there, that's the gateway. That's the, the Zeptepi Gateway. And embedded... Literally laser etched into the slabs of granite is the flower of life geometry. And this is where they think this could be easily uh, a thousand years, a hundred thousand years ago. And how did laser etching happen <laughs> in a hundred thousand years ago? This, is, this brings up a lot of uh, questions. And how did they know about the flower of life? And that that's the template of creation in our universe. Like, how did they know this? This is the fractal extension of Metatron's cube. So uh, I, um, somewhere in here, I had a picture of me at that slab where you could actually see. I'm not seeing it now. Um when we when we connect in, I want everyone to kind of get an idea of this in their minds. This is what we're going to connect into is this gateway, this Zeptepi gateway of the Assyrian. All right. When you were there, did you feel as if you walked that land before? Yes. 
It was, I, it was, um, actually I was in kind of a, a trance state the whole time. I was like in, in, in there and here at the same time. And if you uh, look over to, let me bring this side up. If you look over here, underneath this granite boulder is an opening and you go inside the temple. And it's, it's a, it's a room that on the wall are a lot of carvings and one of the big carving is of Metatron. And so we went into, we went inside after, um, I worked on, uh, opening the gate there at, at the granite slab with the flower of life. We went inside and there's probably about 30 of us and we formed a circle. Kathleen asked me if I would, you know, lead the, the group in an activation. And so we were starting to tune into the, the, these new Zeptepi energies that are coming through the gateways. And all of a sudden, I ducked because Metatron flew right in, wing full wingspan, went into the center of the circle, and the energies were astounding. And mm. he helped open up the gate inside the temple as well. And it was, again, it was kind of like those gold plates opening, and it went down stairs into the other uh, realm of the Zeptepi civilization, and all these different star beings started walking up the stairs into the room with us, and I've never seen anything like it. Of course, this is me using my psychic brain to see all this. But it was such a, it was just such a, like a homecoming, you know. It was just such a, a, a celebration, and... And being, I felt just like kind of being touched by the divine, like really feeling the power of it and being able to uh, honor what's my own uh, contribution, if you want to say, right? My own contribution to the activations. Um, I did want to share this one too. So I, I work in, uh, PowerPoints, Earth Chakra. So Egypt, uh, the Giza Pyramid is the throat chakra of the grid. And then I'm here in Mount Shasta and I go up to the top of the mountain and I did this a couple of days ago and, and weaving the, the PowerPoints together with the Zeptepi energy. So this is a Mount Shasta is the root chakra. So this is why I've been at Mount Shasta since 2012 is to ground in the new earth timeline where it really, uh, anchor in and ground in this awakening that's happening of the of the star seated uh prototype within us. Okay, I'm gonna stop sharing. That here. looked like a little dragon. I know it was, and it was growing right out of the tree world, which is the central uh vortex portal of the mountain. I know it does look like a little dragon. It's protecting the portal. <laughs> exactly. All right. Um this is amazing and I could feel the energy. I know we can all, we're all, we're all receiving the energy. It's a transmission just hearing you talk. When you look at the, it was at the Assyrian temples, the Zeptepi, the Assyrian temples, the, it seems like it's sunken. Well, yeah, well, sand yeah. has come up and been built or blown sand around it. Yeah. Have you, contemplated how deep that is that's like so old and so original i think there really are catacombs underneath that i also think like giza pyramid that's not the original pyramid right there that's been built on top of other uh structures from way back so when i when i am in the giza pyramid psychically i can see there's there's layer there's like levels below it there's quite a bit below it as well yeah it's it's so 
maybe we need to go into a little bit of the story before Egypt. Um, we, we know about Lemuria and, and Atlantis. And how does this all relate? How does the timeline relate to Lemuria and Atlantis? I guess when that was all shifting and going through their collapse or demise? Way before Atlantis and Lemuria. This, this was way before? Yeah. Wow, see that's kind of new. I don't know how how many of us know that actually. That's way more kind of taught that it's All right, so it's the foundation of the earth. Well, it's definitely the foundation of the human race. Let's call it that. Um it's it's the original, let's say visitation of star beings here or creator gods here to start a human race. Um Wow. And it's, and it's, you know, they're coming from a 12 dimensional multiverse and they're bringing in their 12 seeds, let's say, you know, that formed the, the 12 crystalline DNA of this original, uh, 12 dimensional human prototype. And we're here now, we're just three dimensions. Like this is not cool. <laughs> I mean, we, I want to, I want to go, I want to become that morphic field, right? You know, I want to be alive and, and literally like whatever is flowing through you, you're starting to mirror it. You know, you are this quantum uh, dynamic being. Uh, that's what I would love to experience before my time here is done on earth. Oh, you are on your way. All right. So let's go back to the energies that you felt there. Um, it's really fascinating. I've heard, I've heard, okay, because this is an awakening of the divine feminine that when women travel there and not just women, men as well, but when women travel there and they're in their, if they're clear and on point with no extra baggage, like Light body has been activated, um, dropping density has been taken care of, that they are, do I want to use the word drunk with the energy? Maybe, and maybe a bit, a little bit of, um, of, uh, uh, blowing circuits. It blows it, circuits. It does. It's overwhelming for, this is the first time like a human body has experienced these type of energies probably, you know, in a hundred thousand years. So my, uh, ooh, my body was like, whoa, what are you doing to me? It was really rough. And it, it took me like a month coming home to even integrate and be able to get back on my feet and, and feel strong again. It was overwhelming. Uh, it is so powerful. Good work. Thank you. <laughs> oh my God, I had no idea what I was getting into when I went there. I was like, all right, I'm trusting this is going to be okay. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, and so the dream space, when you were there, was there anything remarkable going on in your dream space? No, I was out. What, what was happening, though, is I was definitely operating at quantum level and that I could have both brains functioning at the same time. So I was able to see with my human eyes what was happening, where we're going, you know, the physical realm, and then see through my right brain and more of my psychic eyes so that I could see on the other side what was happening in that realm. So it was, for me, it was really a great experience of living both, you know, both brains, both particle wave state, right, full quantum 
in being able to and and to respond in every moment what's happening because it was a lot was happening um we were there at ramadan you know we were there in a very patriarchal religious country it's they did not like me okay so they're talking about bringing through the the more of the uh, embodied empowered feminine that was the no 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 i don't want any of that so it was very interesting kind of juxtaposed to again the contrast of where we came and then where we are right now. So the more that we are, you know, open and embodying this and, and living this, right. And, and, and just spreading it in the field. This is a, a part of our purpose here. Wow. Okay. I know you're going to lead a live activation so we can experience those energies but I guess my mental mind wants to ask, what do we do with this? And what have you, okay. you on task to do with this? Because we all want to step into it. So do we, and so now that we know that it's the original creation of the human form here on earth, oh my gosh, that's powerful. Before Lemuria, before Atlantis, yeah. that's the, the, the ancientness of this. Wow. What do we do? I always feel Atlantis, I could be wrong, but every time that I tune into the Atlantean timeline, I get pulled back, you know, just 26,000 years. So this is way older, way older. So, and also too, it felt like in the Atlantean timeline, yes, there were uh, alien races coming here, but they didn't all feel benevolent, right? It didn't feel like what I see with the, Zeptepi star seeded uh, 12 root races. They were all here with a very united focus, right, of, of, uh, of, of creator gods to birth alive, you know, with, with love and reverence and, and the crystalline consciousness to create this human prototype. So it had a very different vibe than what I always pick up in Atlantis. Uh, even when I was there in Egypt and I, and I would peer through, you know, kind of the, the jello wall or whatever you want to call it, you know, into the other side, into the, into the other realm, the Septepi realm, it was still magnificent, right? It was still glorious. It was still so high in its agenda and in its focus and in its energy. Um, it just felt like such a, extreme blessing to even be able to not just see it, but to be able to feel what that's like, because we don't, we don't have access to that here in the, in the lower 3d 40 earth plane at all. This is new. This is new energy. And this is, so what does it do? So, so I've been working with it since May, you know, since coming home and, and there's more coming. So of course it's just, you know, easing into it and, and observing it and watching what it's doing. So there's a couple of things that I, I'll share with you what I'm already noticing it's doing. One, if you are really resonant with it and you feel a connection to it, it will start to open up that memory in you, right? It will begin. So you're going to start to have possibly flashbacks or just feeling really drawn to it or so it's, it's cause this is all in you, right? It's all, it's all there. So it's going to, you will have more. Um, memory of that. I've been having people like the book client sessions with me because they saw, I just saw something that you did on Zeptepi and I had to connect with that. You know, so it's lighting people up, right? They're beginning to awaken to it and remember it. The 
Other thing that I noticed too, so you're bringing it into your body, right? You're bringing it into your chakra pillar, right? Into your light body, into your chakra pillar. One of the first things I noticed, and this probably was part of why I even didn't feel so great, it gets in and it's starting to purge the lower 3D human chakras. These are, you know, the root, sacral, and solar plexus. This is where we carry so much of our density, so much of our earthly trauma and memory. And so it just goes to town in there, right? You know, it's just beginning to really move. So it creates almost like a, a repelling, right? It starts to move that history. This is the earthly history in what we call, you know, the shadow matrix or whatever. It starts to move that out of you. It's the, um, I, I see things through, uh, the holographic realities. And so what's happening is we're shifting out of an old operating system, which is a hierarchy, right? Top down hierarchy, patriarchal operate. It's a power system. It's an imbalanced power system, a masculine dominant imbalanced power system that is slowly in demise, right? That is finishing, that is completing. And we're able to uh, shift into a parallel operating system on earth, what we call the new earth system. It's a, it's a circular collaborative community based system. No one is higher or lower than each other, right? It is a unification. It's unity consciousness, right? Unification, uh, new operating system. So we had to get into this new system to even birth alive a new Zeptepi, right? Because it's not going to ever happen in the old shadow matrix, right? You, that's why it's been hidden, right? You know, that's why it's been dormant. There was no way it was ever going to be able to uh, awaken again and arise again. And, and in my opinion, that hierarchical patriarchal Operating system is left over from Atlantis. You know, this is, this is like the, the, the debris, you know, that Atlantis left us, right? You know, it's this imbalanced power system. So as we shift from one to the other and get into this new earth system, into the newer timeline, it gives you the opportunity to rapidly accelerate your transformation. So that's how the Zeptepi energy is helping us. It's getting, getting in there and it's going to start to purge this energy, don't be surprised, you know, if you, you experience that and it could come out in lots of different ways, right? And it could be energetic or you could be running to the bathroom, you know, who knows how this is coming out, but it's going to start to move that, clear that out because what's happening is we're, as we rapidly transform, we, and these codes start to turn on, we're, completing with that 3D human chakra pillar. I've been noticing it. It fades. It starts to dissolve. It starts to departiculate. And in its place is your soul pillar, right? So we're not only migrating from one power system to another, but we're also migrating from the old 3D human chakra pillar that you were born into into this beautiful crystal soul crystalline pillar, even the old 3D human chakra pillar, you know, it looks like you can see it. It has like the really kind of dense, harsh, prime colors, right? Red, orange, yellow. This this soul pillar is crystalline pearlescent. It's gorgeous. And it's absorbing and it runs on your soul light and your home starlight. So this is uniquely yours. And once I got into the soul pillar and started living from it, everything changes. Everything improves. 
you're able to really immerse yourself in the new earth timeline now you're able to access the universal abundance because that other hierarchy system doesn't let us do that right so this is where you know people are saying i i have blocks on the abundance we'll get out of that old system it's not designed for us it's only designed for the controllers at the top right you have to get out of that system so you can begin to open up live in your soul pillar the other thing is i noticed the human chakra pillar is very very narrow right down the center of the body and it's so dense it's hard to even get any light into it but the soul pillar is actually bigger than your body it encompasses it's like think of it like your new container of light and as i got into it i was like holy moly okay all kinds of soul energy can come in now my soul gifts my soul wisdom like my abilities are getting stronger everything it's kind of like an incremental gradual expansion of your container and then more of your divinity can come in and power up. Also, I've been noticing with the Zeptefia energies that it's starting to pull the soul clusters together again. So, okay, so how do we extract? It's kind of almost like the geometry of Metatron's cube. You have the original God spark that fractally expands into 12, the circle 12, which all 12 extrapolate into 12, extrapolate into 12. So these are what's called soul clusters. And within a soul cluster is the same resonant frequency. So all in the soul cluster are, are, are vibrating to that unique same kind of energy signature or, or vibrational frequency. And We've been scattered all over the place. You know, some are in human form, some are in still in the, the spiritual realm. But what's happening is as you get into your soul pillar, right, you start living in the soul pillar. You're pulsing now your own soul's pulse of singularity, right? You're starting to, it's like you're, you're beeping out there, right? You know, and it's starting to pull the soul cluster together, which is exciting. Well, under the thing that I noticed as uh, I started to feel them here on Earth and I started to feel them around me. So, you know, it's going to be both. They're going to be in both realms. But as you're emptying out your human template, right, you're emptying out your char- your human chocolate pillar, right, you're starting to just kind of drop it all out and replace it with your soul light body, your soul pillar, and your own galactic divine presence in your soul pillar, we begin to connect and access our our soul clusters, unique divine feminine and divine masculine energies. And this is what I've been pulling inside me because up until this point, I was just kind of working with this kind of generic feminine and masculine, which was fine. It got me to where I needed to be, but it wasn't mine. And so as the soul clusters start to vibe right they're beginning to magnetize to each other starting to they're starting to pulse you can begin to bring in your divine your soul cluster divine feminine divine masculine they're mirrors of each other and they start to merge and blend and balance within your pillar so cool this is really exciting this is then then that even that unification of your Soul cluster, divine feminine masculine should start to pull them to you even sooner, right? Even stronger. Because now, now you're embodying it. Now you've filled your container with it. Now you're pulsing with it even stronger. 
Wow, yes, that is embodiment. Wow. We want to we shift. We want to shift. We want to live from that soul pillar. Okay, so as we live from that soul pillar, it's a consciousness. And this activation that you're going to do is help bring that more online. And then living from it is just being aware of this, remembering this. Um, well, it was an active step that I kept hearing my higher self and Metatron saying, get on your soul pillar. I was like, oh, because I, I could see it, but I was looking, you know, outside of it. I'm like, get on your soul pillar. I was like, okay, I'll be down. All right, this is a new step. <laughs> so as you are clearing and finishing, right, you know, and, and just kind of um, letting the human, you know, that old 3D human chakra pillar uh, fade out or erase out or, or kind of just dro- you know drop out or whatever. Continue to bring in your own unique soul light to you because you want to get this light body turned on, right? This is this is dormant. You want this is um, okay. We're talking about kind of holographic terms. Your light body is a hologram waiting in your field for you to turn it on. So as you're beginning to finish up with kind of the mindset of a human 3D mindset, right? You know, linear time and everything's dense and everything's separate from me. That's all the old system. So as you clear that out, you opening to more of your your own higher divine soul uh, mindset coming in, right? Beginning to see now through the eyes of the soul, being able to speak the truth of the soul, right? You're filling your heart space with more of your divine soul energy and all that combined will help you kind of step into your hologram of your light body and pillar. You begin to your own energy, your own focus, right? Your own commands. You're turning it on. You're lighting it up. Okay. Beautiful. It is the journey that we're on and getting rid of the old chakra system just getting out of that it's a mindset i love how you say it's a mindset it's a it's a holographic reality we were we've been born into it we don't have to stay in it think of it as that's kind of my 3d human reality that's my human mindset uh it's probably dominated by the ego you know you don't need to be in any of that anymore you do need to clear what's held in that um old chakra Right. You need to clear that. So that's part of the purging we're doing. And the Zeptepi energies will help you with purging that out. You're you're just kind of dumping it. You know, you're letting it go. You don't dump it into the field. You send it into I'll show you how to work with the vortex. You can send it to source lights. So you're transmuting all of what's left of your earthly history. Some of us have incarnated a lot. Some of us haven't. I've only been here a few times. But I, I came in as a walk into somebody else's history, which was quite significant and having to heal and clear that out again, going back to holographic terms. Think of it kind of like this is your human template. You're going to empty it and erase it. So it's neutral, right? It's blank. And then your soul fills into your human template. Lights oh. it up, turns on the light body, getting into your pillar. Sounds wonderful. And so before we start that activation, I just want to ask, so like still clearing out the chakras, still clearing out the density that could be in there. So if we get triggered and some other's energy are in our field, 
do we need to worry about clearing out those chakras anymore or will we naturally know when we're done and we can just activate and step into this soul pillar even more? That's a great question. So if you get triggered and triggering is actually a great way to alert you that you still have some charged energy in you, right? You know, it's, that's what I watched. Anytime I was triggered, oh, okay, I got some more of that. So let's say you're triggered, you know, maybe you feel betrayed or you feel violated, whatever is the trigger. Um, I, I use, I use Metatron's techniques. So I'll use the quantum vortex to start moving that away. All right. Ooh, I can feel all this coming in uh, alive in me, right? Uh, feeling betrayed, right? And so I, uh, and it's layers. So you start working off the kind of the, the mental, emotional trigger of feeling betrayed, right? You begin to move that energy out. And as you're working your way down, you start to get to the root cause of that betrayal. And that might be where you, you are sensing, you know, there was maybe something happened in your childhood or with your parents or in a past life. You know, this is where you start healing that original wound. So it's gone, right? It's done. It's, it's transcending. It's dissolving. This is, this is the healing process we're all going through. I feel the Zeptepi energies are helping accelerate that. So it doesn't have to be, you know, months or years of working on that wound, right? You can really get a good hit like, whoa, I felt really betrayed in this moment, let's say with my sister or my mother or however it worked, you know, my best friend or my, my, my boyfriend or husband, right? Whatever it is. And you can, you can keep the Zeptepi energies alive in you because that's what you're rising to, right? That's what you're transcending to. You're moving from 3D dense emotional triggering, right? To becoming this divine being that is you. So hold that as your, that's your, that's your goal. That's what you're heading towards. You can hold that as your vision and just ask whatever is left to do here to resolve or heal or clear away so I can completely activate my own divine human template inside me. From here to there, you hold, because everything's holographic. Once you start to actually get up into the, you know, 5D quantum field, you begin to realize everything's holographic. So you just hold the vision of you as you are materializing into the divine human and ask what's left to deal with so you can live that. And that's how I've been just flushing stuff out. Beautiful. Okay, so happy flushing, everyone. I know. (laughs) It's beautiful because we would tend to, you know, be a little resistant to the triggers or uh, chaotic energy. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't feel great. (laughs) But now we know what's on the flip side. And so that's what is exciting about it. Okay. Wow. This is wonderful. I know we're all sensing the desire to really feel into that soul pillar and to activate that soul pillar and to hold the vision of that. So let's go into the activation. That will be beautiful. Yes. Um, and, and we're going to go pretty expanded. So I don't know if you wanted to answer the questions before that, Lauren, because we are going to go like, whoa, we're going to go pretty expanded. All right. Let's do some answer some questions. Um, here's Arietta. First says, just a few days ago, I re- received an energy on the top of my heart. Then I passed through stroke-like. Ah, I will very appreciate much if Meg can offer 
a scan or some clearing or maybe even some advice on that. Thank you, Meg. Uh, do you have an idea of where the strobe light was coming? Was it from within you or was it outside your field? Did she, uh, did she, she didn't say anything like that. Let me just check. Yeah. Looks like it was from within your field. It also feels like it's galactic light coming at you. So it, it's whenever anything happens like this, I immediately ask. So higher self, you want to talk to your higher self. Always, I, go, I talk to my higher self all day. Talk to your higher self. I would first ask, is this mine or is it external? That's where I kind of start. Is this mine or not? It's mine. Okay. Uh, why is it here? Like start ha- creating this, uh, kind of like your own intranet in your pillar to your higher self. You want to start to have this kind of two way highway communication going with your higher self so that you can navigate what's happening. Cause this is all beyond what the human has any idea of what's going on. This is way beyond what the, the humans used to. So I first ask, is it mine or not? If it's mine, what am I? What is it doing? You know, why is it here? Why is it happening? How do I work with it? So that felt like it was from your own field. It feels like it's actually uh, intergalactic light coming to you. It feels like it has awakening uh, consciousness in it. Did you say it was at the heart? Mm-hmm. helping to actually open the heart bigger. We need to open our hearts. We need to clear and heal whatever is the wounding in the hearts. I had so much wounding to clear through in the heart, opening the heart because the heart is your magnetic engine of your light body, right? We've got to, and that's the home that we're trying to bring the soul down into. It's also your receiver. You start to open up your pillar. You begin to receive the universal abundance coming to you, the downloads, light language, all of this is coming down your pillar. You want to bring that all into your heart uh, and fill yourself and nourish yourself with it, right? You replenish yourself with it. So heart, heart work is very important. Um, I don't think anyone's been in this matrix without having some wounding, some trauma, you know, that needs to be dealt with because it's just a brutal system that we've been living in. Um, so I would have her ask her herself to continue to help working with her and the in, incoming light to heal, mend, repair, and open bigger heart center. Wow. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. And Arietta, thank you for sharing that experience. Linda has a question. Can we truly embody the energies of all 12 strands of DNA activated in this lifetime? That's a very good question. That's kind of the experiment we're doing right now. Can we? I think as we, I don't think we could have in the old system. I don't think we could have in the 3D human chakra pillar. It was not designed for it. So no, I think the more that we finish with that and we extract from that and we start turning on, lighting up our own light body, getting into our soul pillar, then we have in a way kind of an infrastructure that will support turning on more and more of those crystalline strands. Each one of the 12 strands connect you to the 12 dimensions. So we're moving from, you know, three, 4D, 
5D quantum field, keep going. You know, the more that you're able to transmute and clear and release of the earthly history, the old system program, you know, it's like software at a computer. You got to get that out, get that mindset out, be able to become this beautiful open receiver of your soul pillar, pulling in the new galactic energies, your home star light, your soul light. I do believe that and the Steptepi energy is helping to remember and reawaken the the up to 12 uh, DNA, 12 dimensional access. That's a big if. <laughs> so we will see. But I I think also the majority of the human race is not there yet i do think we see more and more awakening this year has been pretty phenomenal right more and more awakening more really starting to open to more heart compassion and wanting to join in community right you know collaborate with with each other so we are seeing it happen but i don't know how long it's going to take i think those who are really resonating with this and uh, like myself who are getting uh, concrete guidance to do this right now as as you mentioned Lauren there's a timing thing happening here that we just have to we have to recognize and honor and I would say if you are on this path and you are lighting it up and you're starting to live it and start to try you would call yourself like a new earth way shower you are here to show how to do this you are here to spread this in the field right you're here to uh, guide others on how to do it. And I do believe that the, the potential is there. Hallelujah. Okay, beautiful. Thank you for that question. I'm going to combine two questions. It's kind of flip side of one. Um, is this for everyone? Do you have to be at a certain consciousness level? That's one part yeah. of the question. The flip side of that is, what will happen to all the people who aren't on board with Ascension? Yeah. Yes, you do have to have the left-right brain starting to open up to even understand what we're doing here. So, yes, you do have to be uh, at a level of uh, at least 5D quantum consciousness to be able to understand there's so much more then this particle field, the particle field is actually a minority of the non-particle field, right? The non-physical is vast. The particle field is so much smaller. And so the more that you're opening up left, right brain, you're removing the veils, you know, you're being able to uh, access both wave state and particle field, right? The quantum quantum state. And you're beginning to gain more and more of your understanding, even of who you are and where you're from and why you're here, right? What's what's uh, embedded in your soul blueprint for this incarnation. That's your master plan, why you're here. And so the more that you open up to that, the more your higher self, you know, your inner drive is to accomplish this. There's a lot of souls on the planet who are just new human souls. They're not visitors. They're not starvings from other advanced civilizations. This is their home, right? This is where they're starting. And so they are taking, we're, they're going to be able to take advantage of what we're infusing into the field. We're helping them wake up in a way, right? We're, we're pouring 
uh, high dimensional uh, light consciousness into the field, helping and also we're being helped, of course, by the galactics and all the solar activity that's happening, right? All the all the galactic waves that are coming in, like there's it's happening on all levels to kind of awaken those who are, especially the human souls, the 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 new souls, to be able to go possibly beyond 3D, 4D to 5D quantum quantum uh, access. All of it is a choice. All of it, we are in a free will zone. Nobody is going to be forced into any of this. It will all be available, especially as the way showers are more vocal about this and, and moving this out there, right? And teaching this and offering this. All of it will be an option to stay in the old hierarchy power system or to move over into the new earth uh, circular operating system and begin to live a different way. All of that is, they are two parallel timelines active right now on earth and everybody has a choice which one they want to go to if they decide to stay in the old system they'll continue that's a reincarnational system so they're going to just continue to reincarnate in that timeline in that system we will begin to you know see more of the bifurcation of the two worlds pulling apart we're going to see where we'll be more focused on the new communities, right? The new earth communities and, and the new way, the new inventions and the new way of um, being in harmony with Gaia and healing, you know, the waters and the land and the air and all of this. So this is, this is happening now and it's only just going to get more uh, contrast between the two timelines. We're going to, so you, you know, you look at the news and you see all of the death and destruction and greed and all that's the other system. They can choose to stay in there if they want. But I think there's going to be enough of us that will be public and visible and active and they'll start to see these communities are real. They're going to see that they're very successful. They're going to see how everyone's healthy and happy in them. And uh, maybe they'll get curious and decide to investigate into this a little bit and, and probably, hopefully, choose. But this isn't about... What they decide, we, we that would be just our own ego trying to get involved in that. We just we honor everyone's choice, we honor where everyone's at, and we continue to fulfill our own our own blueprint, right? Our own purpose for being here. Yes, beautiful. And I, also, I do want to say something too. This might be part of what I see this running in the New Age community for years because this I've been at this for thirty years. And I've done a lot of their big conferences and expos, and I've been doing them for years and watching, you know, kind of what is the story they're all putting out there and channeling and all of this. And I just want to say that uh, I I was okay. So I I walked in in ninety four. Uh, within the, those five years, I began to feel like the original plan let's call it plan a isn't happening so everyone was so locked into that hierarchy system right and and into the atlantean mindset that's really what that is it's an atlantean mindset and it's uh it had a real hold on humanity a real real lock on on uh human consciousness i'm thinking the original plan was the entire planet would ascend bringing all life on the planet with it into uh higher dimensional access and it started to alarm me and i'm thinking this isn't this isn't 
happening. This isn't going to happen. And so over time in my, um, in my interactions with Metatron, it began to, that's when the new earth came through. I opened up my own website, newer central 20 years ago, because that's when it realized, okay, we're going to have to actually have two timelines available here because the, the original plan was, uh, didn't have enough a human consciousness at the level that it needed. And so what's confusing, I think, for some is you may see or listen on YouTube or, or read something where they're still got plan A running in their mindset. You hear about this. Oh, there's going to be like a big tidal wave of energy and it's going to just lift this all up. Okay, this is the old plan, you guys. This is this is outdated for over 20 years. This is not. It's it's um, it's almost like someone's got the plan running and looping, right? They haven't pulled out of the matrix yet. They haven't pulled out the Atlantean mindset yet. They haven't pulled out of that hierarchy power system yet, and so that could confuse you, especially if you're you're reading this or watching this where they're predicting uh, the plan A. Um, I actually had to pull the plan A out of my software, right? You know, so that I could open. And that's part of what, like you're doing, Loran, and I'm doing with this new earth focus. We're replacing that old plan software with this new option. And, it's been, you know, in the works and building. It's a holographic again. So it's a holographic timeline that many of us started working on and forming and building for the past 20 years. And especially in 2012, that's when I was, I was guided to move to Mount Shasta from Los Angeles and really start anchoring the plan B new earth timeline into the root chakra of Gaia so that it would come alive for everybody to be able to access. So I just wanted to kind of give a little bit of that background to you, Loren, on where we're seeing kind of like two very different predictions or storylines out there. Yeah, well, thank you for that clarification because we all want the new to come in and we all are ready for that. Everyone watching and listening to this program is well aware of that and once that I know that that's why we're always saying hold the vision of new earth and get off that old timeline. Yeah. Very interesting, uh, you know, because in 2012, December 21st, we all came back from our ceremonies and was looking around going, well, where was that little flash of a love hug? Eight second tidal wave of love. Where was that? And so we're doing it one heart at a time with yeah. conscious intention, right? Conscious intention and so here's uh, just a couple more questions then we'll yeah. get to activation um judy asks so does or is setting an intention and visualizing stepping into the soul pillar is that needed yes okay everything now is holographic so as you go quantum everything's holographic so everything needs to be visualized and you feel it as if you're already doing it and then you command that your energy go into it if you can't get the vision get a picture of it that you look at but everything is holographic so everything is 
combination of electro and magnetic. Electrical is the, the, the vision. Magnetic is the feeling body, right? The heart. So you're combining the two. You're combining your visions, your intentions, your commands, and you're feeling what it would feel like. And that then brings it alive in your field. Okay, beautiful. And here's another question. Um, if we open and connect with different grids and timelines, do we need to take any precautions within our physical body or all of our bodies to prepare for the interaction and the embodiment in working with it? Or will what comes through naturally flow in the intensity of what we're able to embody and contribute on all levels and correlation? You determine the timeline you want to ground into. So every morning I get out of bed, I got my feet onto the the crystal grid of the new earth, and I ground that as my home base, right? That's my foundation. That's my home base. That's where I'm putting my field onto, locking in, grounding, and you determine the timeline you want to live in. So that's where I would start. Now, within the grand new earth timeline, each of us has our own personal timelines, don't we, right? So you kind of have the subsets, right? You got the big, big daddy, new earth timeline, then each of us are having our own personal timelines. We can go through multiple timeline shifts through our lives, right? We we get married or we move to another country or whatever, you know, these are big life-changing uh, timeline shifts. So if you're in the process of moving into a new personal Timeline, just make sure it's in the new earth time, the bigger daddy, right? The, the big daddy of the new earth timeline as your foundation, as your home base. And then I don't go into new timelines unless my higher self is in, uh, guiding me into it because there could be false timelines. There could be trap timelines. Okay. You got to be discerning of what you're doing and where you're, where you're pointing and where you're putting yourself. So I follow my higher self. If I'm feeling really pulled, like that was a big timeline shift for me when I moved from LA to Mount Shasta, it was done within two months. It was fast and furious and it whooshed me. Like my higher self pulled me right into it. I actually went kicking and screaming. I didn't want to leave my life in Los Angeles and, and my friends and my business and everything. So it was a huge uh, blueprint planned shift for me that I had to, I had to follow. And so that's usually when we have a timeline shift is a personal one is it's already planned in your blueprint and it pulls you to your next destination. I don't know if that answers the question, Loren. <laughs> it's beautiful. Thank you. Um, we hope that explained it for you. Thank you. And, and let's do one more. Sorry, we can't get to all the questions, everyone. Um, Meg will take time at the end to, to, as we say goodbye and, and read the chat and um, we can talk about some of that, but here's another question. So talking about, you know, new earth and the new earth communities, here is a question from Patricia, where or how do we find these communities that are already existing and growing here? Are there physical communities and what shall I search for on Google? <laughs> I'm not laughing. I'm having fun with this. And this is where we each, just begin to notice where these communities are popping up. It's very subtle, isn't it? It's part of the soul family coming together. 
Talk it's the soul it. cluster. I would focus on the soul cluster first. I would focus on your kind of finding your tribe and because you could find communities that aren't resonant at all for you and they're not going to be good for you, right? So focus on activating and coming into your soul pillar, starting to activate more of the magnetism of drawing you to your soul group, your soul tribe. You might have to create one. I'm right now in the process of uh, in conversation with my soul tribe creating some kind of like an eco village retreat center in Mount Shasta. It's still in, you know, the conceptual stage, right? We're still in the holographic visualizing stage, but we're in discussion about it. And we're already starting to kind of align the, the kind of a united group mind to build this, right? To, to grow this. And, and I know you, Lorraine, are also a part of uh, a community. So you, I would start first with, what is yours? You know, what is a match for you? And then you either will be pulled to one that exists or you're going to create your own. The other thing too, I've been, uh, you know, kind of now I'm, I'm watching for signs and, and my heart self just draws stuff to me on the internet, you know, and I saw that they're even teaching at, uh, Cambridge University in the United, in the UK, uh, the circular system, right? The circular, uh, and this is more towards business, but it was like, Okay, yes. this, this is out there. This is out there and it's happening. And once you are aware of it, you start to actually catch, you know, where it's happening. You start to see it. Once you're holding it in your own consciousness, it will show up. You'll start to find them. Very good. Thank you. And I think that it will, um, as we each hold our own, stand on our own two feet of light and we begin to come up with ideas, those communities will form naturally and we'll be attracted to them naturally. So um, awesome. I, I love I love how it's um, the innovation that comes from this transformational time will naturally build those communities because of the new systems that are going to come about. And so, again, it's beautiful. And um, Patricia, we, we wish you the best of luck, but maybe you are a leader there. I remember years ago, Many people had this vision of eco centers and health healing spas, healing centers. And so they're going to come about even more. And now that it's in the business world, it just makes sense. I mean, look at regenerative farming, regenerative, um, right? All that good stuff. So it's happening. And even like new building supplies, right? Where we have hemp concrete, like we're already starting, especially for where I'm at with all the fires here, right? You're, we have to reset all of how we build how we create uh, uh, homes and communities like it's we're just going to have to abandon what wasn't working and really start to fill in. Like think of it as the void again, right? The the vortex fills the void. Okay. So we're having to just like stop what's not working anymore and be able to uh, pull in the new solutions. I truly believe they're available. The new solutions are coming in, especially when you open to the quantum realm, there's more than one solution for every problem in the quantum field, right? You begin to access how we're going to live together differently and build a community differently and interact with, with the nature kingdom differently, right? Like it's, we'll draw on exact, you know, the ancient native peoples and how they did it. And we're going to add in new invention. Like this is, this is uh, this is a, a, a huge growth spurt happening right now. Yes. Wow. It feels so good. And, you know, as we say in Spanish, poco a poco, little by little, it comes yes. 
little bit by little bit and we just do it. And I really feel that it's going to happen as we're bifurcated. It's going to happen within that bifurcation. It's going to happen within the old structure and it will just naturally replace that old structure because it'll be, it'll seem like a no brainer at one point. It'll be like, no duh, right? It's so, it makes so much sense. So, okay, beautiful. All right. Well, thank you. We hope that we've answered as many questions as that we can get to because we're really excited for you guys to feel these energies. And so if you do have questions, maybe put that question in the field of this energy and see if you can get an answer from your higher self. All right. Beautiful. So Meg, thank you for, oh wait. Because we're going to be so expanded, mm-hmm. I want you to share more on your special offer. This is a 21-day master class on spiritual mentoring, and this is available in the special offer. Let's talk about that now for just a quick moment because um, it's beautiful, and it's a way for people to continue working on this and taking their own journey in a deeper way. So share with us more, please. Yeah, so this is a 21-day masterclass that I taught earlier this year, and it's so it's a whole self-study program that you can work with on your own at home. What it is is it's taking this kind of all-in-one encompassing comprehensive method that Metatron has had me do for 30 years. I've time-tested this thing with thousands of light workers working for. 25 years with clients and being able to apply his method on accelerating your spiritual transformation and all kind of what we were just talking about, right? Being able to open up uh, left and right brain, being able to access the quantum field, being able to use the quantum vortex, which is activated by Metatron's cube to clear, like it goes both ways. You can clear out very quickly, clear out, this uh, energy and you can use it to pull more soul inside. So it goes both ways, right? Remove and fill in. It's a very, I've been doing this. It's extraordinary, what this can do to help you in your process and your, in your spiritual practice. What I found is a lot of times people get busy and distracted and they're not doing any kind of spiritual practice. And I'm just going to be, you know, I hate to be like the school marm, but it really is, what you put in is what you get out. So the more that you carve out a little time and invest in your own spiritual development and transformation, the more you're going to receive. So I, you know, I get, I get it. We can get tired and we can get busy, but making some time, even if it's just 10, 15 minutes a day of being able to keep your progress moving forward. I continue to uh, uh, advance. That's what this is all about, right? So in this 21-day course, uh, you have uh, three video trainings with me, each three hours long. There's a lot of information in there, and it's very dynamic because it was with live, uh, big group of students, lots of great uh, questions and, and answers, and live practice. I'm going to take you through each protocol, take you through the steps, take you through the practice. In those videos, you also are going to get uh, ebook work workbooks on how to specifically do these protocols so you can begin to 
apply them into your life immediately. Um, I also have a 21 day inspiration card deck that's there for you. And I have pre-recorded meditations that you can work with on your own that I take you through these activations. So because they're all recorded in, inside the timeless vortex, they are as powerful anytime you listen to them. Even when I'm like editing them and I'm just kind of not even really paying attention, I can already feel the moving energies in me. That's how strong they are. So downloads of uh, specific meditations that you can work on advancing your progress. So this is, it's a comprehensive packet package. Um, and, it's uh, something that is near to de- dear to me. I'm actually going to be teaching uh, again live. I try to do it a couple times a year. So this one is the most recent that will. And it describes, you know, what is this old operating system that we're coming out of and what is the one we're going into? So it's going to just kind of lay in the, the foundation for you to jump in and really go. Beautiful. Again, everyone, that is a beautiful, big, huge um what do I want to say? It's a comprehensive program for working with these energies, no matter where you are with them. And it's a great foundation and it's a great um, template to plug into in your life as you go about everything that we've got to do, all the responsibilities and everything. So check that out and work with it. It is a, it is quite a gift. Again, it's full of wonderful programs and downloads so thank you for that Meg again check out that where you're watching or listening to this video it's in the description box links are all around thank you okay so then now is our space to receive these energies and so Meg we're going to leave you space for this and as we settle in what do we need to know if you can sit with your feet on the floor, because we're going to use the whole body to ground onto the uh, Zeptepi grid. That's what we're going to connect to what I connected to when I was in those temples. So I'm just going to kind of take you into that space. You can visualize them as I showed to you. Um, uh, your feet chakras work like magnets. So imagine you're just kind of starting to connect directly to it. I'll get the vortex spinning around because we do use the, the power of the vortex to move the Zeptepi energies as they um, as they, they're going to rise up below you from the grid and rise up the legs and into your chakra pillar. So we're just going to start to, you know, begin to ingest them, right? Begin to receive the blessings in them. Um, what I would like to do as well, we can do, uh, I don't, you know, it's, I'm just trying not to overdo it, you know, just kind of gently bring this in, but we could do some clearings, especially of the, once we bring it in, we can do a few spin cycles, you know, and just start to kind of clear those lower human chakras, right? You can open and, and release. This is our earthly history, right? In the old system. So we want to clean those energies out. And then we can also start to work on you know, connecting to more to your soul cluster because this is important and this is what the the Zeptebi energies are helping enhance. Connecting to your soul cluster and your divine feminine masculine uh, energies, the mirror uh, of in your soul cluster. This is where we start to embody it. Your light body is holographic. It's in your field and it's dormant. For most people, it's not turned on yet. We'll let the we'll let the power of this light start to turn that on more for you. Does that make sense? Yes. All right. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this. 
Okay. So, all right. So let's go ahead and just kind of, uh, tune inward. So we've been talking and thinking, let's just take a couple deep breaths. We're just going to start to focus back inside and into the inhale and exhale. And you're just starting to run chi into the body, moving the energies. <sighs> Inhale, exhale. And having your feet on earth, feet on Gaia. Getting to come down now from the thinking mind more down into your body. So you're just moving your focus more into your belly, into your breath, into your heartbeat. It's getting centered and present in the body. Opening up the flow of chi. So go open deep, deep lungs, deep pranic breathing. And then we're going to continue to move the chi running down the leg channels to the feet chakras. And imagine you're extending your energy. This is your life force. This is your light extending down through the feet chakras. First, we're going to connect to the crystalline goal. This is the crystalline grid of our new earth timeline. This is what I do every morning. Run my chi down the legs. Connecting through the feet chakras right onto the ley lines of the crystalline grid of the new earth timeline. So we lock in, ground in, you just use your command. I'm now connecting to the new earth timeline as my foundation, my grounding, my home base. There we go. Lock right in. And then let's go ahead and connect to spirit. So from the heart, we'll connect to divine mother, father, source. And then we're going to connect to your origin. This is your galactic origin, connecting to your original God spark, connecting to your over soul, connecting to your soul group or soul cluster, your origin. And then connecting to your home star, wherever that is in the multiverse. We connect it through our soul frequency, our soul, our unique soul vibration, our unique soul frequency locks us to our home star, to our origin. All right, there we go. Everyone's starting to lock in. We just saw that press conference a lot there from the discovery of the body, the note. Uh, and then as we're as we're working in the field, let's invite in our spirit team. So calling in to surround you with their love and support, uh, your angels and guides, that, you know, master teachers, the shamans, the elders, your protectors, calling in your spirit support were, team. You know, led to. We're also and going to connect with our beloved Archangel Metatron. And Metatron is the overseer, uh, angelic guardian of this planetary uh, ascension plan. We've got Metatron's cube now. He's embedding it under your feet and your grounding. It's made up of outer six circles, inner six circles, then a center 13th circle. Imagine connecting your feet into the center, grounding into Metatron's cube template. Investigation. Okay, there we go. Everybody locking in. Trailers were in the sort of 
And the 12 circles start to rise up as beams of light up and around the body and aura. They're humming and vibing and toning with the 12 harmonic tones we hear as OM. And as they're vibrating and humming, they begin to rotate right to left around your body in a counterclockwise spin, right to left spinning. And as they accelerate, those beams of light begin to blend and merge and form a spinning vortex of light around you. We'll get the vortex up and running, opening and expanding your field up and out into the higher dimensions. Opening out. There we go. Good. And we're going to spin even faster towards the speed of light, starting to collapse out any energetic veils or time density, dropping the gravity, dropping the separation membranes. You drop out Opening all the way out to the quantum level. Woo, that's it. Go. And this is where we start to access both the particle field and the wave state, the physical realm and the spiritual realm simultaneously. And there it is. Opening up. And it allows us to come back inside, focusing into our light body, into our chakra pillar. So coming back in with your focus, come inside, tuning into your own uh, light body, your own pillar. There we go. And let's go ahead and we're going to start to run the chi down the leg channels to the feet chakras and begin to extend our light, extend our chi, extend our energy below the crystal grid and we're going to start to connect to this warm golden zeptepi grid it's under the crystalline grid because it's ancient it was earlier than the new earth grid it's really old so here we go extending our energy to connect to this kind of a warm golden grid okay there we go we're starting to connect this is to our star-seeded ancestors. This is to the 12 root races and the angelic guardians, the co-creators, the, the creator gods, the primordials who seeded the 12-strand, 12 12-dimensional 12 divine human prototype as we're connecting our energy to the grid. Those gateways are open, and we're going to start to open and receive the Zeptepi energies beginning to rise up from the ancient realm, the ancient civilization. They're going to come back up your leg channels and up into your root chakra and start to rise up into your pillar. So just breathe in, receive in, open, and allow them to rise. All right, here we go. Just going to do it nice and gentle. And if it helps, you can picture you're standing in the Osarian, right? Right in the gateway there. Or if you want, you can imagine you're in the king's chamber, in the Giza pyramid, whichever you're drawn to. Or if you're in the, the gateway I showed you at the Hathor temple, just allowing, or even the Philae gateway I showed you of the Isis lineage, allow those powerful energies to start to come up the body into your pillar. Just breathe them in, receive them in. Allow them to begin to engage with your own field and your own energetics. 
They're already starting to move into those lower chakras. So we're going to use the power of the Zeptepi energies and the vortex that's spinning around you to start to gently lift up, spin out, reverse out, clear out, release out, let go of old density. We spin out. Here we go. Lifting out of the lower body, lower chakras. Into the source light, transmutation light. Here comes another wave of it. Lifting out old traumas, old memories, old history of being in the dark matrix. Okay, here comes more out. Being uh, oppressed or suppressed in the hierarchy system. We burst out, command out, removing out any energetic blockages or barriers or time constraints that were locking you and limiting you, keeping you small. We reverse out, spin out, back to source light now. Release, breathe out, release it out. Woo, more lifting. We move it into source light, transmutation light now. You're setting yourself free from it, letting it go. All right, it goes more out. Clearing. Removing, letting go of your past, letting go of your history, letting go of the pain, the suffering, the trauma, letting go of the memories. There goes more. And as we're starting to clear, open more of your light body, allow more of those Zeptepi energies to be able to move in now into your own uh, biosystem, into your own uh, into the organs and the chakras and the ley lines and meridians, just letting it rise into you, helping you, transforming you, and awakening, reawakening memory if you have a direct connection to the ancient Septepi civilization, awakening that awareness, awakening the visions, awakening the memories. Awakening to the truth of who you are and why you're here now. So opening up more. Awakening your soul blueprint in your light body to activate more of your purpose and your service and your way shower uh, uh, dedication and devotion. Awakening more of your soul gifts inside, more of your soul essence inside, your soul wisdom inside. Still opening more. Just allowing more of your divinity to fill in, to flow down the pillar inside you. Filling into your light body, activating more of your soul pillar that's replacing the human chakra pillar. Good. Starting to bring more of your energy inside your soul pillar, making it your new home. This is your crystal vessel. This is your, this is your power center this is the container of light you're moving into really allowing your soul pulse of singularity to to vibrate to pulse in your heart 
<sighs> Getting stronger, pulse, singular pulse in your heart that starts to uh, uh, pulse out and connect more and more to your soul cluster, your original soul cluster, your soul group, your soul tribe. And as we empty the human template, we empty the human container of the past. We're replacing it, calling in more of our divine, original soul cluster, feminine and masculine energies to come down the pillar into your body, feminine into the left, masculine into the right. So your unique soul, yin and yang. Masculine feminine energies coming in to your container, filling you, and you can see where they're mirroring each other inside your body, inside your pillar, weaving together with the infinity at the heart, weaving the masculine feminine into balance and harmony and sacred union at the heart. Oh, there we go. Awakening with this up-tap energies, your full capacity of your soul light body to come on, turn on, light up, and activate within you. And as we receive the blessings as they're rising up out of the ancient uh, gateways in the ancient grid, the Zeptepi grid coming in and enhancing us, transforming us, and transfiguring us more and more gradually, gently towards the full capacity of the 12 strand crystalline, 12 dimensional human prototype, divine human, star seated human. We're setting that into motion now. And so it is. Oh, and so it is. Calling it alive inside us. Just helping the human body adapt to it and adjust to it and even expand with it into a bigger container of light, being able to metabolize it in, integrate it in, continue to receive the powerful infusions of the Zeptepi light consciousness, Zeptepi energies, as we continue to evolve, rapidly evolve into becoming the embodied soul, the divine human. There we go. And... We set that into motion now. And so it is. And so it is. I want to stay in that space, stay in that energy. And that completes our activation for today. All right. Thank you for 
establishing that hologram anew for new earth for us, mm. we feel it almost feels it almost feels electric, but yeah. it's more magnetic actually. Yeah. It really is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And we wish for everyone to hold this again, as Meg said, hold this, carry this, yeah. come back to the replay and do this again. I could feel that Zep Tepi energy and there were memories. Good. And I, we will close with one last question. I wanted to get to Kate's question. And it's perfect because she had a memory before we even did this. Mm. She's like, I have pictured myself as many lives as a ritual dancer during what I think is Zep Tepi era. Can yes. you? Yes. I believe you, that you can feel it. Yes. yes. Wow. And it's in a way that's how they look. They looked like morphing dancing beings. This is so dynamic and, and alive. Uh, it's extraordinary. Uh, I just, I was so astonished when I started seeing this. And I'm thinking, okay, I want to experience that. <laughs> that looks amazing. <laughs> yes. I also saw that there is someone who's asking who, who'd I go with to Egypt? And her name is Kathleen McGowan. And if you're interested in more, um, she's, I'm actually going to be spending October in France with her. She's a, a historian on the Magdalene Isis lineage and has books and courses and all kinds of wonderful stuff out there. Kathleen McGowan. Yeah, she's a beautiful guide, a beautiful traveler. And uh, that's so precious that you could join her on such a remarkable trip of a lifetime, really, for you. Mm-hmm. Only the beginning, though. So wonderful. Yeah. Yes. Well, you've um, you've activated us and we are flying high. <laughs> Thank you so much. Again, we want to have everyone come back and do this again. Do this again. It is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Meg, as always, you just elevate us to a whole new space. Thank you. There is a freshness from the old that was moved out of here today. Yeah. I truly hope that everyone is feeling that, yeah. feeling that release and feeling full. Just liberating yourself from that old energy and really starting to birth your divine human now. I am very excited about what's happening this year and as we go into the eight year next year. So like make this part of your focus. Like this is this is it. Take advantage of this timing. It's really profound. Beautiful. All right. We are setting ourselves up for um, always in every move that we make, but beautiful stuff happening. And hold that vision of new earth, everyone, and keep doing this beautiful light work. You came here for it. And Meg, thank you. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Thank you for this beautiful episode today. So happy to be here with you. Thank you for bringing me on, Lauren. Always a blessing. Thank you. And thank you, everyone. Have a beautiful rest of your day carrying this new light and your soul pillar. Namaste. Namaste. This has been a presentation of New Earth One Network, your home for New Earth Living. Access. Whoops. (laughs) Okay, we're going to continue doing a meditation here. As we just learned again at the end that Kathleen McGowan, her guide, um, she's a historian of the way of ISIS.
And so this is called, I'll read while you find it, Rama. This is Steve Nobel, 50 Minutes. It's called Wings of Isis Transmission, Moving Beyond All 3D, 4D Limitations, which is what she just did. So we're going to do it Steve Nobel's way, too. Uh, Okay, so in this remastered transmission, we all call upon the goddess Isis to assist in enfolding us with her wings and take us to a temple of light beyond this time and space. There she transmits light to different aspects of our psyche, our bloodlines, our timelines, and to any agenda or energy within her ascending reality excuse me, that seeks to limit our sovereign freedom. Isis was first an Atlantean high priestess of the Altara priesthood who ruled the Egyptian colony after the sinking of the motherland, Atlantis. In time, her memory merged with the archetype of the great mother goddess, Music by Chris Collins. And the track is called Inner Light Delta Wave Version. Join this channel to get access. Okay. How are you doing? Rama's getting there. Hmm. It's called Wings of Isis. Four, uh, five, six. Do you find it? Yeah, things are jumping around. Um, okay. All right. Uh, Okay, everyone. All right, everyone. Here we go. Let's do this. This Wings of Isis transmission, moving beyond all 3D and 4D limitations. And open body, open mind with your breath, inviting in the light of the universe with the breath on the in-breath, light from 360 degrees flowing in your body from the horizon. into all cells of the body 
and on the out-breath, releasing back to the horizon anything that doesn't serve you, anything that doesn't belong to you anymore, back to the light. Allowing more of your own natural light to return to you. With your in-breath, breathing light from the stars and the sun into the body, into the cells and bones of the body. On the out-breath, releasing anything from the cells and the bones back to the universe, back to the light. Allowing more space for your own natural light to return to you. And breathing, following that cycle of breath, following that cycle of breath. team and spirit made up of all guides and helpers and angels, archangels and star races and star councils your own higher self your own I am presence come be with you and I call the archangels of the horizontal plane beginning in the east with Raphael, Archangel of Air, of the mind. The symbol of this angel is a caduceus, a crystal wand, and two golden serpents entwined around that wand, and where they meet near the top, two golden wings. Focusing on the symbol invokes the energy of the angel, which is emerald green fire. Breathing and inviting that angel to hold the space, to hold the space, to clear and hold the space. Feel the cleansing light of emerald green fire in your field. And to the south, Michael, Archangel of the Element of Fire. The symbol is a sword of light. And the energy is electric blue fire. Invite that sword of light into your energy field at the front and at the back. Protecting front and back from lower frequency interference. So to the left and to the right. Protecting you in the whole horizontal plane from low frequency interference. Placing that sword in all timelines where there's any interference or where you're touched by any low frequency energies. 
past timelines, present, parallel, future. Protecting you in all timelines from lower 3D and 4D energies. Breathe and open. To the west, let's call Gabriel, Archangel of Water, Messenger Angel. The symbol of that angel is a silver chalice. And the energy, as you focus on it, is diamond white fire. Invoking that fire like a waterfall of light through your field. Waterfall of light. Breathe and open, three angels, three energies. Releasing what you need to release, opening to whatever you need to open to. And the fourth angel of the horizontal plane is Uriel, Archangel of Earth, of structure of the body. The symbol is a golden pentacle, a five-pointed star in a circle of light. As you focus on that symbol, inviting ruby red fire into your field, into the blood, tissue and organs. Anyway, you're holding low frequency energies released back to the universe on the out-breath. Release back to the universe. Allowing more of your own natural light to return to you. Four angels, four energies and open and open. Expanding your energy, expanding your energy. And also inviting in the vertical force plane Metatron of the great central sun. Bringing the cosmic Christ grid down into the room, sealing the room. Sealing the walls and the floor, the ceiling, the doors, the windows in golden light. Imagine that light washing through the whole structure, closing in the openings. Bring that energy down into your body from the crown, the third eye, the throat and down to the heart and anchor into the heart. Anchor that light into the heart. And breathe and aligning all chakras from the heart upwards to the great central sun.
and to the earth below Sandophon. The diamond white crystalline grid of the earth. Bringing that light up with your breath and intention up to the feet. Allowing that light into the room. Up through the legs and around the legs like a rising tide up to the base that opens. Up to the base. Up to the sacral opens and the solar plexus that opens and into the heart and anchoring in the heart allowing all of your chakras from the heart down to align with the crystalline grid of the earth angels, six energies, and open and expand your whole field, releasing what needs to be released, opening to new energies from the two grids, allowing those two energies from the grids into all chakras, into all meridians. allowing for a rebalancing with this higher light and into the field let's call the goddess Isis the goddess Isis into the space and all beings working with her, all beings working with her. around you great wings around you and in this frequency of energy transporting you to a temple of light beyond this time and space 
into a great hall. unfolding so that you can stand in the hall and feel the space around you this temple which may have a very Egyptian feel or perhaps otherworldly feel or perhaps both Standing in the middle of a great hall. And the energy of Isis is in the very fabric of the building. The very fabric of the temple. And all beings working with Isis. Holding you in love. Holding you in light. once again beginning to feel those wings enfolding you in love, in light once more feel yourself held in this cocoon of love and light Isis begins to send love, light to your inner child. To all of your inner children in the psyche. All parts that are fragmented or feel alone, abandoned, afraid, rejected on the inner planes. Send in love to your vulnerability. Love to the wounded parts, the conditioned parts.
sending healing to those parts of you. They are not alone. They are not abandoned. They are never rejected. same time sending love to the free magical child within you those parts which are free and magical beyond conditioning free and liberated to those parts and Isis sending love and light to your inner adolescent all parts of you the fragmented who feel alone abandoned afraid or rejected on the inner planes Sending love to your wounded adolescent. And this part of you may have struggled with identity or sexual energy growing into adulthood, sending love to those parts. Some are traumatic time. Also love to the free, curious, adventurous adolescent within, the part beyond all limitation. love to that part, those parts of you.
and Isis sending love light to all other parts of your ego. To other parts of the ego that need love, that need healing, that need light. Isis enfolding you and sending light to all parts of your psyche. Sending light to any old stories or meanings or beliefs or identifications that hook you into any limiting patterns. same time sending light to upgrade your sense of identity, your sense of self-image. identity and self-image upgrading breathe and open and sending love light to your bloodlines the mother line
purifying all pathways of ancient karma concerning limitation, any agreements or trauma, emotional imprinting, stories, beliefs. Releasing everything from the bloodline, any programming of I must, I have to, I'm obliged to, I am forced to, I am shamed into, I am prohibited from doing or experiencing. opening those pathways, clearing those lower energies. And then to the father line, purifying all pathways of ancient karma concerning limitation, clearing any agreements or trauma or emotional imprinting or beliefs. Releasing any programming of a must, I have to, I'm obliged to, I'm forced to, I'm shamed into, I'm prohibited from doing or experiencing.
and sending love light now to all external factors in this reality. To all sexual energy or sexual cording or sexual projections that keep you limited in any way. Isis sending energy to dissolve, release all those energies. Dissolving and releasing all sexual energy or corning or projections. Isis sending a release of any obligation to adhere to any societal laws or guidelines that will go against your sovereign will, your sovereign energy, your sovereign mission or the sanctity of your body. from any laws or guidelines in the 3D matrix that seek to interfere or restrict your freedom of self-expression. Sending light and love to clear any virtual platforms of any and all interference that may seek to drain or divert or harvest your energy or light in any way. light and love to dissolve any adherence to any Illuminati agendas or programs that seek to limit and control your free will or the free will of the collective.
Isis now sending love light to clear and purify any interference from any lower astral forces or lower galactic forces that seek to limit your freedom or oppose you from moving along your chosen path of evolution and joyful growth. is sending love and light to lift you from this old 3D timeline of duality, of suffering, of struggle and limitation, lifting you to a new 5D timeline of spiritual awakening, of growth through joy, of freedom, of unity consciousness. Releasing all lower energies, binding you to the 3D, 4D worlds. Lifting you to a 5D vibration of consciousness. Isis sending love light to raise the frequency of your field to the highest spectrum of growth through joy and unlimited freedom. Expanding all possibilities, all doorways of 5D opportunities, is now sending light love to open the 5D timeline so you can see and experience and feel that timeline. Feeling the full fruition of the new earth to come.
which is at the very beginning stages of the transition from the dark to the light. Opening the timeline so you can see further along that line to the full fruition of the new earth. Calling the energies of that new earth into your own reality now. Opening your reality to a higher flow of abundance, love, joy, growth, and miraculous possibilities. if you have any personal requests for Isis transmit that to her now around you transmitting love light into your field into the bloodlines into timelines into other lifetimes into this reality dissolving what needs to be dissolved what's interfering with you and opening you to the new the 5D timeline those wings opening, opening, feeling the space around you, the temple of light. All beings working with ISIS around you, holding you. Feel a final blessing from the temple of light.
guides or angels here, or ascended beings here feeling a final blessing. And then the wings close around you once more, enfolding you once more. I begin to transport you from this temple of light to time-space coordinates of this reality in this physical body. back to the body, feeling the wings of Isis still around you in the body. Gradually unfolding, gradually unfolding. Breathing. thank all beings and your team and spirit of the highest light resonance all angels holding the space holding the grids allowing those grids and those energies to just begin to recede the horizontal plane thanking Uriel, Gabriel, Michael Raphael the vertical force plane Sandophon, Metatron
breathing and opening and allowing your energy field to adjust, adjusting to the transmission. Adjusting to transmission. This transmission is offered to you as always with love and blessings, love and blessings. My I may home everybody. This is what the real work is, everybody. This is the real work. Thank you, everyone, doing this work with us together. World group of service for peace, love, joy, clearing, holding the space for all the angels and the archangels. And all of us opening, opening to the new fifth dimensional awareness and consciousness and the new earth. Breathing. Well, we'll keep working with those real wings of Isis, won't we, Rala? Yes. Anything you want to say before we take this break? Um, I just know Lady Master Isis is here with Lady Master Ma'at and Sekhmet and Blaze the Violet Fire. Thank you, Steve Nobel. Yes. Ram, you'll send this to Penny so that everybody can get it and play it again. Yes. On their own time. Okay, well. So we'll take a little break. And we'll be back again with some music and with our brother Richard and take a look at that astrology. 
for the day here. As well as um, Kay Pacha and Tony Gabrielle. And uh, so we'll take this break, like I said. We'll see you in mm, 10 or 15, huh, Rama? Yes. All right, everybody. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. I think he's coming. Uh, <laughs> hello. Are you there, Richard? Hmm. Dougie, can you try him again? Maybe. Hello. Hmm. I guess you should call Doug. Yes, you gotta call Doug because he can't hear us. I don't think something happened. Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> the energies are really high. I'll just say while we're waiting, should go in the other room, I think, that um, the New York Times is saying that the fuel is so scarce over there because they're not letting it in through that uh, entranceway. I mean, the normal, you know, trucks that go through there on a normal every day is just like, Cut way back right now. So with fuel scarce, the UN aid group in desperate Gaza may have to scale back. A UN agency that has offered a wartime lifetime lifeline to hundreds of thousands of Palestinians warned of tough decisions ahead as it cannot get fuel. I just want everybody, if they can just put this in the circle of support, because this is genocide accelerating intentionally. So what What did the... Uh, uh, Doug is going to get... Catch our... Get Richard. Get Richard. <laughs> All righty, what's that say? He is gone for a bit. He's gone for a bit. I don't know say. <laughs> oh, my. Okay, well, Doug, will you keep trying, and then maybe what we'll do is we'll go to K-Pacha while that's going on. Okay? You can hear us, right? Yes. Okay. All right. Let's go to K-Posh, everybody. Let's see what K-Posh... K-Posh has got plenty to say. I know that. 41 minutes here. So we'll get started. Here we go.
Hola, it's Carpaccio with the weekly Pele Report. <laughs> For Wednesday, October 25th of 2023, moon's in Pisces. And it's a cloudy day out here. Changing weather, changing seasons, Scorpio season. Sun, Mercury, Mars, and Scorpio, yikes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're going on now. This is the big time. It's uh, I'm going to be talking about Scorpio. I'm going to be uh, talking about this eclipse. That moon moves through Pisces into Aries, okay, by tomorrow. And uh, on Friday, conjoins with Chiron and then moves on to conjoin the north node of the moon exactly conjunct Aries. The sister of Aries, the goddess of strife and discord. I'm going to be talking about Aries a bit here today. I've been ignoring her because she's hard to talk about, but very prominent, very prominent in what's going on. Yes. And so I need to address that. Um, and then, of course, we have uh, she goes into Taurus on Saturday and we have the eclipse at 5 degrees 09 minutes of Taurus. I'll be reading you the Sabian symbol for that. And if this eclipse is not intense enough, okay, there is a Mercury-Mars conjunction, okay, that is also happening. And that is on Sunday. And it's opposite Jupiter, of all things. If it's not enough, Jupiter is going to make it more. So I want to be talking about that Mercury-Mars conjunction opposite Jupiter. Conjunct the sun. It's a stellium happening over here. And it is intensifying all of the energies. And, you know, the only big good thing is uh, Venus moving there through Virgo is coming into a trine with Uranus, so there may be some sudden breakthroughs that we really need right now. Uh, that's exact on Tuesday. Uh, before that, uh, tomorrow, uh, Venus is in conjunct Chiron. So I want to be talking about Chiron and Aries. I want to be talking about Aries and Mars. Mars is also the co-ruler, okay, of Scorpio. So very prominent. This, uh, this whole masculine Mars war assertiveness, blah, 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 everything going on right now. It's, 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 it's really, it's really challenging. By Monday, the moon moves into Gemini. And I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to go all the way down there, man. <laughs> I mean, you can see, uh, if I want to go down there, uh, this is my path. <laughs> it's not looking. It's not looking like a, a, a super lot of fun because I got some stuff to do today. I don't know if I want to go climbing down there or not. But let's see. And uh, I'll find a place and talk to you. All right, let's go for this before it starts raining, man. Ah! <laughs> Freaking moved my whole office out here. Just kidding. I don't have an office. <laughs> but I got my notebook because... I want, I gave a, a like a two hour thing on Eris. It, it's in the uh, New Paradigm Astrology Library if you want to check that out. 
But it was a couple of years ago when Eris was square Pluto and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, an intense period there. But now she is one with the, uh, north node of the moon. Like the soul evolution, the soul destiny is at one with Eris. Okay. She goes around every 558 years. Okay. Like twice Pluto. So she's super slow. She's been in Aries like forever. She's going to stay there like forever. <laughs> it's going to be a long time, but it's interesting. There will be a Chiron Eris conjunction. Right now there's a North Node Eris conjunction. I mean, they're basically all hanging out together right now. And, uh, it's, it's very, very intense as we can all feel. She moves so slowly. I'm going to say that. She is at the exact same degree, 24 degrees Aries. If you got anything around 24 degrees of the fire signs, of the cardinal signs, okay, you know, this Aries nodal axis, of course, and it's still square Pluto, three degrees off, but it's still there, okay? But she's going to be at that very same degree from September 26th until November 29th at the same degree. Now, astrologers will give three degrees, some five degrees, okay, to a conjunction like this, in which case that would go on for a couple months before and a couple months after would be one degree, right? And four months before and four months after, if you want to give it two degrees. So this is, this is big, right? The north node of the moon stays in Aries, passes through Aries, like I said now, for a year and a half, okay, it moves a little more than like, you know, a couple of degrees, okay, uh, a couple of degrees a month, right? So it's, it's very slow moving. And so with Chiron, and Chiron's in Aries for eight years, okay, it's only about the halfway through now, a little bit more than that, so we got three more years of Chiron in Aries, and we got to look at Aries. We got to look at the masculine. We got to look at Mars. We got to look at the patriarchy. We got to look at all these men that are, uh, you know, bringing on war. <laughs> so, you know, quite some time ago, I wrote down the uh, positive and negative. I mean, here we are. We're in a world of polarities. Okay. The positive and negative, uh, aspects or sides of Aries. I mean, and you could make more of these, but I'm going to just read you from my sloppy freaking notes. <laughs> I can't even read my own writing, but I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to say the positive Aries takes initiative and is innovative. The negative follows convention. Positive courage, negative fear of change and the unknown. Positive pushes and faces, okay, you know, the limits, pushes the edge, faces the limits, okay, versus what, you know? Again, fear and change of the unknown, cowardice. Yeah, cowardice. Positive is centered, blowing in the wind, focused, spaced out, Strong and solid, weak and flimsy, self-defined, 
defined by others, right? Assertive, passive acceptance, powerful, powerless, leader, follower, confident, insecure, hard, sharp, soft, dull, self-disciplined, disciplined by others, identity found within, identity sought without, purposeful, no purpose, distracted, full, empty, energetic, listless, potent, impotent, trustworthy, untrustworthy, able to commit, unable to commit, inwardly motivated, pushed by the external world or factors or the environment. Okay, that's just a partial list of Mars, masculine, Aries, energy, boom. Get it, yeah? And this is the wound that we're all dealing with now on a planetary level, governments, individuals, families, you know, we're, this is what needs healing right now. This is the fall of the patriarchy, the misuse, okay, of that masculine energy towards conquering, greed, lust, domination, exploitation, you name it. And to the extent that we all do that or whatever, okay, you know, it's like it's time because this is what Scorpio is about. Now, here we come to this other side of Mars. And Scorpio is about, okay, making the unconscious conscious. Yeah. And we want, we need to like really go above and beyond this. All right. Because what we're looking at with Scorpio, I got more notes here today. I mean, I'm sorry, but you know. Conscious understanding comes through both success and failure. It's about consciousness. Yeah, not winning or losing, not positive or negative. It's becoming conscious, right? And through consciousness, we can go forward. It goes beyond the polarities of moral and ethical duality. So consciousness supersedes or is beyond and above outside, okay, you know, this third dimensional world. So Uranus is our personal unconscious. It has our whole Akashic record of all our past lives. It's not just winning or losing, being rich or poor or, you know, on top or at bottom or da 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 da, da. But it's, 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 it's consciousness. It's waking up. It's enlightenment, yeah? So, and Scorpio is the death, the ending of, right? What begins in Aries as impulse becomes self-conscious in Leo, subjective self-consciousness. This is Leo. I'm the creator, I'm the center, I am in charge, I'm the king or the queen or blah, 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 blah. And Leo evolves through Virgo, enters relationship in Libra, 
and in Scorpio is transformed, transmutated, okay, metamorphosed through these external forces and factors. So this is happening also in our most intimate personal relationships, not just on the world level. This is where we can, you know, like really come into confrontation. And that's what the mantra is about this week. Yeah, you know, it is separateness. And both of the Sabian symbols that I want to read for you today have to do with this separateness. And the role of separateness in bringing consciousness. Yeah? So we help each other become conscious of what each of us is unconscious of by and through confrontation. I don't like what you said. I don't like what you did. I, it hurt me. I did it or not. Become more conscious. <laughs> Duh. Stop doing that. <laughs> Stop hurting people. <laughs> Whatever, you know. I mean, it's, 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 uh, yeah. So this objective consciousness is responsible versus reactionary. Reactionary. Reactive. Yeah. You know, overly reactive is also this, like, you know, uh, that could be another Aries thing. Aries is active and positive, and the negative, it's reactionary, right? You hit me, so I'm going to hit you. Instead of being, yeah, you know, active and responsible. So we've got this two sides, okay? And, and, and one is subjective. I'm going to force my will on you. And my desires, and and I, you know, it's subjective. But Scorpio wants to kill that subjective, personal, you know, selfish consciousness and expand it to Sagittarius, Capricorn, Aquarius, to objective consciousness. What's good for the greater whole, for the family, for the children, for the future. Come out of your own little, you know, it's I got to have my way, immature Mars energy into, right? You know, the mature, elder, wisdom. Now we come to Eris, okay, in Aries, dealing with, you know, and Chiron's coming on the North Node. I mean, discord, strife and discord, the goddess of discord. And, you know, like the mantra today, it's got two kinds of discord. There are two kinds of discord. One, unbridgeable differences that lead to confrontation and further separation. Right? I mean, you can get divorce, you know, uh, with just like, you know, un, uh, unresolvable differences. Right? I mean, we just... And then you walk away from each other. You don't have to kill each other, beat each other. You walk away from each other is the objective consciousness, right? Versus the subjective, I, I react and you piss me off so much, I've got to, you know, hit you or something. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's like the extreme. And, well, death is the extreme, but, but the other kind of discord is separation for the purpose of providing 
a new level of relationship. And this is where Scorpio, ruled by Mars, rules therapy and psychoanalysis and shamanism and all different forms, primal therapy, all different forms of bring these people together and maybe they need to take time out or time off or they need to, and that's what the mantra today is about, like we separate to recenter, right? To to heal this wound within ourselves because we have to heal ourselves, but we can do it with the help and assistance and feedback from others, yeah? But we sometimes need to take space. And then, like through therapy or through work or through self-analysis, meditation, you know, consultation with, you know, the shaman or the guru or whatever, you know, we like understand and we, and we step out of being just that sub self-oriented, right? Unconscious self into the objective consciousness. And then there can be a reunion. And just like think of the civil war. You know, the civil war in the United States. Okay, yeah, it's separated and it could have, you know, it could have separated, it could have made two separate countries, right? But through that confrontation, and yes, one side did win over the other, but, you know, they reunited as a greater whole, right? As a more powerful entity, now known as a superpower. <laughs> Maybe not for long, but that's another video. So what I want to look at today, and I want to read to you, this is uh, really phenomenal because it has to do with the Mars-Jupiter conjunction. And, you know, that Mars-Jupiter conjunction happened uh, last, what, <clears throat> uh, May 28th, okay, of 22 year and a half ago, they came together at the fourth degree of Aries. Three degrees, 19 minutes. That was the seed that was sown of this. Now Mars has gone all the way around, year and a half later, and it opposes Jupiter. So this is like a full moon. It's like a culmination of, of a seed that was sown in May of 22. Go back. What were you thinking? What were you doing? What were you planning? Check it out. Two lovers strolling on a secluded walk. The progressive polarization of energies needed for fulfilling one's life function. This is deep, folks. <laughs> In order to respond fully to the potentialities released by a sense of identification with a greater whole, the human being should be himself whole. So if you want to play the, in a bigger game, you got to get your shit together, right? An interplay of bipolar energies is needed to provide a sustained and dynamic resonance to any superior 
and encompassing form of life. This may imply a temporary withdrawal from routine activity, i.e. a secluded process. It is not, however, a closed process. Don't close ourselves off. We can, you can seclude yourself and meditate, but you still listen and receive. So there is still a, you know, the positive and negative polarities do not meet in a closed circuit. You know, you touch the positive and negative and you short out the circuit, right? So they do not meet in a closed circuit. Reconstituting a neutral state of potentiality. They operate in dynamic, open, unresolved togetherness in contact with the surrounding energies of nature. Nature. Notice how the water will always find its way through the rocks. <laughs> this symbol is the stage of dynamic and unresolved polarization. It introduces the basic means. One might say the technique to establish consciousness in a world of duality. I mean, it's interesting how mom and dad come together and they make children, offspring, and the man and the woman, the male and the female, the boy and the girl grow into themselves, right? And then they become lovers and they join together and there are more offspring and they find themselves in their center within their whole and they come together and they make more offspring. You see how there is this breathing. I think I talked about it last week. This coming together and going apart, right? Separate union, separate union. So, you know, this is a dynamic flow of energy that can produce creative manifestation. So that's what we're you know, that's what a lot of this, you know, like what we want to be doing here. Yeah. Is this creative manifestation. Now. Enter Eris. This goddess of discord. Oh, my God. <laughs> Am I going to read you all this? I don't know. man. There was something. Uh, first of all, she's the daughter of Nyx. OK. Of night the daughter of night, and she has a whole bunch of offspring. I'm going to read you some of her offspring, okay? But the major ones, the major offsprings is dysomnia, yeah, which is lawlessness, the disruptor of social order. And then she gives offspring to her youngest and final is Eunomia, she who ends strife. That's her final offspring, but in between that, look what she gives 
rise to. And I don't read Greek, so I'm probably going to mess up the pronunciation, but I want to be thorough, so I want to read you the Greek and the translation. She gives, uh, you know, she has offspring of ponos, which is toil, lethe, forgetfulness, limos, starvation, algia, pain, hismenia, fighting, machia, battles, phonos, murder, androcatasia, manslaughter, nisia, quarrel, pseudologi, uh, ruin, yeah, oh, lies, and amphilogia, disputes, ate, ruin. <laughs> These are the offspring of Eris. But another one that is very, very, and of course, I look for the bright side, you know, I mean, and, and, and part of this is Horkos. Horkos is the oath who does more damage than any other to earthly men or anyone when they knowingly swear to a false oath. Look out for Horcus, the offspring of Eris, the goddess of discord. You could say it's karma, Horcus, it's fate. But primarily when you take a conscious oath or you promise when you know damn well you are not going to fulfill that promise. Maybe you do it to get elected. <laughs> I'm going to bring peace when I know damn well I want to control the world. <laughs> you know, I'm going to end poverty when I know damn well I want to take all your money. <laughs> you know, I'm going to end hunger, you know, when I'm going to eat, you know, prime rib and you're going to eat bugs. <laughs> Right? I mean, whatever. But we can also do this in our relationships. One is innocent naivety and, you know, uh, you know, like you, you promise to do something and, and you really don't know. <clears throat> you know, you're kind of innocently promising because you're hoping to God that you can, uh, what is it, you know, like if you get married, you hope to God that you can be faithful, you know, uh, and then, it tumbles down and you and you're not okay. That's different than knowing damn well I'm polyamorous and you know I'm going to marry you anyway. <laughs> you know that is intentional, conscious freaking lying, right? Okay, so this is a time, and I'm going to say this eclipse and these nodes in this time period, this two month period especially, but it's going on. Chiron's going to come up to Eris. It's going to be like super freaking intense. I can give you the dates on that later. Okay. But like this is a time of really looking at our stuff and putting other people's stuff in their face to look at. And maybe that causes conflict. Maybe that causes separation. Out of that separation comes more objective consciousness, right? Hopefully, it doesn't have to. I mean, yeah, people can just refuse, deny, avoid, ignore. 
But here's now where the Mars opposite Jupiter, that Sabian symbol, right? You know, where it has to do with, you know, polarization. Okay. The two planets are obviously polarities, Mars opposite. Mercury is also opposite Jupiter. But these planets, they need to be brought into fulfillment through objective manifestation. So here we have objective consciousness leading to objective manifestation so that we can actually, and this is where it is, it's about bumping it up to the next level. Re-establishing existing relationships on a more conscious, deepened, powerful exchange, yes, of money, intellect, sexual fluids, power, influence, you name it, right? Where, you know, two, they come apart, they find their own power, their own truth, and when they come back together again, look out, yeah, like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like the Civil War was torn apart. But when they got back together again, boom, right? The economy, you know, the the nation flourished for a while. You see what I'm saying? So this can be happening on a personal level, but also on a global level. You know, this whole Israeli Hamas, you know, this whole Middle East. I mean, it's basically East versus West, in very many ways, okay, yeah, you know, everybody's lining up and taking sides and, you know, things are really, even over in the Philippines, you know, China and the Philippines are going at it over there and uh, Taiwan and I, it's, it's, you know, Ukraine, it's, it's, things are really uh, boiling. We're, you know, we're reaching this real boiling point and it's uh, going to continue <clears throat> to boil, yes, for into 2024, I see things intensifying next year. Also with the globalists and the whole world. Uh, uh, anyway, I'm not going to get into that on YouTube, but, you know, yeah. So this is just um, discord, Eris, a positive side of discord. If we think of Eris, how long is this? 27 minutes. Oh, man. You know, Eris was not invited to the feast, so she rode her horse into the banquet and she threw the golden apple, you know, she wrote to the fairest, threw it down, okay, in between Hera, Athena, and Aphrodite. Hera is power, Athena is wisdom. Aphrodite is love and rapture to the fairest. Fight about it. Whose apple is it? Yeah, you know? Is it power? Is it beauty? Is it wealth? Is it... I mean... <laughs> this is discord. Become conscious. Right? You know? And come out of your subjective, oh, I'm the goddess of this, I'm the goddess of that, and I'm better than that. I'm more powerful. You know, it's like, think of the greater whole. 
every species seeks to take over the planet. Every species wants to divide, multiply, and inherit the earth. This is a fifth house Leo kind of energy, and it gets tempered, not only in Virgo, the feminine, but then again in Scorpio. Yeah? And so this gets tempered. And the discord with a purpose can opens beyond finite bounds of current perception and limits. This is, you know, this is very interesting, right? It shakes stagnant consciousness and leaves us to redefine and reorganize our world view to embrace a far vaster reality. Reality is vast beyond what we can imagine. We are tiny little specks. We are like, I I always say we're like peach fuzz on Gaia. Yeah, she's the peach. And she's one peach in a million peaches. <laughs> We're one galaxy in of a billion galaxies. I, I, we don't even want to get into how vast reality is and how puny <laughs> we really are. Because, <laughs> you know, gives you that feeling of powerlessness that Aries does not like. <laughs> but really, unconscious values and assumptions that are obsolete, no longer valid, have to go. Death, ending, finishing. Look at what you value. Look at your priorities. Look at your assumptions. Talk to other people and get feedback and really meditate, contemplate. Are they obsolete? Have you been thinking the same thing or wanting the same thing since you were a teenager? (laughs) You know, come on, right? You're big now. (laughs) So we have to embrace more. We have to be responsible for more. And, And this is part of maturing that Martian masculine Aries energy. Ow! You know what I'm talking about. I know you do. On some freaking level. I mean, you might have to replay this once or twice, but polarization is part of a process when a relationship needs to grow. Where each go within and decide on their own to bump it up. Or go it alone. (laughs) How's that for a mantra, man? Ah, whoa. Like, bump it up to the next level. You know, like a higher frequency. Like, I'm bigger than I was. I'm wiser than I was. My heart is more open than it was. Right? And, And then we can dance like we never were able to dance before. Right. This is the this is the possibility. Yeah. That, you know, that that can come out of discord. You know, the the Hamas and the Israelis, you know, there can be a greater unification of 
that that embraces a greater reality. And this is what life is all about. This is what the human experience is all about. Participating in a greater whole. Not just the family, not just the community, not just the state or the county, but, you know, global consciousness. We're moving towards global consciousness. So this is, this is what I mean by bumping it up to the next level or throwing in the towel, giving it up now. I'm not changing my mind and I want what I want and I'm not going to, I'm not going to cooperate. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to, you know, compromise. No, 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 no. <laughs> we know what happens. You get isolated, you get separated, you get lonely, you go broke, you don't da 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 you end up, you, 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 your reality shrinks and shrinks and shrinks and shrinks until you're, you know, dangling by a thread. It's, uh, anyway. One more time and I'll leave you alone. Ready? And... Polarization is part of a process. When a relationship needs to grow, where each go within and decide on their own to bump it up or go it alone. <laughs> Whatever you decide, blessings on your journey, baby. That's the other part of it is just respecting other people's process, other people's autonomy, letting them go separate, not trying to through jealousy or possessiveness, grasp, gla- you know, grab, hold back, you know. So this all has to do with kind of Scorpio is the big let go, baby. And what's truly yours, you will not lose. And what is not serving your evolution will fade away. Oh, yeah, the uh, so I, the song for this week. And, you know, sometimes even if I don't mention the song, I don't remember to mention the song, it's still down in the notes below the YouTube uh, thing and on my Telegram channel. And uh, I, I'm thinking Story in Your Eyes by the Moody Blues. I'm frightened for the future. Yeah. And I'm frightened for the children, that the life that we are living is in vain. And the sunshine we've been waiting for will turn to rain. <laughs> yeah, it's a good song. There might be another one in there too. I just got a, I, I got shown a, a new song this morning. I might do two songs this week. Anyway, what else? That's about it. Patagonia, I can't wait. It's coming up. Uh, early bird special discount till November 1st. Jump on it. This is going to be like the journey of all journeys. I, I, it's wow, pristine, pure nature, wilderness, unadulterated, in your face. Yes, come on, baby. Namaste, aloha. So much. Love.
Richard. Richard, are you back now? Are you there? Doug, did we find Richard back? Okay, do you want to try one more time to call? I can read this lunar eclipse uh, from um, Stardrops. Stardrops. Uh, wow, we wait, but go call, go call Doug and see. Just want to make sure. I'm not sure if Richard didn't realize that we were going to be doing music like we usually do. <laughs> oh. Just a second, Rama. Richard is with us. There you are, Richard. Pass the talking stick. I don't know what happened. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Richard. <laughs> Sometimes it takes about 15 seconds to get back tuned in. I'm not sure what's happening here. Can you hear us, Richard? Huh. Can you hear us now, Richard? Um, Doug? Doug, is Richard on the line? I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Oh, okay. Thank you. That was about... 30, 40 seconds, and I wasn't sure if you were still there or not. <laughs> okay. 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 So, so we're working, we're working now. now. Yeah. Yes, we're working now. I got, now. I got an echo. Oh, we'll oh. mute. That's okay. We'll, we'll mute out. Maybe that'll help, but it'll, it, we can hear you fine. Okay. 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 All right. So, uh, this is going to be astrologically related, but we've got to do the front-end book report first. And the book is called A Treatise on Cosmic Fire. And this is uh, one of those books that uh, Alice Bailey got printed for the Tibetan, the Master D.K., and its first printing was in 1925. Yep. And so he dedicates it to Helena Blavatsky, who wrote The Secret, who put out The Secret Doctrine. Yes. All right? So he dedicated it with gratitude to her. All right? Now... Uh, let's see, let me get over here. Now, this is a big, fat, long book. And it is great and fantastic. And it's all about the three fires. 
the internal fire or fire by friction. The fire of mind or solar fire. And the fire of spirit or electric fire. And she talks about all of these in Secret Doctrine number one, part one. And he's got a short content list and a, and a long contents list. And section one is the internal fires. And section two is the solar fires or the fires of mind. And section three is the fire of spirit or electric fire. So what I bookmark, oh, this, this book took me 50 days to read from beginning to end. So nice. a couple of weeks ago, I was reading along, and I said, oh, this is good, this is good for, the, for the astrology folks. So in section two, he starts out with introductory questions such as what is evolution and how does it proceed? Why is the solar system evolving along the lines of duality? What is consciousness and what is its place in the scheme of things? And there's some more. And then Division A is the nature of manas, M-A-N-A-S, or mind. Three manifestations of mind. And some definitions. <coughs> Section B, Division B here, manas as a cosmic, systemic, and human factor. So he goes back and he does a little bit of this as review from the cosmic from the secret doctrine just to be complete, you know. So he he talks about the origins of mind, cosmic manas, the processes of individualization, which I read to you guys from the secret doctrine back with uh, back in Lemurian days. Uh-huh. And then he's got part two here is planetary consciousness and existence and will and ordered purpose. And then part three is human manas. And part four is manas and the earth chain. And the position of manas, the present stage of monastic development in the planets, in the system, and on Earth. And then the, the future of manas. And then Division Three is the egoic ray and solar fire. Okay. And Division D is... Uh, Thought elementals and fire elementals. And then you got thought elementals and divas in Division D Part 2. And then man, a creator in mental matter. And 
and you get man and the fire spirits and the nature of magic. That was pretty interesting. He talks about the difference between black magicians and white magicians and the source of black magic and all kinds of good things. And then Division E is motion on the plane of mind. And it goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And And there's uh, 13 charts and seven full-page tabulations. So I thought I'd read a little bit of this for you on the human principle, human manners. I can't hear you, Richard. You're a little far away now. Human manners. Far away now. I can't be. Go. I can't be far. I haven't gone anywhere. I got a three-pound book in my lap. <laughs> okay, so this is from page three fifty-five in the section "The Factor of Manus." Okay, we are now to consider primarily man and the monastic principle its development in the fourth creative hierarchy, that's the human monads, with special reference to our earth chain. We have seen that, to all intents and purposes, Manus is the active will of an entity working itself out through all the lesser lives who go to the content of the ring pass knot or sphere of influence of the indwelling existence. Therefore, as concerning man on this chain, he is expressing the purpose and the will and action of the planetary logos in whose body he is a cell or lesser life. Certain mysteries arise consequently for our consideration, which are connected with the life cycles of the heavenly man of our scheme, and particularly in relation to that special incarnation of his, which we call the cycle of manifestation on the dense physical globe, the earth. He wears the planetary body. That's the heavenly man as man wears the robe of the physical body. And by means of this subjective, objective form, he works his purposes out on the physical plane through the factor of mind achieving certain goals. Incidentally, the cells in his body conform to that mind which plays upon them just as man, the intelligent principle of incarnation on the physical plane, brings into conformity with his purpose the atoms of his body. 
regulates ever more and more the sporilae of those atoms by the force of his mind playing upon them. Here comes the opportunity to make clear something that is oft lost sight of in the general fog surrounding this subject. The human and diva units on the upward arc who are the cells in his body go to the formation of the centers and not to the remainder of the cellular vital substance of his vehicles. See, the seven man has seven centers, just like the human has seven centers on the etheric plane. Man has a body made up of matter, which is applied to different uses, yet which form a unit. In this unit, there are certain areas of more vital importance than other areas from the standpoint of energizing force. (coughs) Such an area as the heart may, in this connection, be considered and compared with such an area as the calf of the leg. The entity man utilizes both, but the heart center is of paramount importance. Thus, it is also with a heavenly man. The two great hierarchies, diva and human, are force centers in the body of a planetary logos. The other evolutions of an involutionary nature extant within the scheme and the remainder of the active substance of the globes and all contained therein go to the content of the remainder of his body. Small a dot man and the planetary logos. With the diva evolution at this point, we have naught to do. I seek to concentrate attention on man as he functions on Earth. In order to clarify the idea of manus and its relation to a human being, it is necessary to point out certain things in connection with a heavenly man, which must be borne in mind. First, Each heavenly man holds the position of a center in the body of a solar logos. Therefore, the logos of a scheme will embody some outstanding characteristic. The ten schemes are the seven and the synthesizing three not the seven and a lower three. The lower centers were vital in the last solar system and are not counted in this one. They were synthesized and absorbed during the obscuration process of system one. All right. 
say, Abba, for between the first solar system and the second solar system, which is our solar system. Secondly, each heavenly man is consequently the embodiment of a particular kind of electrical force which flows through his scheme as man's force flows through someone of the etheric centers in his body. Each scheme, as each human center will, A, vibrate to someone key, have its own coloring, resemble, when seen from the higher planes, a vast lotus. This is not a physical fire. It's not a physical plant. The lotus here is an energy configuration that looks somewhat like the plant called the lotus. So each human center will possess, according to its vibratory capacity, a definite number of petals, be connected in geometrical formation with certain other centers of heavenly men making systemic triangles, be characterized by different stages of activity according to the initiation towards which the logos may be working. Thus, at one period, one center or heavenly man may be the subject of logoic attention and of special stimulation. At another period, a totally different scheme may be the object of vitalization. For some time, the logos, the solar one, has turned his attention to the earth scheme and to Saturn, while Uranus is receiving stimulation. (laughs) Much is therefore accentuated. An increased evolutionary development is the consequence of this divine attention. So in my own words here, planet Earth, is one of the vital centers in the solar system's body. Just as humans and divas make up centers as cells in the planetary body. Mm-hmm. So Mother Earth has seven vital centers on the etheric plane, and we humans make up part of those centers, not the other stuff of the planet, but of the of the vital energy centers of the planet. Right. All right, a little bit more. Okay, can we do another another? Short bit. 
Yeah, we could. I mean, it's past the time, but it's that not any different. Than, I mean, we're just going to go to the conference call, so we'd rather sit here and listen to you. How about that, Richard? Okay. When these <laughs> factors are borne in mind, it will be seen that the interaction and the complexity is of vast proportions. And man can do no more than accept the fact and leave the explanation until his consciousness is of greater scope. Yep. Third, one of the mysteries revealed at initiation is that of the logoic center, which our scheme represents, and the type of electrical fire which is flowing through it. The seven brothers, in quotes, or the seven types of phohatic force, express themselves through the seven centers, and the one who is animating our scheme stands revealed at the third initiation. It is by knowledge of the nature and quality of the electrical force of our center and by a realization of the place our center holds in the body logoic that the hierarchy achieves the aims of evolution. And the hierarchy in this case is that group on the spiritual plane that keeps an eye on and guides earth evolution. Right. It will be obvious that the heavenly man who stands for the Kundalini Center, for instance, will work differently and have a different purpose and method from his brother who stands for the heart center in the body logoic or to the heavenly man who embodies the logoic solar plexus. From this, it is apparent that the type of electrical force, the vibratory action, the purpose, the evolutionary development, the dual and triangular interaction of all the planets will differ. I put planets in there. He uses the term heavenly men. And so will the evolutions that form the cells in their bodies differ likewise. Little has, little has as yet been revealed about the types of evolutions which are to be found in the other schemes of our system. Suffice it to say that in all the schemes, on some globe in the scheme, human beings or self-aware or self-conscious units are to be found. Alright? So that means on multiple planets in this solar system, there are human beings or self-conscious units. 
Most of them are on the etheric physical plane, not the dense physical plane like we have on Earth. Conditions of life, environment, and form may differ, but the human hierarchy works on all schemes. It must also be borne in mind that just as all seven heavenly men are found in the body Logoic and are themselves under the influence of seven solar Logi, seven stars in total, using the word influence in its astrological sense, so in a planetary scheme, with its seven globes, each is astrologically under the influence of all the seven heavenly men. A scheme is but a replica of a system. Each of the heavenly men pours forth his radiation or influence and stimulates in some way some other center or globe. To word it otherwise, his magnetism is felt by his brothers in a greater or less degree according to the work being undertaken at any one time. At present, the heavenly men representing centers at different stages of stimulation being not all equally developed and being not as yet psychically unified, this magnetic interplay is little realized, and the psychic flow from one scheme to another is little utilized or comprehended. As time elapses, this interplay of force will become more evident and the force will be consciously employed. When men, for instance, know the quality of the force flowing through their particular scheme, semicolon, the purpose and name of the center they stand within, the center or heavenly man with whom the logos of their scheme is allied, which two schemes form with their own a triangle or logoic force at a certain stage of evolutionary development. And the secret of the cycles or the periods of stimulation or obscuration, then will the body logoic begin to achieve its purpose. Then will the logos of our system begin to blend and merge and coordinate all his vehicles. Then will the force flow through all the centers unimpeded, and then will the glory shine out 
cell and everybody, Lagoic, planetary, Deba, and human, blaze forth with perfected glory, vibrate with adjusted accuracy and a major cosmic initiation be taken. I think that's the word, Richard. You just got finished. I think I think that we should end <laughs> on and then the glory and then will the glory shine out and each cell and everybody the solar, planetary, diva, and human blaze forth with perfected glory. Now, that's a long way in the future. But that's where we're headed. That's right. According, according to the, this particular master of the wisdom. Yeah. Who wrote that book and, now? Uh, this is Alice Bailey. Okay, Alice Bailey. Yes, of course. A.K.A. the Master D.K. Right. There we go. All right. Let's see. Add to the above facts the accepted knowledge that this is the fourth round, and we have a five-fold alignment, which is of paramount significance to us all. Though it had an even greater significance and force in the fourth root race and brought about that stupendous psychic event, the opening of the door of initiation to the human hierarchy. So, uh, highly recommend you get this book, uh, and I highly recommend you read it with a red ballpoint pen because it makes it easier to uh, dissect these some of these longer sentences. Yep. Yeah, you can so contemplate. Our, our number, the number of the humans is the number four. Four, 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 four. But here's the problem. Most of the humans incarnated at this time are only working with the fourth principle, which is the lower mind. Yeah. The higher mind. Yeah. So, anyway. Uh, thank you very much for uh, letting me participate in your little roundtable here. Thank you, Richard. That was plenty. <laughs> to be continued. Let's do some uh, more. If you wish. You know, I'm, I'm not the right now, we but... Got I mean, Next week. Yeah. Yeah, it's my bedtime. So I know. Stay. <laughs> you stay past yeah, your look, bedtime. This, thank you, thank look, you. I realize that work requires sacrifice. It, it's a small happen. enough sacrifice for me to stay up when I when my eyes are watery and I'm about to pass out sleep uh, to sleep zone. <laughs> so we really appreciate you. Thank you, Richard, so much. All right. Love to all and everyone. Until we Thank meet again. You, Commander. Next week. Until we meet again. Namaste. Namaste. Aloha. All right, everybody. Well, let's have the phone numbers to go to the conference call now.
720-716-7301. And the pin code is 353-863-POUND. Alrighty, everybody. How oh, good vibrations are really happening now. I know that the, as Dougie said when he came back this week, he was somewhere doing something last week, but he said, everything's fine. I know the world's going crazy, but we're not part of that, are we? <laughs> so we'll see you on this conference call and we'll have a little chat. Uh, we've got lots to chew on, don't we? Namaste, everybody. We'll be right back here at BBS Radio at the top of the next hour for the last round. <laughs> All right. See you on the conference for now. Namaste. <sighs> thank you, Nala. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to get some music, you know. All right, we're going to uh, something here that we're going to start with. It's called, just move this a little closer here. It's called The Motherland of Mu. What catastrophe ended the ancient civilization of Mu? And all kinds of folks we know are in this little 27-minute piece. Greg Braden, Andrew Collins, William Henry, Matthew LaCroix, Maria Wheatley, Freddie Silva, Kadrick Olson, Brian Forrester, Forrester, Rita Louise, Ph.D. Could the area we have come to know as the mighty Pacific once have been mostly land. As so, what catastrophe ended the ancient civilization of Mu? From indigenous oral traditions to modern sacred texts, discover the mystery of the pre-Diluvian motherland of Mu. Explore alternative research from the combined disciplines of archaeology and spiritualism to uncover the potential originals for many of the legends throughout the Pacific Rim. Examine potential clues that led to Mu's catastrophic demise and spark a new understanding of the power and influence of this once thriving motherland that is now below the surface of the Pacific Ocean. And so we will begin. It's 27 minutes. Mm. Very interesting times we live in, everyone. Legends from around the planet speak of two great civilizations, Mu and Atlantis. 
that rose to prominence and power and were completely destroyed by catastrophes that are beyond our comprehension. Megalithic relics aligned to the ancient sky provide evidence that these civilizations harnessed a knowledge of the cosmos, mathematics, and architecture that completely defies modern human understanding. Who taught these great civilizations how to manipulate matter and bend the laws of gravity? How advanced did their technology become before their world ended? What happened to these great civilizations when the earth was drastically changed between roughly 12,800 and 11,600 years ago in a chaotic period of time named the Younger Dryas. Blending science with mythology provides a geological glimpse into the ancient record when the legends were born and the world abruptly ended for many species on planet Earth. Exploring evidence for sunken cities, lost continents, cosmic catastrophes, and prophecies, we can uncover a time when Earth's ancient ancestors nearly disappeared, leaving only relics from a time before the end of the world. The Pacific Rim Legendary tales echo throughout the entire coastline of the Pacific Ocean about a civilization that began roughly 50,000 years ago and understood the principles of nature and the elements. From the tales of the great sun god Maui to the mysterious past of the Polynesian islands, remnants from this great civilization who taught of the importance of our connection to the planet and the stars, are scattered throughout this legendary region, providing clues to a time when the empire we have come to know as Mu was a thriving civilization in the Pacific. Throughout history, there have always been references to an ancient motherland, a land that pre-existed long before civilization as we know it today. We find in the oral traditions of the indigenous peoples of the world, memories and stories of this ancient land all the way from the aboriginals in Australia through the Andes of southern Peru, Bolivian, Altiplano, all the way into Tibet and Nepal and India and all through the American desert southwest and more. The story that is told from this ancient continent of Mu is the story that predates all of the other civilizations. Everybody has heard about Atlantis. This is this island continent in the Atlantic Ocean, obviously. But there is an equal version of that in the Pacific Ocean. And this is the island continent of Mu. And there are various cultures that exist all over the Pacific that talk about the destruction of this island continent. Mu, or Mu'ul, as they tend to call it throughout the Pacific and South America, is a fascinating story because if you see the story from multiple angles around the Pacific, you begin to get a picture of what it actually was. This country, this continent, or series of islands, 
was actually the center of a civilization. And we have evidence from the people around the Pacific that talk about a time when a great catastrophe inundated the whole of the Pacific. There were all kinds of objects coming out of the sky, destroying their homeland. There are a number of cultures that talk about these events. On Easter Island, the natives claim that they came from a sunken land that once had a very advanced culture. In the Madrid Codex, it talks about a land that was shaken up and fell beneath the waters and was never seen again. It goes on to tell us that 64 million people died that day. There are legends about Mu, especially in the Pacific Northwest, the area around Mount Shasta, for example has amazing stories about a pre-flood civilization on Mu, which was very near the, the California coast. What they tell us in these stories is that the California coast originally extended two to five miles out from where it presently is. And that having foreknowledge of this impending cataclysm, that there were survivors that left and came over to California and settled in the area around and even within Mount Shasta. Several relics from this ancient civilization can be found throughout the mighty Pacific. From the mysterious megaliths to the tribal cultures and practices throughout, many agree that the ancient civilization of Mu influenced countless cultures. But the question remains, where was this legendary motherland? If you just look at the Pacific from space, for example, and you compare it to the rest of the earth, there's this unmistakable idea that there's a big piece of land missing. It's like what you're seeing today, the little dots of the islands around the Pacific are the tops of the mountains from where a landmass used to be. And that certainly is still in the memory of a lot of Pacific islands today. My personal belief is that what we call Mu was ancient Hawaii. If you looked at a topographical map of Hawaii and lower the sea level by 400 feet, all of the islands connect. So there are conflicting stories about Mool as a landmass. And once you start piecing these things together, you begin to realize it was a concept. Mool was an idea that actually brought together many cultures and many fragments together in what was essentially a group of islands. So it was more like an archipelago. Various cultures say that this is where they came from originally. This is where their ancestors came from many thousands of years earlier. And this was said to have been destroyed in a cataclysm. The inundation is what essentially made people escape this landmass and start spreading the colonization and the ideas around the Pacific. Evidence from Tibet sparked alternative researchers to explore the validity and power of this once thriving civilization in the center of the Pacific Ocean, known as Mu. The story of Mu begins in the 1900s with a British archaeologist named Sir Mark Arl Stein, who was traveling through Asia and specifically Tibet when he met a Taoist monk. The Taos monk went on to tell him this incredible story about these set of caves high in the cliffs known as the Caves of a Thousand Buddhas. In this story, the Taos monk describes how they were doing restoration work on a number of these caves 
And near cave number 16, they discovered a hidden chamber that opened up to a library that had not been seen by humans in over 800 years. As Stein was going through the library, he found pieces of an ancient map that described the lost civilizations of Mu and Atlantis. It also gave us descriptions of this volatile time period, showing inland flooding throughout North and South America, showing these catastrophes that were ongoing on the Earth at the time. And this map seems to give us a snapshot into a lost time period in history, showing that the Mu civilization in this entire landmass that had existed in the Pacific was in the process of being destroyed. And this map gives us a window into the past to understand this forgotten civilization and gives us the proof that it truly existed. After Sir Mark Arl Stein obtained this ancient map from the Taos monk, he brought it back with him, along with a number of other ancient texts. And that's when he got the attention of another writer, James Churchward. One of the most prolific writers on Mew was James Churchward. What Churchward said was that the survivors of Mew actually came onto the Asian continent and are the Uyghurs, the people that occupy what is today the extreme west of China, much persecuted people as we know, that they were actually the final remnants of the inhabitants of Mu. James Churchward really was the father of the evidence and the theories regarding the civilization of Mu. And that's where the story building off of the discoveries in the Taos cave of this map really begin. Because it was when James Churchward found some of the evidence that was being discovered outside of Mexico City by a man named William Niven, who discovered over 100 andesite tablets that were very mysterious at the time. It was when James Churchward got a hold of those rubbings of those tablets that the whole story really came together. Because according to James Churchward in his book, he describes how the tablets gave the context of the descriptions of the civilization of Mu, whereas the map gave the location and the details of how it was destroyed. Coupled together with the map and this new information, James Churchward formulated this entire set of new theories that we now build off of for the civilization of Mu and where it existed and when it existed. Geologists do acknowledge that there was a landmass called Sunderland. An ancient landmass precisely in the location in the Pacific where the ancient traditions say that this motherland existed. This land was exposed during a time in geologic history when the temperatures were much colder during the ice ages. Geologists actually look at this land bridge as the route for the migration from people from New Guinea, for example, in New Zealand into Australia. They were able to go across these land bridges because the water levels were low. According to Churchward, there was a continent that stretched all the way from what today we call the Hawaiian Islands down into Easter Island, over into the Indonesian Islands to the west. If you could imagine in the Pacific Ocean, a massive continent of that size in place of what we see as, as water today. In 1864, zoologist Philip Sclater noticed the presence of lemur monkey fossils near Madagascar, but not in Africa or Australia. He questioned if there was a landmass connecting Madagascar to India that once allowed these monkeys to migrate further than we once thought. 
This area became referred to as Lemuria. Throughout modern history, Mu has sometimes gone by the name Lemuria. In the early 1900s, Russian occultist Helena Blavatsky studied throughout the world and wrote about early human ancestors named the Lemurians. Though there are vast differences between the lives of ancient humans and how our modern civilization has been built, one thing is certain. Divine wisdom comes in many different disciplines, shapes, and sizes. So let's take a different view at some of these things. Let's look at some alternate information as to the origin of human history. A different sort of point of view and why we want to look to these, let's say, channeled texts to the information that they have. Well, when we go back and look at some of the ancient writings that we still have today, they are channel texts in one form or another. They were considered sacred documents. And when we look to the works of Madame Blavatsky, she tells us that the people of Mu, Lemuria, Atlantis, were guided by higher level beings. And this guidance came in the form of telepathic communication rather than verbal communication. And what we find fascinating is that the little pieces and parts that come from the channel texts of the modern world and the ancient world can be validated and verified through archaeological evidence. But what about the missing pieces? What about the blanks that we can't fill in? Well, that's where we go to the channel text that gets those little pieces and parts right that can be validated. Then we explore those texts and go, oh, this may be the motivations of how they did things. This may be why they did things. This may be how they did things. One of the most popular channelers in the 20th century was Edgar Casey, also known as the Sleeping Prophet. Throughout the early 1900s, Casey performed over 14,000 psychic readings, speaking at length about Earth's ancient history. Then, in the early 1980s, L&L Research in Louisville, Kentucky, conducted over 100 channeling sessions with a consciousness known as Ra. Ra expressed a knowledge and understanding of the universe and our ancient past, which drastically exceeds modern scientific understanding. These powerful sessions were gathered into a five-book collection named The Law of One. Now, when Ra was speaking through Carla Ruckert to tell us about Mu, they tell us that the people of Mu at that time period, around 50,000 years ago, were still somewhat primitive, but they had advanced spiritual distortions. And these advanced spiritual distortions helped them to connect to higher level beings that could teach them about building with stone and how to create their culture that they did. And the culture that they created was a helpful, harmless civilization, as Ra calls it that survived for quite a while until it finally became inundated, where the land sunk and the people fled throughout the world to far off places, most notably to South America and North America, the Polynesian Islands, Melanesia, uh, New Zealand, these various places. And this is what we find butt up against the works of Madame Blavatsky, who says the exact same thing for the exact same time period. The survivors of Mu, where did they go? That is probably a very big question and theories abound. But what I sense about these people through different disciplines 
So we can look through the discipline of archaeology, through dating systems. We can look through the disciplines of spiritualism with Madame Blavatsky, for instance. And we can even look at disciplines like past life regression. And if we combine all of those together to find out some kind of holy history, then the latter suggests that the survivors went not just to the locality of the islands nearby, which makes sense, you know, like the South Islands and Easter Island, but they went much further afield and colonized and, and sent their civilization and their understanding and their texts, their mathematics and astronomy to further afield, even to the Western world. So I don't see the survivors just being in one part of the world. They went everywhere. As the legendary myths remind us, divine intervention has helped many heroes throughout their journeys. Along with the tales of triumph are the legends of absolute destruction. When these powerful gods out there beyond the stars began fighting. The ancient Sumerian text, the Enuma Elish, as well as several other sources, refer to a previous planet in our solar system between Mars and Jupiter that was destroyed and is now the asteroid belt. Phaeton, Tiamat, Mulge, and Maldek are some of the names throughout history. In 1976, the book The Twelfth Planet by Zechariah Sitchin was published. In this polarizing book, he refers to this exploded planet as Nibiru. Sitchin's interpretation of this exploding planet is, it's very sci-fi. It's very fanciful in some people's opinion. But what's interesting about it is the way he expands our vision in terms of the way we look at these ancient myths. He, he puts it into the celestial realm and puts it into flesh and blood beings that are in conflict with one another. The asteroid belt is plainly there. There was a former planet in our solar system. And the Sumerian myth and the Enuma Elish, they're trying to come to terms with, with what happened and, and presenting a, a way of looking at our past. And Sitchin, when he comes in, is looking at it from a technological perspective. It's not to say he's wrong. It's not to say he's right. It's just a, it's a interesting way of looking at this. We know definitely in mythology that extraterrestrials were here. This is not just an invention. We know it because they say it themselves. They say their fathers, the gods, traveled to outer space. They mentioned gigantic spaceships. They mentioned wars. They mentioned that they went to Mars, that they went to the moon. They definitely went to outer space. This is all mentioned in old Mahabharata. Another source that we need to reference to have an open-minded skepticism when we look to the ancient world is Swaru. Swaru Avera claims to be a Pleiadian being that is in orbit around the Earth. Swaru described Tiamat as a mostly water-based planet that was in orbit around between Mars and Jupiter, thinking about 80% the size of Neptune. So we're talking a very large water-sized planet with an advanced civilization on it, advanced by our terms. Well, at the time period where all of this was going on, you know, 13,000 plus years ago, there was a major conflict between humanoid species and reptilian species. 
the humanoid species were aligned with something called the Galactic Federation, and the Reptilian had their Orion Council, the Dracos, were all fighting with each other. One of the pivotal points that they were in conflict was around this planet Tiamat. And as part of this war, this continuing war, this huge watery planet was destroyed. The result of which is the asteroid belt that we know about today. This caused devastation through our, our whole solar system, including putting Venus into a closer orbit towards the sun, which we find in ancient texts all over the place telling us that Venus had a different position. And now it became this fiery, super hot planet where it is now. And so this destruction, which we can hardly fathom today, how do you destroy a planet? In Greek mythology, Tiamat was renamed as Phaeton, the son of Helios. Suffers a similar destruction. There's gods flying around in chariots, crashing into the earth. It's a very similar story that opens up the imagination to thinking about flesh and blood extraterrestrial beings or spiritual beings that are traveling in some sort of chariots of the gods, some kind of craft that are somehow still impacting the earth and that it's an explanation of our origins. When you read these stories about Tiamat and interpret it as a possible planetary conflict between two rival cultures, you wonder, well, how, how could it ultimately get to that point? Wouldn't there be a group, a governing body like a galactic federation that could intervene to prevent such a, a terrible occurrence? And Part of the answer to that is it's somewhat disconcerting when you look at even the flood myth on earth. The gods who dwell in heaven and are part of a divine council that you could interpret as a galactic federation knew this cataclysm that destroyed ancient civilization was going to happen and they let it happen anyway. They perhaps couldn't intervene or perhaps weren't allowed to intervene for whatever reason. And so it's very, uh, very interesting to look at this idea of a divine council or galactic federation and what their limits might have been in terms of saving a civilization or, or actually intervening. The planet Earth is hurt and was hurt. We have hundreds of thousands of creatures. Some of them may be natural, but others not. Might be the, the, the result of a catastrophe. Definitely in old holy books, the few which exist, we have the war in heaven. It is described the gods were fighting against each other with atomic bombs, no way out. So we have this description. When combining the myths, legends, and lore of the ancient civilization of Mu, we discover the same recurring theme. Water was a powerful element in the destruction of the motherland. As scientists search for evidence about Earth's violent history, there's a powerful piece of the story that remains unanswered. Where the scientific community, they are asking, where did the ice come from? They are asking this question, where did the water come from our planet? And this is a question where the scientific community has no answer. So what is believed to have happened is that the sea levels rose very, very quickly from a mysterious event that still is not well understood by modern science. It's a mysterious event that caused a tremendous rise in the sea levels, rapidly burying everything underwater, submerging everything underwater. 
in a way that left only remnants today. And we see flat top remnants of these mountaintops that if they were above sea level would exceed anything that we see above sea level today. That's how deep the water would have to be to cover this mysterious continent. From a geologic perspective, there is resistance in traditional geology that such a thing could happen for a number of reasons. One of the reasons is the geology and the activity around the geology is based upon computer models. And the computer models show that for this kind of event to happen, so much water would have to be present so quickly in such a short period of time. And the upheavals that would be required on the seafloor to allow this kind of, of submerging of an entire continent are something the models simply cannot account for at this time. Science holds that there was never a flood, but 12,800 years ago, there was a major cosmic impact. The object has many names, one of which is Phaeton. Phaeton impacted the Earth. Its remnants are found in the Southern Ocean, southeast of Madagascar. Geologists know there was a cosmic impact. You can see that there was a very dense central core. So you can see this scrape, it's a thousand mile long scrape emanating from the center of the impact to where the central core came to rest. And it is almost unimaginable. It completely changed the planet. James Churchward, he has some very interesting paintings on the destruction of the Mew. In one of them, it shows inhabitants being overcome by a wave of water. And another one that I find most intriguing, he shows the waters, but now these waters have icebergs in them. When this object hit, it was ice and some huge icebergs or ice chunks didn't melt initially. They got coursed as the coursed made their way around the planet. Now, I want to know is how did Churchward know that? Where did he get his information and does that information currently exist? Could the area we have come to know as the mighty Pacific have once been mostly land roughly 12,900 years ago? Regardless of the journey, Earth has become the watery planet of this majestic solar system. As alternative researchers search beneath the surface for more evidence of this ancient civilization in the Pacific, the stories survive through the sacred teachings, practices, and relics found throughout this infamous territory known as Mu, the ancient motherland. goodness that was that was full of information um, yeah you had a book by church word Rama. what was that book called um it could have been the people of mood the children of mood you don't remember you read the book i thought yeah it's it was uh, young sisters oh no yeah no that's the end of that story. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, it's not at Deanna's sister's house. It was at Deanna's house, and yeah. Then they took them all. And mm-hmm. moving forward, let it all go, everybody. Wow, that was excellent. Yeah. 
All right, so you're going to forward all this stuff so that other people can listen again during the week or whatever. All right, well, now we're going to head to our friends Ethan Fox and Michaela. Okay. Uh, this one is 52 minutes and 30, 36 seconds. Yeah. And it's called Soul Contracts and Twin Flames. Oh, <laughs> my. As you do not have... Oh, no, I need that. Um... Um, we will soon be launching on many more platforms without ads. So you got to watch out for the ads, you know. Yeah, okay. Here we go. They have done that, but wait a minute. Um, I'm just trying to see if it's saying what, uh, what they're specifically. No, I guess not. Yes, we'll just listen and we'll find out what they have to share today. Yes. 52 minutes and 36 seconds. Here we go. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Awaken Empowered podcast. I'm Michaela Sheldon. I'm here with Ethan Fox. And in our last podcast, we discussed navigating Saturn-Neptune and some of the challenges we may be facing as humans as we transition to the fifth dimension, which might be far easier with a very good relationship. Someone who's standing by our side, who thinks the same way we do and can support us as we are all in the midst of this turbulence together. Yet, unfortunately, What I'm finding and what others I think are noticing is it's more of a case not to be in a relationship at this moment or to be in a relationship in a relationship that isn't necessarily supporting you the way that you believe is best. So we thought we tackled this conversation in a podcast today. Well, we didn't really plan it this way, but when the show comes out, it'll be sweetest day. So so sort of appropriate to to be discussing this topic, but what Michaela is saying is is um, definitely true, and most of us know the statistic, uh, especially in Western countries. I'm not really sure about less developed countries, although in China I do follow uh, quite extensively. But the problem of relationships is uh, is a global situation in recent decades, and probably a lot of it is. I mean, obviously a lot of it's been orchestrated by our governments and institutions and so on. Um, in China, for example, they had the one child only policy. So a lot of the parents in the last many decades, if they had a female child, they uh, boarded that child. So they, there's an abundance of men in China and uh, not very many women for them. So a lot of men are uh, are alone uh, and there's uh, because of the economic environment there now. A lot of people are struggling and not uh, getting into relationships because the women want men with money uh, and the men won't have the confidence to ask uh, someone into a relationship unless they have money. So there's a lot of complications there. Bring into that the high divorce rate uh, that we have uh, globally, especially in Western countries. Uh, 
And also um, there's the prevalence these days of uh, new technologies like artificial intelligence. Uh, for example, um, some of you may not know, but there are AI girlfriends you can have now who you can chat with online who can carry on conversations with you. And, and um, from what I understand, to a great extent, from a conversational standpoint, seem like a real person on the other end. Uh, and as that develops further, we also uh, we have uh, now artificially intelligent um, uh, avatars or virtual girlfriends you can have on uh, various online. BBS Radio TV, leading you out of the darkness and into the next room where there's seating and popcorn and BBS Radio TV. BBS Radio TV, from metaphysical politics to 9D chess, we cover the full spectrum of mind candy to set you free. Ha <laughs> ha, go ahead, take flight, baby. <laughs> it's all from the Midnight Special. Ha ha ha. So thank you. That's, that's so we know. All right, five, four, three, two. Here we are. We're back again. There was a bit of um, a glitch. Uh, yeah, just an adjustment. So don't back up it very much. Did you back no. it up? It looks like okay. We're gonna continue where we were. Go ahead, Ron. Okay. Uh, AI for girlfriends or relationships and partners. And then, of course, we have a great number of the people, especially in the spiritual community, who are in relationship with partners who may not match the same consciousness level as them. So so globally, with all of these, and, and especially another factor that's going to only accelerate, and of course, in the last few years, now we have vaccinated, unvaccinated people, uh, or people who are on one side of the politics or the other, who wouldn't intermingle with each other. So that brings another level of complication that um, that brings challenges into relationships as well. Um, so there's so many things that are problematic in our society that are, uh, and, and many of these things are being created artificially um, from our governments or uh, through propaganda through various agencies like the CIA in the United States, for example, Planned Parenthood, all of these various institutions are creating these ideologies that are uh, that are causing these problems in society that are continuing to perpetuate it. And of course, when you have an economic climate like we have now and that we're heading into a depressionary environment, relationships tend to struggle even more during depressionary environments. Now, on the tail end of that, maybe it will it will cause a solution to emerge. But but while going into economic uh, difficulties, we tend to have worse situations and relationships. So we're kind of in this environment globally where there are so many factors that are interfering with having balanced, harmonious relationships. And even although artificially intelligent girlfriends in some respects can maybe satisfy some of the emotional needs of the people who are, or even artificially intelligent boyfriends. Although I imagine it's mostly men taking advantage of these types of um, relationships. Um, 
I'm sure it can satisfy some of the emotional needs, but as human beings, having a relationship with an artificial intelligence is not going to satisfy the, um, the, the needs of that human soul developing in a human journey. So we have many factors that are at play um, that are heading us down a direction where human society is continuing to degrade. And I think at the very fundamental level, if we can't repair relationships and we can't really repair society. So many different angles that we can take and, you know, viewpoints we can look at as we talk about relationships. But, but when you're talking about all these things, the first thing that comes to my mind is how important relationships are in terms of us feeling empowered and having the capability to walk through difficult times as one, because if we're moving into uh, a period of unity consciousness, it, it really isn't just about community. I think it, it really has to start within the home. But if we go back to many of the channelings that we've been doing on the, the channel revelations show, uh, the basic premise is weakening humanity. So so if we do not have strong relationships, we all as individuals become a, a weaker expression of, of our soul vibration. And, you know, some people won't receive that well because you know, we've been taught that, you know, we have to love ourselves and and we are the ones who are creators. And, and all of that is true. Yet those of us who are in this community who've studied the channeling and, and a variety of other things know that in ancient civilizations, uh, those partnerships were revered for the purpose of leading communities through challenging times or manifesting uh, on behalf of both parties, something that was necessary to further their missions. So if we're going into a period of purpose where those of us in this community are stepping into roles of, of way showers or even changing those roles, it's going to be really important for us to also consider the partner that we're with or the absence of a partner, I think. And I'm, I'm really, really seeing that in my private sessions uh, and in my inner circle community. I get more questions about relationships uh, than I do anything else. And unfortunately, what I've been seeing with a lot of women that make up the bulk of my followers is that their relationships seem to be falling apart. And I think it is reminiscent of what's going on uh, in what we call the third dimension that we're leaving behind because many of these relationships were built on not only a false premise and idealistic beliefs about what relationships should be, but they didn't have the foundation necessary to carry us through this transition. So, so ultimately, in a partnership, I think what's going to be really important is the resilience of being able to change both internally, externally, and for the world to change, and both parties to still be committed to that relationship, which isn't something that we're necessarily seeing, you know, so much anymore. And I can relate to the spiritual divide that's going on in partnerships because that also happened in my personal life. Um, and I've, I've told this story before that when I awakened to my channeling gift, I, I was with a partner who had a really hard time um, accepting this new part of me and had a, a, a diff- even more difficult time 
walking this path that I was stepping onto. So, so naturally the relationship, um, had to fall apart. And after all the channeling I've done, I've really gained a new and interesting perspective about what soul contracts or soul partners are. Um, we think they are individuals that we have pre-planned, uh, to meet as a part of our destiny to carry us to the next level. And I don't think it's as specific as that necessarily. I think there are a variety of different partners and people that can come in to meet us at our personal level of ascension. So, so as partners come in and out, it's typically because something within us has changed and that vibration is calling the next level partner that's able to carry us to the, the, the extent of ascension that we haven't gotten to yet. And there's such a different viewpoint, I think, as to how we see relationship today, where there's this ideal partner who looks a certain way and who does certain things and compliments things about us. But the second we put all of those conditions out there, we're really negating what our soul and the the infinite intelligence of our higher self understands is important for our evolutionary journey. So, so I think all of that actually comes into play as well. Well, if, you, if you're not an astrologer or even a numerologist of some form or use some kind of form of divination to be able to see the different influences in uh, one person's life journey versus another then you may not be aware of the the nature of what I'm going to mention here. But what I've noticed over the decades of studying cycles is that every person has a certain, well, not just person, animals, cars, anything. We all have birth charts and uh, birth charts will show us what our journey is meant to be, uh, including challenges along the way and things like that. But it also shows us how we interact with the world outside of us. So. Nothing is more prevalent or significant in that interaction outside of us than the person who's closest to us in our lives. Now, maybe growing up as children, those would be our parents or siblings. Um, but once you're in a relationship or marriage, it would be that partner that you're with who would show up as that primary influence of the outer world in your human journey. So if you have an astrology chart that is afflicted in a particular way, which all of our charts have difficult influences in conjunction with easy ones. Some people have more difficult influences than others, and some have more easy influences than others. But we all have those areas where we're here to learn and grow through challenging circumstances. And those challenging circumstances, whatever they are in your chart, will always manifest through the partners you attract or don't attract. And and so... It's easy for us to blame the other person we're with and say, oh, that person is this way and that's why the relationship sucks or, um, you know, it's not my fault, it's their fault. Um, or uh, even the whole idea of I see a lot of people, not only in the spiritual community, but I think it's very prevalent in those self-improvement communities where we feel like if we just take another class in that area, we're going to be good at that thing. So if we just take another class on attracting soulmates, or if we just take another class or go through 
a couple of years of hypnosis, we can repair all of our psychological traumas from childhood and past relationships. And as a result, we're going to be perfect and we're going to attract the perfect soulmate. It doesn't really work quite like that. Not, not that those things are not useful, but I think in order to repair whatever psychological traumas or even ancestral traumas you may have, you can certainly go back into the past and, and work on those things. But if you're not in the meantime working on them in your physical life at the same time, you're not going to make progress. You can't solve those problems by not being in a relationship. You have to solve them by being in a relationship and even attracting partners who may push those buttons in those areas uh, in order to help you evolve and grow. So, so to some extent, we have to take the risk and be out there and uh, and struggle and face those challenges and come out better. And in that way, I think even uh, if you if you have uh, someone who's going through a series of bad relationships. As long as each time they're improving, each new relationship will get better and better. And that's how you get them. Of course, if you're not learning and evolving and improving, then, of course, they won't improve. But that is, I think, one of the most important ways to continue to improve in in a relationship. So soul contracts uh, and soulmates are not this idealistic, uh, blissful uh, relationship where you're going to get swept off your feet and everything's perfect because that person's now in your life. If your chart is afflicted in certain areas, your soul contracts are going to be with partners who push those areas of your life where you're here to evolve and grow. So if you don't know what those areas are, if you haven't studied your astrology or numerology or other modalities or gone to somebody who can uh, explain those things to you, then it's easy for us to point the finger at the other person and say, well, they're the one that was at fault. Um, and, and not that they're not at fault, but they are how they are because you chose to have that experience or else they wouldn't be there. Now, that having been said, as you evolve uh, as a soul, those areas of challenge in your chart will continue to soften and improve. You can't really do that by not being in a relationship. You may have to just you know, get down into the... Uh, into the mud and, and um, deal with those circumstances in a very physical, tangible way uh, while being in a relationship and and then continuing to improve uh, as you as you do that. So so we have to always consider the karmic implications of our of our cycles and our birth charts that we were born with and how those karmic implications will attract certain kinds of relationships and soulmates to fulfill those journeys that we came here to have. And and so we can't avoid those things, um, but we can go through them and evolve and improve. And as we do, each new relationship improves or that relationship you're in will improve. Uh, I found that to be true. If, you know, if somebody um, continues to evolve, but the relationship doesn't evolve with them, oftentimes a relationship will fall away and you'll find yourself in a better one. Uh, and one, you know, one, measure that I've seen, for example, if somebody has the planet Uranus going through their seventh house in their chart, um, I've seen that as almost always a breakup of the relationship or marriage uh, and in order for something new to come in. So you'll often see that in people's charts as well if you follow astrology closely enough. Or in the very least, that relationship will evolve and change and may become something better. 
So there are no accidents to where we find ourselves uh, in terms of uh, relationships. We always have to consider the larger implications of our soul's journey. And, you know, if your soul came here to experience being alone because that was something you wanted to experience, then no amount of classes on soulmates or anything else is going to change that. doesn't mean you'll be alone your whole life. You could even be married and still feel alone. Um, but I don't think that really encompasses a large amount of the population. There may be some people on the planet who came here to experience that. But, um, but I think on the whole, the majority of people could be in a relationship. But we always have to consider these dynamics of the interaction of our astrology, numerology, and other uh, charts interaction with each other and how that will orchestrate how those relationships actually play out, whether you know, positive or negative. In the, in the book, the guides say there's no more perfect decision that we make before coming to Earth than our incarnation date because it's somewhat like a portal and it's facilitating the experiences on our behalf which includes every relationship. So so it's always perfect in terms of the situations we find ourselves in. Not that trauma and abuse are perfect. So when we're talking about physical abuse, these are patterns that are collective. And I think we, we really have to keep that in mind. And, and it can be helpful if you're working through trauma in, in relationship to remember that the lack of love perpetuated through generations is what shows up in in the ego that inflicts pain on another. And and so we're typically experiencing those things because we are here to be a healer of them on behalf of humanity, whether that is we are choosing to heal ourselves and through relationship to expand the very definition of love, uh, or we're literally taking that experience to the greater collective and somehow you're meant to teach or, or heal and, and transmute it. But I think it's important to address the idea of soulmates and twin flames because I know we'll get this question and and everyone's really interested in, and I've done a lot of channeling on it and I've, I've really through my own relationships um, kind of come up with a, a slightly different definition than what others might consider. Um, And what the guys typically say is that, a soulmate is more of an earthly type of connection where a twin flame is a cosmic connection. Right. But I don't think that necessarily applies only to past lives, meaning, you know, a soulmate is only someone we've been with in other earthly lives where a twin flame is someone we've only experienced lives on other planets with. What I've learned is that a soulmate relationship is really more grounded in terms of the self because we're trying to break apart the ego that's blinded us from actually seeing the other. And in soulmate relationships, I do not think are easy. I think they can be some of the most painful relationships because they are based on some of the most challenging karmic themes that couples have had to deal with throughout history. But a twin flame relationship is a bit different. And I'm going to use us as an example because um, it isn't that the problems aren't there. Um, what what Mary says is many on the planet are, are searching for the perfect love. There is no perfect love. You're searching for uh, the, the one that loves despite imperfections. 
Mm-hmm. And those imperfections are usually triggering something within us. So, for example, um, in many of my past relationships, I, I faced a great deal of betrayal, uh, lies, and I learned not to trust myself, and I built up walls to trusting other people. What a twin flame relationship will do is not take the, those pains away or those uncomfortable thoughts and feelings away, but provide someone who's willing to work through it with you. And, and it, it takes you out of the, the ego and the singular perception where we're arguing, I think, with each other. And it, it really softens the ability to work through these issues without, um, dissent or difficulty. And, and, and again, it's not to say that there isn't difficulty that is going to happen, but the relationship grows with each individual to the degree that each individual is willing to be fully transparent about their past, how they feel in the moment, how the past is affecting the present moment. And I think that's the key. So if we look at the way the earth is transitioning right now, from the third to the fifth dimension, it makes a soulmate versus a twin flame that much more clear, I think, because we've really been focusing on societal programs, ideals, acceptance when it comes to relationships. We have also been hiding ourselves, parts of ourselves um, that we did not believe would be accepted by others. And that's uh, the cornerstone of many of the relationships today that that are falling apart, things are hidden and um, not accepted uh, in in each other. And there are secrets, which I do not believe can be a part of any good relationship at all. But as we move into the fifth dimension, the twin flame is more of a cosmic love because those things don't stand in the way uh, of us being able to uh, live together and support each other in our unique missions, creativity, purpose, you know, without having to constantly put karma in the way, right? Or have that stand in the way of, of what we're here to accomplish and how we're here, um, to evolve. Another factor that, um, you sort of touched on a little bit is some of the programs in society. And we're only now starting to realize that the women's liberation movement as an example was really not about independence and freedom for women, but is really about splitting the family and, and uh, taking kids out of the care of the parents and moving them into an educational system at a younger age where they can be programmed and brainwashed into the society we live today. So now we're in modern times seeing the maturation of that women's liberation movement where we have, a uh, society where people are largely divorced and alone and uh, and where um, women have been pushed into the workforce. And so, you know, a lot of that was also for tax purposes. So more Americans would pay taxes. Now, globally, I don't, this may be different in your area, but in the U.S. anyway. Uh, and I'm sure there were some factors globally that were, that sort of match the same pattern. But here, that was a circumstance since the 1970s until now. And now we know that it was a CIA operation and, and we also see the same agendas in place today. So we have a society today where 
men and women can't relate or can't be in relationships because women have gone so far toward the masculine side and men have gone so far toward the feminine side that we don't have those psychological differences anymore that really attract us to each other. And I think those are important factors because even though, um, you know, a lot of men believe that women want men with money, but really it's not about the money and it's not even necessarily about the attractiveness uh, itself. It's really about that sense of confidence and strength and masculinity that men used to have uh, in decades ago that has been fading more and more. And some of that is societal conditioning. Uh, some of that is uh, also diet. Uh, it could also be plastics in the water. Um, so many factors that have increased estrogen levels and reduced testosterone levels in men. And also with women, hormone levels are out of balance as well. So we see so many circumstances in society that have changed what human beings are. We've been sort of altered genetically to a point where we're not. That's another factor that's causing us to not be able to function well in relationships as well. And you also mentioned um, the uh, ancestral patterns as well. And, and I think that's a, you know, especially, especially in the spiritual community, we tend to focus a lot of energy and attention on spiritual practices and modalities in order to go into the past and repair things. So we have a lot of ancestral um, modalities out there to repair our ancestral patterns. And, and certainly in most cases, if you have a health problem or a psychological problem uh, or a relationship problem, drinking problem, any one of those things, quite often there is an ancestral lineage of that. And also for spiritual gifts and things like that too. Oftentimes those are ancestral. So we get more from our parents and grandparents than just their physical looks. We we get those psychological patterns. So if your parents grew up in a Great Depression, you may have those sort of belief systems ingrained within you, uh, even though you may not be conscious of them. And so there are many ways of, of dealing with this. If there's a relationship problem, you can certainly go into your ancestral patterns and work on those things. But I think if you don't simultaneously work on them now in, in your physical life, then that is not enough. Because the way to repair, or even financial problems, let's use that as an example. If you are somebody who struggles financially and your ancestors did, using me as an example, let's say, my um, I was born in India. And my grandfather was, um, I don't even remember exactly what he used to do, uh, but I know that they lived in a very meager um, uh, uh, environment, a home environment. And I don't think he had very much money. Uh, my, my parents actually came to the United States and made money and sent it back to my grandparents. And, and so they built a very affluent uh, home and things like that uh, after that time. But I, I grew up in that environment of going from that poverty um, uh, ancestry. Uh, and also my childhood was that way. My parents had that sort of poverty mindset because they both grew up in, in poverty. And, and so that mindset was still there in the ancestry, even though they were, uh, you know, we were a middle class family at that time. And uh, and they were doing well, or certainly by Indian standards, they were doing extraordinarily well. Yet that ancestry was there and that transferred on to me. So now I can go back and repair that ancestry using spiritual healing modalities. And that's certainly one path. 
but I still have to walk the life and I still have to take the steps to learn about money. And that's probably largely why I've had such an interest with macroeconomics and, and financial markets and things like that throughout my entire adult life, even when I was younger than that. So my process of going through that and failing and trying again and failing and trying again and failing uh, over and over in my life and each time failing a little less and and then improving and then improving and getting to a point where each time I fail and try again, I'm improving. That's how you repair those ancestral patterns. And by you repairing them, by living a fuller, better life yourself, that pattern now gets repaired in your ancestry as well. So your parents, your grandparents, that energy gets neutralized. Uh, it, it wouldn't be enough for me to go to a past life regression therapist and go back into my ancestry and rewrite those patterns. I also have to live it. And the same is true for relationships. We have to live it in order to improve it. We have to have better relationships now, even if we try and fail a million times. Uh, and as we improve, those ancestral patterns are rewritten as well. Same is true for health. Any of those things where you find yourself struggling in your life now because of a pattern that exists in your ancestry, rewriting those patterns is how you live your life. So by living better, you change those patterns. Uh, and that's what we all have to do in every area. I think the question might come up, what happens if my partner doesn't want to improve? And and I hear that all of the time is, you know, we have people in the inner circle community, women who are spiritually advancing and they are in arguments with their relationships. The, you know, the spouse is not willing to go on that inner journey with them. And I think that can be, you know, really hard, but I can say what the guides always advise and it is full transparency and consciousness. So we have to be really careful. I think especially right now with Chiron and Aries and all the division we have on the planet, not to get involved in the argument. It's really the same thing in the world as it is in relationships. If we entangle ourselves in the argument or in the wrong timeline, we're not really going to do the timeline justice at all. So we have to expose all of ourselves. We have to be vulnerable and compassionate and conscious in expressing how we feel, even if that means we're not happy. Because ultimately what I believe is if the relationship is going to come to an end, it must come to an end in the most conscious way possible. That doesn't mean that the other party is in agreement with that or conscious at all. It has to do with you because if you truly want to attract the next and better relationship, how you leave every other relationship behind is the magnet or the glue between that one and the next. So, so if we want to get out of these repeating ancestral patterns, I think consciousness is the key, regardless of how difficult the relationship seems uh, to be or is, because in the third dimension, you know, we've really been taught that we have to self-protect and put up boundaries and, you know, fight for the things that we want. And not that these things are bad. I think 
obviously if we're in a relationship that is traumatic or somehow physically harmful, those boundaries are extremely important. But in the spiritual community, we talk about this stuff all the time energetically. You know, we're going to put up boundaries because our, our partner is bringing home all this negative energy. And, and I don't think that actually helps the situation. So, so yes, I agree. We have to get on the physical plane and, and grounded in our earthly experience and really be willing to go into the discomfort of why our relationships are the way that they are because the guide say pushing that envelope is kind of like speeding up the vibration or the timeline because I know a lot of people, they stay in relationships and they experience the same patterns again and again and again. And that's just resistance, right? So, so if we get out of the resistance and we, you know, poke the sleeping tiger, in other words, and we're willing to go into our most uncomfortable place in a conscious and loving way, um, we're going to find ourselves in a new timeline regardless because either that partner is willing to hear us at that level or a new partner is meant to come in. And, and I do agree with what you said about being alone. Um, and, and I have experienced this also quite a bit in my private sessions and I want to add a little spin to it. Um, like I'd say we're going through a very chaotic transition right now with, um, a lot of interesting different vibrational speeds. You know, people are coming in and out of certain timelines and dimensions, and we're moving very quickly through time space. And because of that, some of us who have been alone um, might be experiencing a lot of relationships really quickly that seem almost otherworldly. And I've had this too, where um, people have come to me in session and they've met a lot of partners, potential relationships that have felt otherworldly, significant, but ended up in tragedy or just didn't last. And and I think that's what can happen in these energies is we're working through a lot of karma. We're purging density. Um, we're evolving very quickly and things are going to come in and out of our life. But that is never sustainable for a very long period of time. So so while I'm sure people come in to experience being alone, I don't think that's our true organic divine plan. I think we are all here and meant to be in relationship, especially if we expect that we're going into a more unified collective. Regarding you know breaking up relationships, I think one thing that a lot of people who are in those circumstances, of course, you know, breaking up a relationship especially one that's been going on a long time, whether it be marriage or just a relationship, um, can be very catastrophic in the lives of two people who are going through it, uh, especially if you share resources or homes or other other things. And the thing that we need to keep in mind is whenever those things occur, whenever major breakups happen in relationships, it's always in our cycles. So it's not as if, we should have done things differently. And if we had, the relationship would have been better. It was just circumstance that was meant to play out at that time. And that's why it's playing out at that time. You wouldn't see a breakup of a relationship in a time in a person's life where the cycles didn't reflect that. So none of these things are random. And even though you as the ego self having the human experience may not know this or may not uh, have wished that upon yourself to have that 
turbulent period of your life, uh, it was nonetheless something your soul would have chosen to have as, a, as an experience at that time, or else it wouldn't be in your cycles. So we always have to understand that we are heading in the right direction. Even when we're in the midst of catastrophic changes in our lives, those are things that our, our soul put in place in our human experience in order to have those journeys at that time. So relationships will continue to evolve in that way, and you'll always end up in the right place, whatever that is. Um, but, you know, once those circumstances occur, I think one of the things that uh, that I that I believe is a problem in our society in general is that we, you know, we've talked about this in many channel revelation shows and, and other shows as well, where we've grown up in a society that is uh, very much centered around worship of others or, or uh, idol worship. And idol worship takes form in many ways. It could be worshiping our leaders, our presidents. It could be worshiping celebrities. It could be worshiping social media influencers. Um, you know, it could be any, any number of those factors. And, and that sort of moved us away from, uh, from realizing our own potential. So especially nowadays, because society's degraded so much, especially since the 1970s, we have entered a period of time where majority of human beings, especially younger ones, have diminished their self-respect and, and lost their sense of ambition and drive to be extraordinary in whatever way that is for them. And I find that uh, if we became extraordinary in our own unique ways, that relationships would just naturally happen. Yeah, you know, I'll give you an example. I was, um, I watch a lot of videos on, on YouTube and other platforms and, uh, and a lot of, uh, things I'm interested in are macroeconomics and things like that. Very grounded topics as well as spiritual and, um, archaeology and things like that. But there's one individual who is an expert in the macroeconomics space and he shared a personal story in one of his videos recently where uh, now he retired at a very young age and he shares a story about how uh, when he was very young, he retired and he lived in this very affluent apartment building. And it just so happened that uh, a lot of um, uh, basketball stars lived in the same apartment building. So over time, he got to be friends with them and just hung out with them on a regular basis. And, and he would share how um, he and his friends would get together in the bar and, and, uh, and right after a game, um, these, all of these, uh, stars or celebrities in the basketball space would hang out in this bar and he would be there with them. And he said that there would be a hundred, uh, beautiful women who were, uh, lined up to talk to these guys. And these women would do anything. And quite often they'd follow the men home to their apartments afterwards, uh, even if the men didn't want anything to do with them. So now he, what I got from this story was, was not what might may, may be apparent, but it is that when people do something extraordinary, now in this case, it's also, also an example of idol worship, but, but it shows that now the vast majority of men especially when they're younger, tend to be very insecure about asking a girl out or, or uh, going out on a date, for example. Um, but 
these men who are the sports stars experience an entirely different phenomena. They have too many women who are pursuing them and they don't even have to pursue any of them. And on the one hand, this might look at as uh, a celebrity worship. But on the other hand, I also see it as these individuals have stepped out in a way that that they are drawn to do. In this case, it may be basketball and do something extraordinary in such a way that other people have such a level of admiration for them that they want to be with them in a relationship or just be around them. And and I think each of us can do that in our own individual lives, in our own individual ways. Now, that may be maybe somebody's a rocket scientist and uh, and they're very nerdy and very not very social people. But when you become extraordinary in that field that you are drawn to and that you're excited about, you're going to shine in that space and other people are going to look up to you and are going to uh, going to see that extraordinary nature part of you. And I think this is something that's missing from our society is in many respects, we've been led down this path of where we depend more and more on the state for the things that we depend on. And we've been diminished as individuals to where most people, they find themselves in carbon copy career paths or uh, and they do the same thing other people do as opposed to tapping into what makes them special and really becoming good at that thing. So I, I think that if all of us were to discover what that is, and I talk about this in a lot of our conversations about how finding what's extraordinary about us that we're really good at doing, that we love doing, that other people need, that if we focus on that area and we do that really well, then other people are drawn to us in in that area. Now, that doesn't mean it's something in the public stage. You could be a really good gardener or you could be really good at any number of things. Um, You could be a member of um, some community that gets together and goes hiking. But in whatever thing that interests you, if you become extraordinary in that area, then other people will see that confidence and will see that strength in that area and will be attracted to you. It doesn't really matter what you physically look like. If these basketball players were unattractive, they would still have people lined up at the door to want to talk to them or to be in a relationship with them. Same is true in friendships. When you stand out a particular area uh, in whatever way that is for you, other people are going to be drawn to you because they want to learn from you or they want to speak with you or they just think you're very interesting. If you look at a lot of social media influencers in the recent decades, an example, because this has become a phenomena on platforms like TikTok. Uh, and there are a lot of social media influencers on TikTok who um, – look very unusual or even a little weird sometimes, or in some cases not very attractive in what we would consider in mainstream society as attractive. Yet they have millions of followers. And uh, because they created something where they put themselves out there in that way. Now I'm not suggesting you would do that. But what I'm suggesting is that the missing piece to being attractive to others is not uh, is not a factor of age. So to them, you know, a lot of people feel like, well, I'm too old to be in a relationship who would be interested in me, or I'm not good looking enough to be in a relationship. Uh, so who would be interested in me? Um, those factors certainly do help. I mean, if you're attractive, of course, other people are going to 
find you attractive and look at you more in terms of what is attractive in society today. In some more ancient societies, they had different measures of attractiveness that we would not consider attractive today uh, on a mass scale anyway. So those things can change culturally over time. So it's not really a physical thing. It's really more of that sense of inner confidence that we have that draws other people to us in any form of relationship that makes us interesting because we are interesting people. We become interesting people by tapping into what gives us passion and and um, fascination about life and the universe and putting all of our energy into developing that talent in that area. And other people will be drawn to that. And certainly relationship opportunities will come as well. So, so I think a lot of people who are alone, uh, who are wanting a relationship partner, may be missing the essential component, which is it's really about us. You know, it's about us becoming extraordinary built into that is that mechanism of relationship. So if all of us became extraordinary in those ways that we are meant to be, then the relationship would just become a natural uh, manifestation of that uh, or side effect of that. And and that, I think, is missing from our society today on a, on a greater and greater level because we've sort of had that trained out of us. We, we've moved toward a society where we are dependent on government and uh, and the system to take care of us and to provide our needs. And, and we've defaulted to this sort of um, cubicle society where everybody does the same carbon copy thing as everybody else. We don't really explore our natural innate abilities and talents and gifts. And as a result, we never become extraordinary in this life. And, and I think that's what makes us less attractive. So if that's, you know, if that speaks to anyone who's listening, then I think we just need to continue to explore that as a component of being in relationship. It's not just going out on dates or joining a dating site. Um, that's not going to solve the problem because you have to be someone who's interesting if you're going to go on a dating site to have other people interested in you. And it's, uh, from my experience, from a lifetime of observing other people and watching cycles, I don't think it's really as much physically oriented as we think it is. Physical can certainly change based on a person, uh, you know, what a person becomes in their life and, uh, and how, um, uh, how much they expand on those talents and abilities they are drawn to. I think we get caught up in the spiritual community in trying to create magnetism through various modalities like kundalini or meditation or even visualization of the partner we want and trying to manifest when the true magnetism is really here on the physical plane in in who you become and who you are. And, and I can attest to what you are saying, but I think it even goes beyond um, doing something extraordinary. It has more to do with stepping into your truth. And, you know, there has been a big cap on that in the third dimension because it has all been very vanilla. We were all meant to be the same and do the same things. And that's what we're breaking out of. And I think that's why relationship has become stagnant and why people aren't finding the right person because we have a ways to go, you know, in blossoming into our truth. And 
who we were born to be and, and what we're here to do that we really love. So, so I think it's more than success or, you know, building some type of a, a spiritual mission, which are all really good things. I think pursuing what you love and you know, what brings you joy is a, a natural form of magnetism that is going to interest other people and draw other people into your world and, and not just people. I think it draws the right people and that's the big miss. So, so if we're not living our authentic life, we're going to end up with a lot of partner possibilities that are going to fall short of what we came here to experience. And I think that's truly what's been going on for a very long period of time. So, so the more and more we're willing to step into our truth and our authenticity, we will find more options because it's, it's natural that we are here to fit into a, a specific collective puzzle. And, and yeah, I do think that ultimately there is the perfect partner for us, even though the relationship isn't always perfect, because if we are here with something very unique, a unique uh, contribution to offer humanity, then there is got to be someone out there that is the other half of that contribution in some way. And, and, and we are somewhat like that in, we are both different in our interests. We're both different in our skill set. We have very similar beliefs though, and, and it all complements each other. And, and I think some of us are out there looking for people to resonate with in every way. And we don't always see eye to eye on everything, but it, but it enriches the experience because I learn a lot from Ethan and, and I think Ethan learns a lot from the work that I do. And, and it really just helps both of us to continue to grow. It, it enhances our collective mission as well as our, our individual paths. And I think that's what we're going towards, uh, as we move into the future with relationship is it's really not about what can I get out of this relationship? You know, when someone is going to cherish me and love me and then, you know, that stuff is important, but how together do we enhance each other's uniqueness and then receive something really beneficial from that? that continues to enhance the relationship. And I think you can take that model all the way up to the collective because ultimately to me, that's what unity consciousness or community is truly all about is, you know, we're all here with something very valuable. And unfortunately, a lot of us have lost faith in who we are. You know, we've forgotten along the way that there is something really beautiful and important within us. And, And until we discover that, and we put it into action, finding the right partner is going to be quite impossible. Well, that's a good place to wrap it up for today. I hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, you can also watch us on various other platforms, of course, especially if you're seeing ads on YouTube. We're also on Rumble and various podcast platforms like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And our live streams will be coming back soon as well. So stay tuned for that. We'll see you again next week for another Channel Revelations. Okay, we have one more tonight, everybody. And this is a very wise, we've heard from this gentleman before, and he's very wise, let's put it that way. Mm. 
I will read this. Let's see here. Here we go. All right. This is called Pre-Diluvian Harmonic Pyramids, a global model. Was there a pre-Diluvian geometric standard for constructing pyramids around the globe? Robert Edward Grant demonstrates how this same pattern extends beyond the Giza Plateau to include the bent and red Meidum and Abu Rewash pyramids. Never heard of those ones, but here we go. What mysterious... What mysteries are revealed as experts uncover secrets of our ancient past from pre-Diluvian clues in ancient structures to lost Atlantean technologies and shared creation stories uncover history hidden for centuries. Discover paradigm-shifting Evidence of antediluvian civilizations and megasites, transdimensional origins, cosmic traces of lost worlds, and cycles of planetary change. Season one. Explore linked lineages spanning Stonehenge, Zep Tepe, as we've been talking about a lot tonight. Mystery school origins, multidimensional beings, pre-Diluvian giants, and pre-flood civilizations. Season 2. From pyramids in Egypt and South America to Atlantis, explore truths of forgotten civilizations where myth meets reality. And off we go. That's the word. And this is, again, this is one hour and 13 minutes. So let's get started. Then Rama's going to find something for the end, a little bit of a spiritual walk (laughs) in nature or whomever. Rama will find something. Here we go. Gaia presents Gaia Sphere Event Center Ancient Civilizations Conference Robert Edward Grant Hello everyone You guys ready to have some fun today? We've got an amazing, amazing agenda for the entire day, but I'm super excited to unveil some entirely new work uh, and new discoveries that have come out of our recent trips to Egypt and everything. And on this day in particular, because today is August, what, 12th. So that's the end of Lionsgate, right? So think about that for a moment. Secondly, on this date, 
was actually also the um, Philadelphia Project. It's oh, a yeah. peak in the biorhythms of the Earth Day as well. So this is a very, very auspicious moment in time this year, and you're here for a reason. Every one of you that are here have been hand-selected by yourself and also by this beautiful universe to come here to partake and raise vibration and change the world. So you guys ready? Awesome. So you all probably know that I tend to like mathematics. I kind of have a thing for math. Um, and one of the things that I first got into, actually, when I was really kind of going through my own spiritual awakening, and I found out that I wasn't unique in this, is I started really getting and diving into the mathematics of the pyramids. How many of you have actually done some of that work? So quite a few hands, right? <laughs> so I started by drawing in a notebook and everything, and I was trying to understand this enigma of, in particular, the Great Pyramid, but beyond the Great Pyramid, all the three pyramids of the Giza Plateau. And I wanted to understand what was this message, because it just wasn't resonating for me, the sort of dynastic story. And it wasn't that I wasn't trying to believe those stories. I, I was, but it just wasn't matching for me. Do you guys feel the same way on that? So what I started to look at is maybe there's some reason why the particular slope angles were chosen for the pyramids. Now, the slope angle of the Great Pyramid is 51.85 degrees. The slope angle for the next pyramid, Khafre, is 53.13 degrees. And the third pyramid, Menkare, is 51.34 degrees. Now, why are they all different? Anyone know? You're about to learn why today. And it is a beautiful, beautiful representation of why we are here on Earth at this time. It's a soul memory that's going to come to you today. So you're going to just take some of this in. You're going to go through some of the geometry and the significance of the geometry that associates with this. And in particular, it's a musical story. It's a story of music. So are you guys ready? Okay. So we need to have sound on this, guys. Metatron's cube. Simple three-dimensional patterns in creation. It must, therefore... Hold the key to the greatest architectural accomplishment known to man, the Pyramids of Giza. Polymath and artist Robert Grant has discovered that key using only non-dimensional compass and straight-edge methods. The measurements you'll see in this series have resulted as a consequence of pure geometric constructions that were then corroborated with exacting accuracy in GeoGebra's software. Musician and cryptographic analyst Alan Green has solved Renaissance codes that confirm that these hermetic secrets were deliberately hidden within the works of Shakespeare to preserve their purity through the Dark Age for future discovery when the world would be ready to fully comprehend. That time is now. So, first of all, I believe that there was an architectural plan for all three pyramids that described why those slope angles were what they were. 
And it wasn't just some story of a father, a son, a grandson who created new pyramids for their burial locations. And I believe that this common architectural plan was part of a centralized plan for the entire Giza Plateau, and maybe even a lot more than the Giza Plateau, as we'll see here in this presentation today. So I started to look for the connections between, in particular, the Flower of Life and Metatron's Cube, right? Because even the ancient Egyptian story of who built the pyramid was actually supposed to be done by a man that's often referred to as Hemiunu or Herm Aeon. Aeon was one of the names of this particular person who was supposed to have been the architect of the Great Pyramid. Now, it's interesting because we believe those pyramids were built over a long period of time, right? At least 20 plus years to maybe even 100 years if you're looking at all of the different pyramids, possibly even more. How could you do it? You'd have to move each stone, something like one stone every block would have to be moved like one per every one or two minutes. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. The amount of speed that have to have been undertaken to do that is kind of impossibly hard to wrap your brain around. So I started to embark upon this question of, is there a connection between Metatron's cube and the Great Pyramid and all three pyramids? The basic building blocks of creation can all be perfectly formed within Metatron's cube. It's also clear to see that every Metatron's cube connects to every other Metatron's cube directly through its three central axes in an infinitely repeating grid pattern. So, can this interconnectivity be used to decipher a previously unforeseen grid connecting the three pyramids? By connecting with this particular mirrored grouping down here, these small green points have now linked to every circle center in the entire construction. The fact that they also coincide with three circles tangent to each other is a clue that led Grant to connect them and investigate these two cross points they make along the basic grid rectangle. At the baseline of Metatron's cube, we draw a circle whose radius is the distance from the base center to the two X points. We simply join the diameter baseline points to the very center of the construction and discover a perfect cross-section of the Great Pyramid, or G1, popularly named after Pharaoh Khufu. We now duplicate this large blue circle. So what is this actually telling us? Without any measurement, because you don't need any measurements to make either the Flower of Life. How many of you made a Flower of Life before? You don't need to measure anything. You just set your compass at any given length and start drawing circles, right? And then from the intersections of those circles, you can draw all these different geometric forms, all the platonic solids, for example. From this exact same pattern, by adding one line of intersection where those green lines were, there's an intersection point that was up at the top, and there's another intersection point that is here. I'll show you. So this line right here is part of Metatron's cube. This line is part of Metatron's cube, just connecting this intersection point 
to this intersection point and where it crosses over this line right here. Okay, see that? You set your compass to that distance and then you've got the exact base width of the Great Pyramid and the height goes straight to the center of Metatron's cube. And then you have the exact slope angle of 51.8539 degrees. And it's perfect. So this does something else very significant because what it shows is that it also even squares the circle, which is supposed to be an impossible problem. It squares the circle, which I'll show you in a little bit. But then after discovering this, I thought, well, maybe it does something similar for Caffrey Pyramid as well. And let's see what we can find. Twice. Mark their vesica piscis points and draw a horizontal line tangent to all three circles. So let's draw two diagonals to find the center of that square. We draw two of those to find the center of the half square and inscribe a circle whose diameter is half of the square side length. Repeat that circle at the top of the square and mark where it crosses the center vertical with a small red dot. Draw a horizontal line here to reveal the hidden 345 triangle. Draw another 345 triangle here and mark where they cross the horizontal. Finally, connect from the small red dot through those cross points down to the baseline. Since the cross section of the Khafre pyramid is two 345 triangles back to back, we now have a perfect representation of the central pyramid at Giza, G2, popularly named after the pharaoh Khafre, and it's in precise size relationship to the Great Pyramid, G1. All that remains is to draw... So, do you guys get that? So, again, no measurements required. You just take this half base of the Great Pyramid, right, and you've got a square from the half base. From that square, you make an X across the square, and then you find at the midpoint of that square, because the X marks the midpoint, X marks the spot, then you draw another X to find the midpoint of that half square. Okay, and then from there, you basically take the circle, draw it here, then have another circle that's the exact same size as that circle go up to here, where this red dot is. And then from that, because you've got also this line coming down, these vertical lines coming down, and any square that would be centered along this baseline right here with this as its center point, must have its corners along this line and this line right here. So where it intersects this midpoint of the half square, you then put an intersection point, you take this small red dot here, extend it down, and you've got the perfect slope angle of Caffrey Pyramid. Again, no measurement, and we've now derived it from Metatron's cube, just with simple intersections from Metatron's cube circle whose diameter is the height of the triangle we just discovered. Note how the Khafre circle intersects precisely the corners of the Khufu half base square. Now, this is an important point. So all you do is you take a circle, right, that goes from the base of Khafre 
to the top of Khafre, so from the center point of Khafre, and its diameter matches the height of Khafre Pyramid. You'll notice then that it perfectly intersects the half base square of the Great Pyramid, so that its corners of the square of Khufu, the Great Pyramid, intersects the circle of Khafre in this very perfect way, and you'll see why this is significant in a moment as well. Such accuracy clearly confirms that the original Giza designers intended to connect these two giant monuments through pure geometric perfection. But one critical question remains. Was the third pyramid, Menkore, also part of some grand design? To find out, let's draw two more circles with diameter equal to Khufu's half base. The half diagonals of the Khufu square triangles produce two points where they intersect those circles. Connecting those points to the two upper corners gives us a new center point. Now, draw a circle whose diameter is the distance from that point to the center of the base and mark where that circle intersects the half diagonals. Yet again, it's the half diagonals that reveal the mystery. Note how three significant points have intersected them, mirror imaged on each side. It turns out there are actually four significant intersections. A perfect square reveals itself here, whose corners precisely intersect the circle at those half diagonals. So the same thing. The Menkari Pyramid is the only pyramid shape that does this naturally, where it's half base square versus the circle to the top of the Menkari Pyramid will intersect at these exact positions, just as this square did with the Khafre circle. Right. Just as we saw in the construction of Khafre, based on the Khufu square. All we have to do now is draw two circles whose diameters equal the base of the new green square and where they intersect the baseline. Connect to the upper point of the circle. Here she is. The perfect side slope angles reveal G3, popularly named after Pharaoh Menkore. And again, in precise size relationship to the other two pyramids. So if you catch this, not only are these slope angles correct, these are the exact precise size, you know, ratio of the Great Pyramid versus Khafre versus Minkari. So if you were standing on the Giza Plateau looking at it, it would look like these exact sizes if all the ground was level, right? You guys follow this? And none of it using any measurement. Now, why is measurement important? Why no measurement? Why were the Greeks so crazy and the Egyptians, they learned it from the Egyptians. Why were they so adamant about having no measurements? Anyone know? Hmm? How you tap into consciousness? Well, who created the universe? The universal one, right? The universal one. We could say it's consciousness. You might say it's a God figure. But did he have to use a ruler to measure things? 
right? So Leonardo da Vinci says that, you know, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Not using the ruler is a critical aspect to be able to expand your awareness, expand your consciousness. And if you haven't quite gotten there yet, you haven't gotten it there simple enough. So this entire method can be done simply using compass and straight edge with no markings on your ruler. That's a beautiful design. What do you guys think of this? Absolutely a beautiful design, but what does it mean? And Metatron's cube, who is Metatron? Metatron is just one of the names of Thoth, one of the many names of Thoth that we can go through time, right? It's the angelic name. Another name that is associated with this is Enoch. Another name is Melchizedek. Another name is Saint Germain. Another name, there are many. There's so many. I could keep going on and on and on. But there's something deep in this story because we've heard of Metatron's keys. We've heard of the keys of Peter. We've heard of the keys of Melchizedek. What if they're musical keys? Does that resonate for you guys? Yeah. So here they all are. G1, G2, and G3. Undeniably designed not as three separate building projects by a continuing line of dynastic pharaohs, but one interconnected architectural masterpiece. Three in one, elegantly conceived from the geometric flower of life itself, Metatron's cube, and all derived through the simplest non-dimensional means possible, the tools of the ancients, compass and straight edge. The height. So think about this for a moment. Does this mean then that maybe our view of history needs to be revised? So the implications on this are very significant because what this says is there was a central plan for Giza. Now, how could you get the next architects 30, 40 years from now to say, okay, we're going to make this geometric perfection. It's going to be perfect. And you're going to see how perfect it is. It's way more than what you've just seen. And you need to build the next pyramid in 50 years, right, to these exact proportions in order to comply with this. How hard would that be? People have egos. They'd be like, no, we want to change. Try to do this with your wife, right, or your husband when you're doing a renovation on your house. Good luck with that. It's not that simple. How this could cross hundreds of years is an impossibility in my mind. It says that there is a central plan. Now, while I'm not going to present that part of it today, there's also a central plan looking down on the Giza Plateau that's not only related to Orion's belt, but it's directly related to Orion. And that plan, if you look at the proportions precisely, of the width, so if you just take from the Giza Plateau from the top, the upper right corner of the Great Pyramid, right, which is the farthest north, and it's pointed directly due north, take the upper right corner or the northeast corner of the Great Pyramid and extend it all the way down to match up with the baseline, right, the southern baseline of Menkari Pyramid, and then you use the corner of Menkari Pyramid to then take that rectangle all the way back up 
and do the same thing across, so you're making a giant rectangle of the Giza Plateau, the proportions are exactly 432 to 528. 432 to 528. Now, we've all heard about this relationship of 432 and music and 528 also. How does it all connect? Well, I just did a post on this yesterday where I had basically uh, posted on my social media on Instagram that 528 in precise tempered tuning and 432 in precise tempered tuning actually are the two snakes that connect into one 24-note scale. It's a quarter tone scale, 24 notes, and it's perfected, right? And there's a musician named Tony Mazzotti who published something on it yesterday, which I reposted. And if you want to learn more about that, go check that out. But why did they do this? What's the musical relationship that might be derived from these exact proportions? How many of you are musicians in here? It's quite a few. So you're going to understand this really easily. To the base, one half the base of Menkari pyramid, the smallest pyramid is five over four. The height of the calf rape. So you guys see that? Menkari is five over four. For the musicians in here, you might recognize that five over four in Pythagorean just tuning is something called a major third in music. It's that musical tone that we love to hear so often. It goes, da, da. We always want to finish it with a fifth. Da, da, da. Right? Just like that. Da, da. And when people hear that, they say, oh, that sounds like love. So when you're making a film and you want to create the backdrop of romance, you always play music with a lot of major thirds. And if you want to create the other opposite side of that and create a feeling of heartbreak, you play a minor sixth, which is the inverse of it. Well, guess what? There is a way to understand this. All you have to do is take the height of the pyramid versus one half of its base. And that gives you the musical interval. And then if you take the full base and divide it by the height of the pyramid, which are isosceles triangles, right? People ask me, what's the purpose of isosceles triangle? It's all music. It gives you the differentiation of music. Music is just the geometry that we experience with our ears. Geometry is the music we experience with our eyes. It's quite simple. And now we can derive what these musical notes might be when we apply it against 432 hertz. Pyramid's four over three, which is a perfect fourth. And so calf ray is four over three, which is a perfect fourth in music. It'd be on a piano keyboard from C to F, for example. You just take four notes of the white keys, C, D, E, F, that's four. That's why it's called a fourth. And then if you want to find its inverse, it will always add to nine. So that means its inverse has to be a fifth, right? Its opposite has to be a fifth. So the base width of the pyramid, the full base width divided by the height becomes the inverse. The actual, you know, X version before it's inverted is just simply the height divided by one half the base width. So you see how now the pyramids are actually music? of the Great Pyramid is the diminished fifth. The Great Pyramid is actually the imperfect or the unfinished man, unfinished mankind. All of the musical intervals, there are 13 musical intervals. 
Every one of them is represented perfectly in the proportional dimensions of all three pyramids. So when we look at the three pyramids on the Giza Plateau, we're looking at the architectural form representing all musical intervals. So it's the full spectrum of sound. We're literally looking at a rainbow spectrum of light. All musical intervals are perfectly represented. So these are the musical intervals, and every one of them are represented on the Giza Plateau with three pyramids. You think it's time to change history? The whole thing is the musical representation. Now, guess what? I was just asked by a fellow by the name of Donald Hoffman. And Donald is the world's expert in cognitive science on mathematical mapping of human consciousness. So he came to my office. We met for dinner one night, and he's a professor at UCI. And I did a podcast with him recently. And he said, I've got some questions for you. He read my book, and he liked my book, Philomath. And he said, I've got some questions for you. I said, sure. He says, okay, one of the things I want to understand is what do you think the mathematical equation for emotion would be? I'm like, that's not an easy question, right? I mean, like, (laughs) I haven't had my coffee yet type thing. Um, The mathematical equation for emotion? Not a fair question, question, right? It it seems like a Pandora's box, right? It's like, what? What? I mean, I can't even understand my own emotions. How am I supposed to understand a math equation? Is there a math equation for emotion? I thought, okay. I said, give me a minute. Let me think about this one. I was flying to Salzburg for a business trip, and Salzburg is the birthplace of Mozart, right? Beautiful place. I love going there, and there's music everywhere. It's such a musical, incredible place. And I started thinking on the airplane on the way over there, I was thinking about this question of how could you derive a musical mathematical equation that might be tied to this musical relationship? And I started thinking, well, can I change my emotion by listening to different music? Right? And I just said that music is the geometry we experience with our ears. Right? So it's just mathematics. You know, the the center of our brain is what processes geometry. That's why people that go through spiritual awakenings love geometry. They start to get into geometry. They're like, I hid this in high school or in junior high. But now all of a sudden I'm getting this Awaken new love for math. And the truth is, anything you can hate, you can also love. So there's this big awakening happening right now around geometry in particular. So I started thinking about this, and I thought, well, if music can entrain certain emotional states, might the answer to that mathematical equation be inside music itself? So I started looking to see if anyone had done any research on intervals of music. And intervals of music, let's wait to the end. Intervals of music are actually able to entrain certain emotional states. So I started finding out that there's been research done at universities on this where they play certain music. That's why when you're watching a film about romance, they'll play the major third. There's science behind this. This is why when they have Darth Vader enter the room, they play dun, 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 dun. They're all diminished fifths and augmented fourths. All these kind of very minor 
chord sounding, you know, it sounds a little bit dissident, right? And you can entrain emotion. In fact, they did research on dogs and they found that dogs knew when Darth Vader was entering the room. They thought it was because they're watching the TV. No, they're listening to the music that is dissonant for them, right? It's that sound. It creates an entrainment of fear. I can use music to put you all in a state of fear. That's what horror movies do, right? So then I started looking at the research and found that there was a direct relationship because if musical interval entrains emotion, then what's really happening is musical interval mathematics are entraining emotion, Does that make sense? Because each of those intervals that are built into the pyramids are actually all of the musical intervals that entrain us to certain emotional states. Whoa. That's kind of nuts, right? So wait a minute. That means that if I'm looking at the pyramid, the pyramid from its height over one half its base is giving me one interval. But if I look at it from an entirely different perspective and I look at it from the base, full base width, divided by its height, it's giving me the opposite emotion. And the only difference between these musical intervals is time. Because the notes of a major third go from C to E, da, da, right? And then... Its inverse is a minor six. It changes polarity, goes from major to minor. Think of major as positive, minor as negative charge. Male, female, exactly. And it doesn't matter which one's positive or negative. It's just opposite. And then you know by its inverse as well that it's simply going the opposite direction. So it goes in front of, instead of C to E, it becomes E to C, but it's high C now. Same notes though, same notes. In one direction, C to E, sounds like romantic love. And the other direction, E to C, sounds like heartbreak. Does that mean that in the experience of love is the seed of heartbreak? Does it give some reference to this plane of the duat, of duality that we live in? It's a deep philosophical aspect. So when we look at the pyramid complex, we're looking at the veritable rainbow spectrum of sound and light, all represented, and all of our emotional states that entrain according to those ratios are built into this complex. Now, do you think they were built over 100 years, or is this under one central plan? One, what do you guys think? One? It's all one. So this is, I don't have the time to present it today. Last time I came here to present, I spent like 15 hours on this stage. So if you're interested, you can go and watch uh, Divine Encryption on if you're a Gaia Plus uh, member, but uh, Events Plus. But basically what we also found is that Metatron's Cube is the basis and foundation of the entire Giza Plateau from the aerial view as well. Now, there's also something very important here. How many of you know who Walter Russell was? Walter Russell, all of his work was based on 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, right? But who else had a lot of work associated with this? 
Pythagoras. It's called the Tetractus. The Tetractus. Now, if you take the musical intervals of 6 over 5, 5 over 4, 4 over 3, 3 over 2, and 2 over pi, 1 pi, and multiply all those numbers together, guess what you get? The golden angle, 137.50987, which multiply that by pi, and you have a circumference of 432. 137 is just the diameter of a circle of 432. 137 is such an important number, it separates light from darkness, right? Think of it as almost making the yin-yang circle, and you spin it, and that straight line of diameter becomes the sine-cosine wave that creates yin-yang. This is one of the things under the on the basin stone under the um, chevrons of the Great Pyramid. You've got this writing right here. We don't know what it says. This was first documented by Robert Schock. And it's actually uh, something called uh, embossing, right? So basically it sticks up. It's not carved in, right? So there's debossing and there's embossing. This would be embossing. You'll see that there's a V shape here. And it's believed that this is some sort of Paleo-Hebraic writing. So it's the only real writing that everyone sort of recognizes on the pyramid and says, okay, yes. Other than the stuff that's in the relieving chambers that's like left there with ochre paint. It's like this red ochre paint. So you've got V shape here. This looks like a theta symbol in, you know, Greek. Then you've got three lines going across. It looks like a Chinese character for, for three, the number three. And then you've got two lines coming down here with a circle around it. Now, interestingly, what nobody noticed before is there's a minus sign right here. Now, we know that V has a very ancient history. It was used by the Romans as well. So maybe this is related to five. Five minus one. And so the way you flip polarity is you simply take Positive charge, which would be an even number, an odd number. So even is going to have a pull that goes this direction. Odd will have a pull that goes this direction. Right? So odd, odd, even. Five minus one, three, two. Similar to how we write the, the number four in, in Roman numerals today. Right? It's like an I and then next to it, you've got the V. We've just done it the opposite with a minus sign next to it. Does this say 432? I don't know. We, how can we know? But it does seem awfully uncanny that that is the Tetractus and the pyramid complex is built entirely on this Tetractus structure. Now we also find 432 showing up everywhere, literally everywhere. The base length of the Great Pyramid, when you compare the perimeter of the pyramid against the, the entire Earth, right? There's been a lot of work done by Randall Carson, who's presenting later today, basically showing that the pyramid's a scale model that is 43,200 times smaller than Earth. So are they giving us a system or unit of measure? Right? Because if I use that same base width of 432, 
Guess what the point to the center of the pyramid would be in a height perspective? The golden angle, 137.50987. And it's perfect. So I think that they're giving us a unit measure associated with the Earth itself. Because how else could you do it if you had no reference plane to Enoch give it against? was a man who became godlike. And he built a city. It's and the story the city of, Enoch. of Enoch became so holy that it transcended this dimension, as it's described in this book. There are certain signatures, and throughout Scripture, we see references to people getting keys, right? We've all heard about the keys of Peter, the keys of Melchizedek, the keys of Enoch. So even the Alpha Omega symbol bears a striking resemblance to Taurus, which if we turn this on its side, changing its polarity, right, this would be a lowercase letter A. And what does bull mean? How do we say the word bull in Hebrew? Aleph. It's alpha. Alpha means bull. You combine it with the female symbol, which looks very similar to an ankh, right? You combine them together and you have Mercury, Thoth, Metatron. So Thoth said, build a die, the Great Pyramid. In it, I builded my knowledge of magic science. How many of you read the Emerald Tablets of Thoth? Something about that just deeply resonates, doesn't it? So he says he built it. Now, on my last trip, okay, here we are. And every time we've gone on trips, we have discovered major discoveries. The first one that I did, and the next speaker is a close friend of mine, Mohammed Ibrahim. And he's been with me on every one of these discoveries. And it's been quite a, a treasure to be with him. But the first time was when we discovered, I was you know, looking at the sarcophagus and I had a memory that there was an alpha omega pressed into the rose granite. And I remembered exactly where it was. And then I looked exactly at the spot that I remembered it. And it was exactly right there. Now, this symbol of Alpha Omega shows up in lots of places. It's also shown up on the Arcturian mothership, the Athena. It's the logo on the Athena, Alpha Chi Omega. Now, on this trip, we went into Caffrey Pyramid, and we go to look at the walls because there's hidden clues all over the walls that people have missed. And that's what we've trained our eye to do. Our team, when we go, we are there to do research. We are there to find stuff. Hidden clues about what's supposed to be coming for us in the future and what happened in the past. Inside Caffrey. Okay. So this is Caffrey Pyramid. And the first thing I noticed was it seemed like there was something like right here. Up in the upper right-hand corner. It looked kind of like a cave painting type of a thing. Couldn't quite figure it out. But started noticing other things that seem to be covered by plaster as well. So you could see what looks like other lines coming down, like off of here. And those lines extended all the way over across the top of the wall. Can you see all these other lines? Here, 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 
here, here. You guys see that? Oh, right here. Muhammad. You see this? What is that? It looks like it has a beak. You turn up the volume a bit. But it has an eye and an ear and a head and two horns and legs right here. It looks like a cave painting. Nose. Just go back one. So we started noticing other stuff. I don't think it's going to let me go back. It's okay. Here's the main, I think it's a zebra with an eye right here. And I can see the stripe. You see the stripe? There's stripes on it. You see that too? Here's the tail. So this was also on the wall up at the top. So we're like, why are there so many animals? It seems like there might be some sort of animals or something up there, right? And you could see the mouth here and a nose, and it looks like a lion kind of attacking a zebra. And here's the nose of the zebra. looks like that. Can you guys see that? What is this? We don't know. But it doesn't look dynastic. Then we went into Mankari Pyramid. Another tree of life here with the staff of Caduceus right here. The staff of Caduceus is the staff of Hermes. And it's got the snake wrapped around it with teeth. That's the tower. With the coiled snake all the way around this, you can see it really clearly right here, especially. Okay, here's the eye, here's the head of the snake. You see the snake back going all the way? These are light etches in the walls, they're etched. It's not painted, it's etched. How they did it, we don't know, but we're seeing these all over the place. And they have this other characteristic, you'll see another good example of it, where it almost looks translucent. You can see inside this, you can almost see the bone structure and everything like it's an x-ray. Can you guys see that? There's like a bone structure x-ray. How they did that, we have no clue. But you'll see other examples of this in a moment. You can almost see the digestive tract of it too, right here. Going down into the snake. You see this? You see that? Going just like that. You have to train your eye to be able to see this. It's not easy, but there's something there. And these lines shouldn't be on these walls like this. Does this look like graffiti to you guys? We don't know what it is. I'm just presenting it to you because this is what we've seen, right? And maybe it gives us some clues. You might figure some things out as well. But these are ancient symbologies. And you can see as well, the staff of Caduceus. Okay. On this wall is a tree of life underneath this, but above the tree of life, and this is the east wall of Menkari chamber, king's chamber, you see a, looks like a T. You guys see this? It's actually a sword. 
It's a sword coming down like this. Here's the hilt of the sword. Here are the wings on that sword, right? And then goes up to the top of the room, which has a canopy, right, arch shape for the ceiling. And there's a snake that is going around, wrapped around that. So this room is full of serpents and this very prominent symbology of Staff of Hermes. But it's also something described. We realize when we're in there, we're looking at a Garden of Eden scene. It looks like Tree of Life, almost identical as it's described in the Bible, where there's a tree of several Tree of Life that are canopied over a river, and that that river, right, is basically cutting straight through the Garden of Eden. And when Adam was cast out of the garden, God placed cherubim and a flaming sword to protect the way on the east side of Eden over the tree of life so that mankind would not eat the fruit of the tree of life after he's already eaten the tree of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and live forever in a sin and become like God because he wasn't ready yet to come back through that state. But there's a deep analogy in this for us. What is this? And this story is not a story of the Bible. This is part of the human story. Right? It's much older than what we have in the writings of the Bible. We don't know how old it is. So I'm going to follow it, right? So there's a light. It's the shape of a teeth. Here's the teeth coming down like this and a snake curling around it just like this. You guys see that? Staff of Hermes on the freaking Minkari Pyramid King's Chamber wall? Seriously? Is that surprising you guys? We got some people going, no. No. It freaked me out. I got to tell you, I was like, what the heck? You've got to be kidding me. And underneath it is a tree of life. And you could see the tree trunk right here also etched in and all the leaves of the tree around it. And there's another tree behind it. That's what it looks like. You guys see that? How many of you can see it? Pretty much everyone. Do you think that's significant? Does it look like graffiti to you? Not graffiti? Anyone think it is graffiti? Nobody. Wow. Staff of Hermes. And this is right after we discovered the musical keys of the Giza Plateau that's all based on Metatron's cube. Metatron Hermes, Thoth, all the same. Enoch, all the same person. The profile of a man. So side view of a man. Here's the head. Here's an eye socket that's been covered by plaster because it probably was damaged. But here's a nose. Here's a mouth. Lips. Very well-formed lips and teeth and a chin that goes like this and the man comes all the way down and you could even see the vertebrae of his back just like that x-ray here's the tailbone going up the vertebrae coming up literally like an x-ray on the wall have you guys seen this before so you guys are the first to see this to the floor and it's like a bald man, and here's his ear. 
Here's the nose and the nostril you can see very clear. And teeth. Can you see that? You can even see he has a molar. See, this looks like a dental x-ray, doesn't it? He's got a molar right here. You see that molar? Isn't that crazy? What the heck? How many of you can see this? You think it's graffiti? Okay. Just have to check. Here's the vertebrae. How would you etch that into the wall? And there's another man right next to him looking at him. It almost looks like almost Simeon style, right? Looking towards this. And he's facing north looking up. There's that molar. See that? And then there's a white bird. This is the king's chamber right here. North wall. A white bird with a plume of feathers behind its head. Here's its back of its neck. And then it has a wing that comes across here all the way down. You guys see that? My assistant Eden discovered this. It's right above the bull and the cow on the north wall, the apis and the Hathor that we discovered in 2020. And it represents ascension. So you've got a phoenix and a Bennu. And a Bennu is the phoenix, right? But this is like a darker bird. It's like a black bird up here. It's exactly the shape. And it's very prominent. It's about 10 feet wide. It's large. Are you shocked that no one's seen this before? The first thing that we notice on this wall is an alien head. Here's an eye with a very clear iris and even a pupil. Another eye right here, a mouth, a nose, and the head and the chin is very thin. So I can only describe it as an alien head. You guys see the alien head? That's on the west wall, right behind the sarcophagus. Literally a large eye alien head on the back wall. And I was there with the Egyptologist, and I said, you see that? And and he went out and told Muhammad, he's like, I'm not supposed to see it, but I see it. (laughs) What do I do with this? An alien head on the back wall of the the most studied room on Earth, the most studied building on Earth, and now we're finding all this new stuff on the walls. Do you know Dolores Cannon actually said that this would happen? She died in 2014, but she said during one of the past life regressions she was conducting, they said that they had hidden things in the walls of the pyramids. And that at the right time, the right people would find those things and use that information for our day. Above it, to the right, is an eye of Ra. Here's the eye. I'm tracing the eye. It covers three blocks. One block here, this block, and this block. And it starts right here and goes all the way down here tracing it 
back around and here's the eye part and then here is a iris for this eye that looks like a world so you can see it in the exact same spot of leonardo da vinci's last supper is where the eye of Ra is in the pediment the last supper is a map of the king's chamber all of the things that are there the two birds we just saw they're in hidden in the wall on the right side on the last supper the the cow and the bull are hidden in the wall on the right side when you're looking at the last supper painting Da Vinci was there working for Sultan Kate Bay, who was a Mamluk Sultan, and he recorded this whole story encrypted in a letter that he wrote that ended up in Codex Atlanticus in reference 1336 and 1337. Nobody thought that it was real. They thought it was some sort of fictional account. When he went to visit Mount Taurus, it wasn't Mount Taurus in the mountain range. It was an encryption. It wasn't Mount Taurus in Turkey. It was Mount Taurus. The, he was writing a letter to the lieutenant of the sultan, Lieutenant Devadar of the Sultan of Cairo. Right? And why would he? He was working for him. He said he was doing this project for them. So he's surveying, surveying this mountain. He wasn't surveying the mountain. Mount Taurus is the other name of the Great Pyramid. Bull Mountain is the name of the Great Pyramid, the Apis Bull and the Chevrons. It's the house of Osiris. Apis is Osiris, telling the story of Osiris's life, death, and resurrection, and living in the duat through many lifetimes of incarnations. And that's the murals that we believe are all over the walls. But right here. Now, this is the Alpha Vega that I discovered on the rim of the sarcophagus in 2018. Shape right here. But and so we measured it to see if it had any significance. And we found that it's 5.605 inches long or wide, which is exactly the square root of pi times 10. The room in meters, now you're saying, well, you can't mix measurements, right? The room in meters is exactly pi times 10 meters in its perimeter, right? Well, we know that all three measurement systems were used, imperial, ancient, and the decibel system were used in building and construction of the Great Pyramid. And if you're interested to learn more about that, go to Alan Green's work. Just just Google on YouTube, Alan Green CPAC 2016 presentation. It's outstanding. And there, I believe he unequivocally proves that the meter, the foot, and the cubit were all used in the construction. And another unit of measure, which is related to the differential of the Great Pyramid versus the earth, 43,200. So I call this the long cubit, right? And it's something that, it's a unit of measure that I've seen shown up. It's 1.75 feet and it's shown up everywhere in all the ancient sites. So I'll get more to in just a moment. The A sits exactly at the 33rd inch from the side. And the omega sits at the 30th inch, but the omega is at the 30, so 33rd percent of the length of the 89.62 inches. So there's a symmetry between the two, 33 and 33 exactly. 33 represents resurrection and ascension. In Freemasonry, the two-headed bird, right, which is representing the phoenix and the thunderbird merging together into the Janus figure, that is also the 33rd degree, right? Breaking out of the 33rd degree, you go into higher order ascension. 
5D. There's also another omega right here, which is alpha to the power of omega times omega. So it's saying something about the masculine to the power of the feminine multiplied by the feminine. Can you guys see that? So someone just recently did a brass or like a, a pencil rubbing on it. And I grabbed this photo. I was from, uh, from one of my friends' uh, sites, Larry Paul. And you could see that it doesn't look like any of the graffiti in there. And by the way, alpha is the symbol for the apis bull. Omega is the symbol for Hathor, the shape of her hair. If you go to Dendera, you'll see the Hathor symbol and that omega shape of her hair literally everywhere. And also believed to be the logo on the ship, the Athenian, you know, Athena mothership of the Arcturians. And guess what? We've now found Alpha Chi Omegas on no less than 37 sarcophagi in Egypt. 37. Every one of the sarcophagi in Serapium have Alpha Chi Omega on their backside or in a place that looks like it's hidden, but it's very large. In the same style etching, we found it at the Assyrian in very large uh, embossed, you know, scaling. So the omega is about this large, right at the main place when you're looking at that wall. There's a giant tree of life on that wall as well. There's tree of life all over the Assyrian. We found it at Karnak. We found it, we found it at Valley of the Kings even. On sarcophagi that we know to be dynastic that looked as though they were repurposed from an older time, it had Alpha Chi Omega on them. So there's a circle around it. This looked right like compass. a compass to me. See this? There's five degree markings on this as well. Here's the bull right along here. In the now look at this. This is the bull. Right? Here's the face of the bull. Here are the eyes. And here's straight lines. There shouldn't be no straight lines on here. Right over its heart is this diamond shape. Do you guys see this? This matches also another line coming down like this, matches the proportions of Orion. The apis bull, Orion. And around the bull is a cow, a larger cow, a Hathor. It's about eight feet wide. It's very large on the north wall which is the wall with the chevrons, facing the wall with the chevrons, which represents, again, the apis bull. Yeah. Looks similar, doesn't it? Okay, so this is the side view. This is what the etching looks like. You see this straight line coming down here? Same thing, right? And the etching is this etch that's all over the walls. It's probably been scrubbed many times as well over the years. We don't know why. But this is the face of the Hathor as well. How many of you have been to the Great Pyramid? How many of you have seen this? Quite a few. Okay. 
The Apis bull and the Hathor is the metaphor. The story where the Apis bull has to sacrifice himself, his ego, to merge back into his mother. And in fact, we can see the shape of DNA. This is right above the Apis bull. Right here. Here is the double helix coming down like this, and the other double helix coming this, and they are attached by nucleotide pairs right here. Clear representation of double-strand DNA. You see this? Nucleotide pairs. Maybe it's time to rethink our understanding. So, this story of Osiris. Da Vinci cut his man into 14 parts. At the knee, at the groin, at the chest, at the throat, on these lines on the wrist. Guess what? These are the exact same positions the Egyptians used to describe the cutting of Osiris into 14 parts. This is an encryption. He even says it in his backward mirrored text up here. One fourteenth. That's the tell. It's the cipher. This is about mankind's ascension from moving from Homo erectus to Homo sapien to Homo luminous. Sanctus luminous, sacred light. This is what he was, I believe, directing us towards when it was time for us to double our octave. That's why he placed a 126 in the upper right-hand corner as a page number on the Vitruvian Man. It wasn't part of a book. The 126 solves the conundrum, both in music and in geometry, of how to double an octave. You have to revert to 1.26 and replace the 5 over 4 with 1.26 instead of 1.25. That one shift corrects all music and creates... The perfect scales in 432 hertz tuning. It changes the temperament from just temperament and equal temperament into precise temperament. And now people all over the world, I I published that precise temperament tuning, and people all over the world are now integrating it. There are philharmonic orchestras that are integrating it because it sounds so different, and it sounds amazing. Just tempered tuning is nice because it has the mathematical perfection of base nine mathematics, but it sounds terrible when you listen to it. It doesn't make any sense. It's like, this can't be right. But what everyone's doing when they turn their synthesizer to 432, they think they're fixing it. They're not. You have to change the temperament. The temperament is the critical aspect of this. This is a map that I found from 1457. This map was actually made by this fellow by the name of Frau Mauro. It was pre-Columbian. Now, I'm interested. I'm like, oh, this is the known world in 1457. Let's see what it says about Egypt, right? So I close up on Egypt, Egypto. So it's looking from Europe down, right? Looking from Europe down, and you see these pyramids. But how many pyramids are there? There's five. Five pyramids. What the heck? 
Something is missing. So let's zoom in on this. Now notice also the name of the Nile River. It's not Nile. What's that say? Gion. That's the name of the river that came out of the Garden of Eden that means gush, gushing water. Okay, it's the Gihon River is the Bible name of the river coming out of, exactly. So if we look at the pyramids, we've got, the Great Pyramid squares a circle, gives you a perfect square in a circle. Khafre Pyramid gives us what's called the perfect circle, the only circle whose diameter, whose whose area is equal to its circumference. And Menkari Pyramid is the only pyramid that gives us a square from one half of its base that is the perfect square, the square that's area is equal to the perimeter. So we had five over four, four over three. We're missing three over two, and we've got two over one. Where's three over two? And also, where is the perfect triangle? We've got the perfect square, whose perimeter equals area, and the perfect circle, but we're missing the perfect triangle. Where is it? Well, guess what? We found it. There's two new pyramids. On Abu Rawash. So start with a radius of two. That's the only circle whose circumference is equal to its area. And then place a square around that circle, which will have each side of four. And that is the only square that exists that will have an equal area to its perimeter. Now we're going to add circles of the same size above and below for a total of three circles. And then we'll add two also at the base and these will be overlapping the bottom circle. So what this does is it creates a pyramid of 5, 12, 13. And then has the same exact area as its perimeter. To those and it's the exact same pyramid that's on your dollar bill. That's going to create a triangle. With the eye on it. Just like the square and the Hidden circle. by Freemasons and Rosicrucians, and this pyramid exists in a place called Abu Rawash, and it's partially destroyed, but the number of blocks match the exact dollar bill around the first four concourses of it. Right. So, and it also is encrypted inside Vitruvian Man. Look at this. That proportion looks familiar? Use the base of the triangle to create a square. That square and circle proportion looks very familiar, doesn't it? It matches that of the Vitruvian man. But also, but beyond this, what about so, three over two? So what we found was there's an integer grid that connects all of the pyramids around the world. Based on integers, they create musical notes. Each one of them has its own musical note. Those musical notes, I believe, will do something to those pyramids, right? Are you guys excited? We only just discovered what those musical notes are. And it's not just the pyramids of Giza that match this exact integer grid, but all the pyramids in Mexico match the exact same integer grid. 
just like this. I believe it's one of the pyramids that is potentially missing, along with this the is the dollar bill pyramid. Relationship of the, the base of it, and it has the right stone. angle for it as well. Is two and a half miles away from the Great Pyramid, but sits 90 meters higher than the Giza Plateau. There's another example in Scotland built by Queen Victoria herself, and there's one also. There's the in dollar Rome. bill. This enigmatic pyramid the structure man is fits also perfectly a satellite in it, so does Mona Lisa. just behind what is supposed to be the Jed Efray pyramid that has been long destroyed. So now we have several pyramids on here. Khufu, Unas, potentially Jed Efray, Khafre, Menkare, and the Philosopher's Stone. Are there other pyramids that might match this? Well, let's go to Dashur, south, towards the south, from the Giza Plateau. Both pyramids there have a unique so angle Dishur, of 33.3. The Red Pyramid, the Bent Pyramid, degrees, they all work on the same integer grid that's made simply from two flowers of life rotated within each other. And if you make that perfectly with the same grid pattern. It's every pyramid. That's pre-Diluvian. Pre-flood. For the Dishore Pyramid, which is known as the Bent Pyramid. So can we actually find this pyramid in this grid pattern? So the Bent Pyramid is found in the exact same grid pattern. It's not Uh, a mistake. The angle was too steep, so they made a different angle for the top. I don't think so. Bent Pyramid is also perfectly matching this. And it's not only that, but also the other enigmatic pyramid, the Maidum Pyramid, that has all of its casing stones, but is somehow believed to be uh, unfinished. The Maidum Pyramid, based on its base, one-half base, which is 236 feet, and its height of 216 feet, will give us this 47.48-degree angle. Now, let's look at the pyramids in Mexico. The Pyramid of the Sun is giving us this unique 7 over 4 relationship, and it also matches perfectly inside this grid pattern. And what about the Pyramid of the Moon? 10 to 17 relationship, and it also matches perfectly within this grid pattern. So, so wait a minute. Chichen Itza, we have so does Palenque. Khufu, Khafre, Menkare, all the Giza Plateau pyramids, the Dashur pyramids, and now the Mexico pyramids, Maidun, and the Abu Awash pyramids, all matching the same grid pattern? Pyramids of Egypt and Teotihuacan, Mexico There's pyramids Tallulah appear as well. to match the integer grid. How many other pyramids around the world will match this grid pattern? Now, I had one other slide I asked Valerie to put up. I'll put this up, if we could, please. And basically, all you do is you take precise temperament tuning, 432 hertz, and then multiply the height over one-half the base by 432 hertz, and it gives you the note of the pyramid. I see a few people with their face in their hands. I'm going back in December. We're going to sing those notes. Thank you very, very much. This has been a labor of love. If you'd like to learn more about this, watch Codex. Um, also, I want to introduce my good friend and colleague, um, Muhammad Ibrahim. So Muhammad has been an amazing stalwart an advocate for Egypt around the world. And he's been not only uh, an amazing person from an archaeological perspective, he's an expert in hieroglyphics in particular, but he's also he's also confirmed some of the hieroglyphs that have been in the Gosford Cliffs in Australia, etc. 
Uh, he's been brought on many different consulting projects, and he puts up with me all the time, which is always like pushing the boundary of what you know the Egyptians will allow, uh, the Egyptian government. But luckily, I've made a very maintained a good relationship with them. But uh, I'd like to introduce Mohammed Ibrahim, and it doesn't look like they're going to pull up the slide with the notes, but you'll have to wait for that because we do have all the notes for each of the pyramids around the world and also all their inverse. And I believe we have to actually do the interval of it. So you're singing the full interval. So some will sing the lower note and then some will sing the higher note, which will basically give us the major and minor chord intervals. And every note is represented. Thank you very much. My goodness, everyone. I enjoyed every minute of the day here. Thank you, everyone, and I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. This is getting better and better. Okay, so um, I just want to say, please... Um, Invite others to come and join us in these um, gatherings that we have every uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday of every weekend. Uh, goddess is alive. Magic is afoot. And uh, the truth about who we are continues to expand in our conscious awareness. And I'm going to take this talking stick. I'm going to pass it to my sister, Rainbird. I know she'll have some good words for us. Here it comes, Rainbird. And, you know, that emerald serpent feathered one is right here with the angels, fairies, feathers, rainbows, crystals, and Menahuni, Sasquatch, and all the angels and archangel and all the beautiful beings of light. Here it comes. All right. I got it. <laughs> Oh my God! Oh wow! Oh wow! Oh wow! Oh my God! <laughs> Whoa! And I've got this tuning fork, so I'll play them next time. I'll bring them along. <laughs> oh great! Yes, we used to do that. I remember. Uh huh. Uh huh. Marita, yeah. Marita Robert. God, uh -huh. on that. That's right. 432 hertz, everybody, not the other one. Yeah, 432. That, yes. And I believe that's the solar plexus. I know 528 is the heart chakra. So, uh -huh, that's right. Those yeah. Special tones. Those yes. Tones. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll bring those next time and we'll, we'll tone those. <laughs> that 432 for sure. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah, I, I'm just saying, the stuff we're learning, it's, I, uh, yes, uh, and, uh, we're going to be awake, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> well, that one certainly woke me up. <laughs> wow, I know. He's such an amazing being. What? Oh, yeah. okay. Okay, so I pass the talk and stick to you, Robert. What you got? Okay. This is Alan Watts talking about the Bhagavad Gita. Okay, Robert. Here we go. The Bhagavad Gita, huh? 
Mahatma Gandhi wrote the following words. I find a solace in the Bhagavad Gita that I miss even in the Sermon on the Mount. When disappointment stares me in the face and all alone I see not one ray of light, I go back to the Bhagavad Gita. I find a verse here and a verse there and I immediately begin to smile in the midst of overwhelming tragedy. And my life has been full of external tragedy. And if they have left no visible, no indelible scar, I owe it all to the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita. In this passage that I have just quoted, Mahatma Gandhi was referring to what is perhaps the most famous of all the spiritual passages, the Bhagavad Gita, or Bhagavad the Lord Gita song, the song of the Lord. It is spelled B-H-A-D-A-D-A-D, Bhagavad Gita, G-I-T-A. The song of the Lord, the Lord in this case being Sri Krishna, who in Hindu mythology is regarded as an incarnation, an embodiment in the Sanskrit language, an avatar of Vishnu, the Supreme Lord, the personification of the ultimate reality underlying this universe. The Bhagavad Gita was publicly compiled about the 5th century BC and it forms a part of a great epic called the Mahabharata. It's attributed to a sage by the name of Yasa and contains a complete epitome of the whole central doctrine of Hinduism known as the Vedanta. It's a very fascinating and to us puzzling fact that Gandhi Preeminently the man of non-violence in modern time was so devoted to his book. Because the scene with which the book opens is a battlefield, the field of Kuru, where a young prince by the name of Arjuna is riding in his chariot and Sri Krishna, the incarnation of Vishnu, is his charioteer. As the opposing armies face each other, the battle is about to begin, and Arjuna is empty heart, oppressed with the senselessness of this struggle and of internecine warfare. And Gita says in the first chapter, he was overcome with great compassion and uttered this in sadness. When I see my own people arrayed and eager for fight, O Krishna, my limbs quail, my mouth goes dry, my body shakes and my hair stands on And I see evil omens, O Krishna, nor do I foresee any good by slaying my own people in the fight. I do not long for victory, O Krishna, nor kingdom, nor pleasure. Of what use is kingdom to us, O Krishna, or enjoyment? Having spoken thus on the field of battle, Arjuna sank down on the seat of his chariot, casting away his bow and arrow, his spirit overwhelmed by sorrow. And to this complaint, his charioteer, the Lord Krishna, replies, 
Whence has come to thee this day, this dejection of spirit in this hour of crisis? It is unknown to men of noble mind. Yield not to this unmanliness, O origin, for it does not become thee. Cast off this petty faint-heartedness, and arise, O oppressor of the foe. To give point to his words, Krishna goes on. Thou grievest for those for whom thou shouldst not grieve. And yet thou speakest words about wisdom. Wise men do not grieve for the dead, nor for the dead. Never was there a time when I was not, nor thou, nor these lords of men. Nor will there ever be a time hereafter when we shall cease to be. As the soul passes in this body through childhood, youth, and age, even so is it taking of another body. The sage is not perplexed by it. Heat and cold, pleasure and pain, come and go, and do not last forever. These learn to endure. The man who is not troubled by these, O Jesus, who remains the same in pain and pleasure, who is wise, makes himself fit for eternal life. Of the non-existent, there is no coming to be. Of the existent, there is no ceasing to be. The conclusion about these two has been perceived by the seers of truth. Know thou that that by which all this is pervaded is indestructible. Of this immutable being, no one can bring about the destruction. It is said that these bodies of the eternal embodied, which is indestructible and incomprehensible, come to an end. Therefore fight, O Arjuna. He who thinks that this slays, and he who thinks that this is slain, both of them fail to perceive the truth. This one neither slays nor is slain. He is never born, nor does he die at any time. Nor having come to thee, does he again cease to be. He is unborn, eternal, permanent, and primeval. He is not slain when the body is slain. Now it's obvious, I think, to those of you who have listened to any other of these programs, what Sri Krishna is talking about here. When I was talking to you about the Upanishad, I explained at several points the fundamental doctrine of the Hindus. And that is that the innermost reality of man is not quite, quite what we who have been brought up in a Christian tradition call the soul. We have an inherited teaching, of course, of an immortal and individual soul which is the root principle of every human being. But in the Hindu doctrines, the soul is not individual. The soul is supra-individual, or as they would say in their technical language, the Atman, the soul, or self. Self is really a better translation than the soul. The Atman is identical with Brahman, and Brahman is the name which they use for the ultimate reality which underlies this whole universe. Now, I don't want you to think of Brahman as a sort of vast blob of perfectly transparent yellow which penetrates the whole world. I, I think that's what many people imagine when they hear this kind of thing. 
The whole point of the Brahman idea is missed. When you form any image of it in your mind at all, even jello, even empty space or boundless light, Brahman is what we ourselves really are, what this whole universe is fundamentally and actually. There is no way of thinking about of imagining that. For a very simple reason, that as water cannot rise higher than its own level, thought cannot think what is higher than thinking. It cannot conceive the mind which thinks, and still less, the power which generates the mind. We're going to give a last little five-minute food for thought here. This is Tanya Gabrielle, and she brought this out today, along with the eclipse today. It was just a little bit before the eclipse, and she was saying we are reaching the pivotal Taurus lunar eclipse, eclipse, full moon together, just hours away. Okay, it was just a few hours away. And we started the program today right in the center of that lunar eclipse. Uh, you know, it started our time, mountain time, about 10 minutes to 1. We started at 2.30, and it went to um, 10 minutes to 4. It was about, oh, about a three-hour period, the eclipse itself. Um the full moon is at 4.24 and the absolute moment of the eclipse was, uh, I think it was like 4, mm, four I don't remember, 19 or something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. so um, this is, so here's how she says. There has been no shortage of major developments and awakenings in the throes of our current eclipse season, which is leaving a revolutionary impact. It may have not had hit you yet, but believe me, it's moving right into our cellular molecular structure here. Um. Revolution ultimately is a changing in consciousness. We're talking about the whole world now. And Mother Guy herself. Right, Rama? Mm-hmm. hmm It is a movement of a state of being you are in. You move from this state of thinkings, thinking to another state, literally, of thinking. These changes of state literally happen overnight. It's already Sunday for most of us, except for the Pacific folk. Your consciousness 
lights up. You're having an aha moment. Literally, in a millisecond, you break free. It's an epiphany. As you look at your fundamental changes in life, they did not evolve over some drawn-out process. You have a moment of highly credible insight, and it changes you forever. These transitions occur at light speed. It is a moment of enlightenment. Revolutions of consciousness, movements of state, have occurred throughout human history on a personal and collective level. The intuitive mind is where you get ideas within milliseconds that are true and you cannot argue with them. The idea does not reach the intellectual mind. (laughs) Contrast that to the intellectual mind, which can rationalize anything. That's the problem we have in Washington. Oh, my God. Lower vibrational energy uses the intellectual mind to rationalize contradictory behavior. And I just keep on remembering what what Richard told us one night, that uh, the problem humanity has collectively is a problem with the something called stupid. <laughs> this ought to make a real jolt in that that rationalizing stuff. Lower vibrate as we said here, lower vibrational energy uses the intellectual mind to rationalize contradictory behavior. God, spirit, source operates on the intuitive mind. And it is with your intuition that you get very, very powerful truths within milliseconds. These truths are way beyond the intellect or the instinctive mind. So, this lunar eclipse, opposition between Moon, Jupiter, and Sun, Mercury, Mars, is pointing out opposite agendas and asking you and you and me to be... Turn the page... To be aware of them. This is as behavior patterns that are contradictory, are rationalized, are doing it every millisecond over there in the Middle East, blaze of island fire. Specifically, your intuition is pointing out as you look at someone's thoughts and their actions, their words and their actual deed. And they do not match up. You notice that they will rationalize the contradiction. You note that they do this consistently and often quite subtly. The big boner of what's going on in the Middle East is that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And they forgot the rest of that saying. It makes us all blind and... uh, Uh, Toothless. 
<laughs> okay, so observe whether you rationalize to yourself any contradictory words versus deeds. Intuitively, something felt off, yet your mind talked you out of it. That's how a lawyer can make a criminal look good. Oh, my goodness. A person either lives with consistent integrity or they don't. The number eight, the infinity sign, makes the difference clear. October 2023 is an eight universal month. And eight is um, Lord Maitreya. And it is manifestation. And... uh Again, October 2023 is an eight universal month, which is why the recognition of an intuitive perspective versus an intellectual one is being made more clear than ever. Eight symbolizes two windows, the higher and lower mind, intuition and intellect. In 2024, an eight universal year. This, oh, that's right. That's an eight universal year. October is an eight universal month. The whole year next year, because this is a seven year. That's right. Lord Maitreya. That's why we're bringing in the gold. Maitreya of gold is, I remember that. Uh, yes, and gold is uh, at a higher Intuitive level is what we're talking about here. Again, uh, in 2024, an eight universal year, this difference will be front and center. It is vital that we stay true to the divine in order to navigate these times with grace and peace. We will be diving into this profound topic in the 10th annual ultimate yearly forecast presentation, a three-plus-hour virtual event, as you will discover the secrets behind every astro-numerology activation in 2024 and thrive as a result. Only a limited amount of seats. (laughs) Okay, um, I don't know when this is going to happen, but let's just say that it has begun and there is no turning back. Love is always the answer and war is never the answer. With that in mind, I think we've just about come to the end of our day. My beloved is indisposed for the moment, but may I say, may we all pass every test. This is really an exciting time to be alive. And may peace prevail on earth and the Sarah now. And uh, 13 thank yous, hunting in the heart, no evil. Live long and prosper, everyone. And we'll see you on the bridge. And we'll see you tomorrow as well.
with our sister Cheryl tomorrow evening and Monday evening with our sister Cheryl Croce. And I'll give you her number. Come and join us. The power of coming together as a group to do these affirmations of change for the good is so, so important. And Cheryl does a very good job of leading this adventure every Sunday evening and Monday evening. She said it's going to be a bit shorter tomorrow and Monday evening. So that might be a good one to come and join is to get a flavor. So the number is 425-436-6260. And the PIN code is 946-7441-POUND. Again, 425-436-6260. And the PIN code is 946-7441-POUND. So we will see you there and on the bridge. And again, the time is 6 o'clock Pacific, 7 o'clock Mountain, 8 o'clock Central, 9 o'clock Eastern. Namaste, everybody. Sat Nam. Sat Nam Ji. Aloha, everyone. Aloha. Aloha.